Check this out. On the weekend. Ufa. Take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is the politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa. On another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Here's Curtis Lewa. boys blasting us off till the break of dawn and remember none of you are going to sleep you're not falling asleep you're not cutting any seas you're not telling me hey look uh, i was stung god during the day i just had to get an hour or two i woke up i kept listening to you curtis no 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 i know when you're listening i know when you're tuned in i know when you're attentive Let's face it, Saturday going into Sunday morning, people have got to fight for their right to party because there's so much mishigash going on out there. Oh, the politics. Oh, it's giving me a headache, a migraine. Uh, look at MSNBC. Oh, Trump is Satan. He's uh, the Antichrist. He deserves to be in jail. Put him up in front of a firing squad. Then I look at the Fox News channel. Oh, beautification for Trump. He's the greatest person ever to walk on the face of the earth. And I'm listening to both sides as they spew their propaganda. And I'm saying, you know, it's Sunday morning, and I'm going to take you to the break of dawn. And yet we're going to touch on all this stuff involving Donald Trump. But I don't believe anybody. I don't believe either side. I watched MSNBC earlier. I'm looking at their propaganda. I don't believe that crap. And then I'm looking at Fox News Channel. Oh, you know, God, let's uh, deify uh, Donald Trump. He didn't do anything. But I don't believe that crap. You know the truth is probably somewhere in between. You know the truth is probably somewhere in between. But some of you have choosed up sides. It's like, you know, you're taking a... You, know, you, you, you put your fingers in the middle... You threw your your choices out there, and you've taken sides. So you can't you can't digress from your sides. You can't retreat from your sides, because if all of a sudden you show any point of vacillating, or possibly not being totally on board, oh man, you'll be considered a traditor. What's wrong with you? You getting weak? You getting soft? Got to be brick. You got to be tough. So on one side, we got the MSNBC crowd. They basically want to draw and quarter Donald Trump. They want to incarcerate him. They'll put him in Alcatraz. It was the anniversary of Alcatraz, what, a few days ago? Uh, they'll put Donald Trump there in Alcatraz. Although they'll probably say, no, firing squad. 
Uh, you know, it's like Rasputin. He'll come back again and again and again. Uh, you know, he, he's like a zombie. He'll, he'll want to keep beating them down into the Donald Trump grave. But then all the Trumpers, it's like, no, nah, absolutely no plausibility. There's no way. Well, you know, the guy took uh, the Fifth Amendment 440 times. Oh, well, totally expected. And I'm saying to myself, uh, Broadway Bill Lee, on loan from WCBS-FM, we were always told if you take the Fifth Amendment, you know, you must be hiding something. Don't you answer the question. Why would you be taking the Fifth Amendment, right? That was like, uh, oh, not even though you have the right to take the uh, Fifth Amendment. Perception was, you take the Fifth Amendment, you're, you're hiding something. You're covering up. You're not telling the truth, right? Well, my friend, who I supported, good times, bad times, former Congressman Mario Biagi, when he went before a grand jury and he took the Fifth Amendment 55 times, uh, there was nobody who was saying, hey, he did the right thing. Uh, you know, Mario Biagi, eh, he took it 55 times. He had to do that. It's his right. No, no, no. The perception is in America. If you take the Fifth Amendment more than, let's say, one, two, times it by five, make it 10, maybe 20, 20 times five, make it 100, make it 440 times. Under previous circumstances, people would have said, you're guilty of sin. But I'm sure that there are all kinds of configurations out there because, you see, I'm neither on one side or the other. I just want to listen to both sides and come to my own conclusions. Uh, I know one side tries to brainwash me. The other side tries to brainwash me. All I know is politics is a dirty, dirty business. And I don't trust any politicians. None of them. I've seen them in good times. I've seen them in bad times. And I just know when push comes to shove, they don't perceive of it as a lie. They consider it a fib uh, manipulation temporarily for the good of everybody if I don't tell you what's going on. You know, like all of a sudden we saw Garland, the attorney general, said, the president of the United States, he didn't know this was going to happen. No, 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 nobody ran it up his flagpole. Well, conceivable somebody told him and he forgot five minutes later, but you're not going to all of a sudden raid the former president's compound without the president of the United States knowing, what, the code of Omerta, right? I don't know. I'm like Sergeant Schultz. Garland, that's right. I gave the orders. I strictly determined what was going to take place. It wasn't Ray, the FBI director. By the way, Ray is appointed by Trump, who was recommended by Shabu El Jefe Christi. Remember, it was Ray in private practice at the time who protected Shabu El Jefe Chris Christi from implicating himself in Bridgegate. He took Chris Christie's cell phone that was MIA and he put it in his personal safe. Now, state troopers uh, from Trenton, the barracks, uh, never bum-rushed Ray's office and broke into his safe. Because then they would have had that cell phone and they would have been able to determine one way or the other. Was Shamu Chris Christie directly involved in Bridgegate? Did he give the orders from headquarters? Or was he just uh, on the sidelines saying, wow, what's going on? 
wow, you guys are a little overly aggressive here. You know, I understand you're supporting me and you want vengeance and you want a blood feud, but you shouldn't have stopped all the traffic on the GW Bridge. Nobody believes that. Nobody believes that. So Ray hid the information. Ray hid the phone, didn't provide the phone, refused to provide the phone as Chamu Chris Christie's personal attorney. And how the hell did he get picked to be the FBI director? Well, ultimately, it was Donald Trump who picked him. I know he's part of the deep state. Everybody's part of the deep state. Anybody that Trump picks, uh, if they disagree with Trump, uh, deep state, you know, they've been sucked into the vortex, right? Come on. Could everybody be part of the deep state that he doesn't get along with? And then on the other side, tell me personally, they don't want to take this guy and put him on the rack like Mel Gibson, remember? At the end of Braveheart, where they got him on the rack and they just want to tear his intestines out. This is a bruising political battle in which if you um, actually would take a breath and realize both sides have a reason to lie manipulate you, not tell the truth, because they want it all their way. This is about a grab for power. It's all about power. It's not about the people. It's not about power to the people. It's all about who is going to maintain power. And too many of you, you're out there like lambs on one side or the other side. Absolutely. You're willing to buy anything. Oh, I, I mistaked it. Oh, Garland, the president didn't know. It's me and me alone. Let's open up the phone lines, give everyone an opportunity to be heard. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Because normally, at a time like this in the wee hours of the morning, as we're going to take you to the break of dawn, now you're coming out of the clubs, you're coming out of the restaurants, you, you want to max and relax, you don't want this hanging on your head, right? It's like fried eggs. It's like, yeah. But I got to make my point. I'm sorry. I've been watching all of this. Uh, my colleagues here, they're all lobbying me. Yeah, you saw you saw what happened, Curtis. Yeah, 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 yeah I saw. Uh, you know, you know, they're, they're evil. The Democrats, evil, evil, Satan, Lucifer. Uh, oh, yeah, without a doubt. And then I talk with Democrats. Oh, God. Trumpers? Oh, my God. They uh, might as well be uh, the Ku Klux Klan, overthrow the nation, want to usurp the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. I say, are we talking about the same people? And I'm telling you, Broadway Bill Lee, a lot of Michigash out there, you got you to gotta, you gotta try to sort of walk the tightrope like the Walenders. And you say, let me, let me look to the left, let me look to the right. And then if you're a guy like Avery there, our telephone... Uh, what do we call him, our telephone uh, talent coordinator? What a dumb name that Frank Morano came up for, a phone screener, who happens to be our late-night producer. So I want to sort of put everything into uh, into sort of movies, entertainment, uh, and uh, productions that have been done before. Because I certainly know and have uh, appeared enough times in depositions and court cases, both civil and criminal. Oh, civil, yeah. Oh, 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 oh. oh they put the hooks into me. Those, oh, I can't say that. And uh, I've never taken the Fifth Amendment uh, once. I may have been a little dodgy. I may have uh, 
done what Clinton uh, has historically done, parsed the language. But I never took the fifth. Donald Trump took the fifth 440 times. I mean, ooh, Madonna, that's a lot of times. Even Mario Biagi in his grave would say, hey, hey, Don, Donald, I took it 55 times. You took it 440 times. Let's see if there's a way. I wonder if anybody has ever taken it more than 440. You know, I hated running the 440 in track. I really hated track. You know, they told us in high school, oh, between football season and baseball season, you got to run track. You got to stay in shape. And then we had to get on the train and go all the way up to the armory in Washington Heights, and they had the floorboards down there. And I had to run the 440, which is really nothing more than a sprint. You know, they say, oh, no, 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 you pace yourself. What pace yourself? It's one long sprint. You know, the 220, 100-yard dash. I hated all of that, sitting there for hours, waiting for your race to be called. And you go up there, you race one time around the track, and if you don't win the race... That's it. You go home. How stupid is that? Oh, you know, went up to Mount St. Uh, Michael's there, Sean Puff Daddy uh, uh, High School. And we ran in the track in the backyard there. Oh, what a miserable experience. I remember running the track in Nazareth High, high School in the East Flatbush. They had it in a little gully. All the wood was broken. Like every second panel was broken. And you're running around there and say, why am I doing this? The only time I want to run is when I'm chasing a thug. And then I, I, I just want to drop the hammer on him. Right? That's why I want to run after. So I, I just don't want to run around an oval. And track people are weird, man. They are really weird. I never liked them, especially cross-country people. They were extraordinarily weird. Oh, let's go to Van Cortland Park and run through the park from the Bronx right on up to Yonkers. Yeah, yeah, knock yourself out. Oh, we're going to go into Prospect Park. Yeah, we're going to prepare. Well, what are you preparing for? Oh, we got a big cross-country meet. It always struck me as geeks. And I said, what am I doing here? All I'm trying to do is uh, get from football season to baseball season. Uh, too late to pay, play basketball. And they say I was too rough. I broke too many ribs. They had to. You know, you're in the paint with the brothers. Brothers are trying to do all those uh, isometrics and calisthenics, you know, double jam. And all I did is just put my freaking elbow in their rib cage. They weren't going to be jumping anymore, I'm telling you that. White boys can't jump like the brothers, but you hit them in the ribs a few times, they ain't jumping. No, they're not going to be Mexican jumping beans no more, and they ain't coming into the paint. Because they're going to say that crazy white boy is in the paint throwing sharp elbows. And then if they get a little disturbed, just want to beat the hell out of you. So feet don't fail me now. You see, I digress here. I digress. Uh, But let's first go to the audio tape. There are a series of things that I have found that put the Fifth Amendment uh, in perspective. And you either do it with TV programs, movies, documentaries, because there has to be some video component to it that we can connect to. And see, right now, everybody is taking a position one way or the other. They're either, they want to kill Trump or they want to beatify him and make him a saint and president for the United States for life. It's either one or the other. Me, (laughs) I'm like, I don't trust any of them. None of them. I don't trust Biden. I don't trust Trump. I don't trust Republicans. I don't trust Democrats. 
Because they freaking lie. Look at Manchin. Oh, Manchin, God, oh, he's great. Well, best Democrat ever. Uh, since uh, uh, Scoop Jackson, uh, greatest ever. And then all of a sudden he sides with the Democrats. Hey, schmuck, he's a Democrat. He sides with the, oh, evil, Satan. I'm like, really? He got bribed. What do you think they're doing in Washington? They're getting wine-dined in pocket line by all of these agents of various corporate interests. And people who are out to make money, man. And uh, let's face it, what senators will tell you is like, they already bought me on this issue. Oh, Alphonse Alley Boy D'Amato. Oh, people liked it because you would call up Alphonse Alley Boy D'Amato and say, I really need you on this vote. Alphonse, Sally Boyd, I already sold my vote. I want to be honest with you. Other senators, they take money from everybody and then screw everybody. Come on. It's like, you really think these people have an ideological bone in them? Have you ever heard them talk? They're afraid to say anything, and they'll flip this script depending on who's going to pull out more cash and benefit them. Oh, Manchin, yeah, oh, man, great, great man. I said, well, what are you talking about? He's from West Virginia. He's a hillbilly. He's a hillbilly in his suit, right? Oh, uh, hillbilly, oh, what's he on, oxys over there? Oh, no, he's great. He's one. I would, I would elect him president of the United States. What are you all saying now about Manchin? Oh, I'd put him in jail, right? He's a hillbilly in his suit. He's a coal man. He's like, understand what his priorities are. His priorities are not your priorities. Get that straight. Never was, never was, never will be. It's all about living in West Virginia. Have any of you ever traveled to West Virginia? Have you gone into West Virginia? Yeah. I'm telling you. So all of you are shocked. I'm shocked. I can't believe that. And who's whining, dining, and pocket lining? The schmuck, the putz, Chuck E. Cheese, Schumer? Does he have an ideological bone in his whole body? Of course not. We know that. We've grown up with him. Shocking, right? I can't believe this. Oh, my God. Evil Satan. Tell you, knock it off. This is politics. That's the way these guys and gals play. Whoever can wine him, dine him, and pocket line him, and bring him to the promised land, which they can take care of their family, their friends, uh... Especially if they're Hunter Biden, right? Well, now Pelosi's son. Yeah, what, what, what the hell was he on that jet going to Taiwan, a.k.a. Foremost? These people, they got the beak in the trough. And everyone acts surprised. Oh, I'm surprised. I'm surprised. Why? Tell me those that don't do it. Let's start with that. That'll be a small column. So let's see what we come up with here, uh, Broadway Billy. Uh, I have a feeling everybody is sort of like saying, gee whiz, Curtis, he's not with us. Then again, he's not with anybody. He doesn't trust any of them. Which is the way you ought to be a free agent. Stop taking sides right away. And then all of a sudden you're bound by whatever crazy things they say. Oh, that, yeah, uh, uh, really? I'm with that? God, let me listen to that again. Yeah, I guess I have to be with that. Both sides. Nuts. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Now let's take you to the Godfather. Remember, there was Michael Corleone. He was in that congressional hearing looking into the actions of Italian organized crime, like Cosa Nostra, the mafia. 
Basically, it was a rip uh, rip off of the Kefauer Commission. That's what they were trying to show. I remember Michael Corleone decided to trot out his resume. We knew he was lying, right? Oh, but it was good theater, right? Good movie. I've never done anything wrong. I'm pure as a baby's backside. Remember? And he said he would not take the fifth. In the hopes of clearing my family name, in the sincere desire to give my children their fair share of the American way of life without a blemish on their name and background, I have appeared before this committee and given it all the cooperation in my power. I consider it a great dishonor to me personally to have to deny that I am a criminal. I wish to have the following noted for the record. That I served my country faithfully and honorably in World War II and was awarded the Navy Cross for actions in defense of my country. That I have never been arrested or indicted for any crime whatsoever. That no proof linking me to any criminal conspiracy, whether it is called Mafia or Cosa Nostra or whatever other name you wish to give, has ever been made public. I have not taken refuge behind the Fifth Amendment, but it is my right to do so. He has not taken refuge behind the Fifth Amendment. We know he was the son of the head of organized crime, right? He was lying. Lying. Oh, but what a performance. Bravo! Academy Award. You know how many others had gone into the well of the House, the well of the Senate, and lied, 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 and we knew they were lying, but they were on our side. That's right. We can justify it. Hey, it's a little fib, little white lie. Hey, you got to do that in politics, right? That's what you were told. Hey, look, I'm not going over on their side, that's for sure. <laughs> this is crazy. I like, though, uh, Dave Chappelle. When Dave Chappelle took the fifth, I mean, he turned it out in his congressional hearing. Sir... Is it true you were a crack cocaine dealer for seven years? I, I plead the fifth. <laughs> Sir, will you tell us about the cartels you dealt with in your time as a crack cocaine dealer? Um, no, but I can tell you that I plead the fifth. Exactly how much money did you earn in your time as a crack cocaine dealer? Now, who else would combine Dave Chappelle with Michael Corleone, right, in talking about the Fifth Amendment? But they say uh, you can take the Fifth Amendment constitutionally so that you don't incriminate yourself. Well, that means you got something to hide. Well, you'd answer the frequent question. Remember how when you did something wrong, and your mommy caught you, 
And all of a sudden, you were like squirming and you're looking all over the place and you were sweating and shit. Then your mother always knew you were lying. And your mother would say, don't take the fifth on me, Curtis. You know, this ain't a court of law. This is the Sliwa household. And answer the question. How many of you took the fifth when you were growing up? If you were to tell your dad, hey, dad, I have a constitutional right to take the Fifth Amendment. I cannot incriminate myself. He would hit you so hard that your mother would feel the vibrations, right? Ain't nobody taking the Fifth Amendment in our house. Either answer, fess up, or admit you messed up, right? Did anybody ever take the Fifth Amendment in the house? I'd love, I'd love to hear one person out there, when they were getting jammed up at home, when they were being asked questions that they were uncomfortable with, and they realized, look, it won't hurt mom or dad and just tell a little fib, a little white lie. You know, it's, it's better that we do this. Or I'm just not going to answer them. Really? You think mom and dad said, well, he took the fifth. This is a very bright young man here. He knows what his constitutional right is. Your right is, I'll kick you right in your tuchus. You have the right to catch my boot right up your butt. I love this. I love this. All the constitutional scholars, you know you have the right to take the Fifth Amendment so you don't incriminate yourself. What would you be incriminating yourself on? Obviously, it's an implication that you're guilty or you know something that you don't want to say. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And while many of you are running around in circles, I want to know who the confidential informant is. I want to know who the Tessio is. In fact, remember that famous scene in The Godfather? Well, Michael Corleone said, we're settling all scores, settling all scores. We know there are rats amongst us eating the Parmesan cheese. And coming out of the compound, ready to go to a meeting, was Tessio, loyal member of the Corleone family for many, many decades, and Tom Hagen, the peacetime consigliere. They were going to go to a meeting. And then all of a sudden, as they were walking towards the car, Tom Hagen started walking away. And the Corleone crew surrounded Tessio, and he sort of got the, the feeling that the jig was up, right? That they knew. And then he looked at Tom Hagen. Remember all the good times. He didn't take the fifth then, did he? <laughs> hey, Tom, you're a lawyer. Can I take the fifth? Listen to what he had to say before they shot him in the back of the head. Tell Mike it was only business. I always liked him. He understands that. Excuse me, sir. Tom, can you get me off the hook? For old time's sake. Can't do it, Sally. Now just imagine if Tessio, while surrounded by the Corleone goons who were ready to take away the car and execute him and dump his body. Imagine if all of a sudden he had said to Tom Hagen, Tom, you know, it's my constitutional right to take the fifth. Here, come on, Tom. 
You're a lawyer, right? You admitted to the bar. You're still practicing law. I'm taking a fifth. Yeah? Here's a fifth. You can drink a fifth of vodka, and then we'll put a bullet in the back of your head. God, these folks. That's right. It's constitutional right. I grew up. You took the fifth. You took the fifth. It's because you were guilty, right? That's what I... Sir, is it true you were a crack cocaine dealer for seven years? (laughs) I I plead the fifth. (laughs) From... From Dave Chappelle to Al Pacino to Tom Hagen to Fish. Remember Fish? Yeah, yeah, you forget Fish. Upesh, Upesh. Remember? What was that actor Tessio most famous for performing it on TV? And you will win the first courtesy of Booby Prize of the night. Don't ask, don't tell. Because I throw nickels around like manhole covers. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. All night long, this is another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. to a lot of this, Michigash. We need witnesses of what went on in the Mar-a-Lago compound. We need witnesses to know what was going on with uh, Ray's FBI, Garland's Justice Department. We need witnesses. That's why it's very interesting. Apparently there is a rat, a confidential informer, eating the Parmesan cheese who have been feeding the feds info about what... uh, is exactly in the possessions of former President Donald Trump and his staff. To be continued. By the way, uh, right after I finish uh, Left versus Right with Anthony Weiner earlier today, the 3 o'clock hour, before that he did In the Middle, his own solo show. I heard the uh, Chris Libertini uh, audio documentary of The Blackout of 1977 and Son of Sam. First off, I don't know how you can combine all of that into one hour. So rather than dice it up, slice it, bifurcate it, in coming programs, I'm going to do the deep dive because, boy, man, you know what that left me feeling like? You know, when all of a sudden... Uh, you go and you have a slice of toast, one slice of toast. You say, hey, hey, you know, could I have some more toast? I say, that's it, one slice of toast. It's all like so much that could have been said. Uh, I know he had uh, Bo Dido, who is my newfound friend here, as we're supporting Congressman Zeldin to become the next governor of the state of New York. Uh, we had uh, 
Bo Snurdly, he was weighing in, originally from Southeast Queens. He went to Jackson High School. And you had Sid Rosenberg, who went to Poly Prep. So they had a pretty good lineup. You know, I, I contributed what I could, but I'm thinking uh, Broadway Bill Lee, I'm going to have to do the deep dive, you know. You, you know, the, you dive, you, you only go halfway down in the ocean. You just have the goggles on and the oxygen tank. I'm going to put the, the iron helmet on and go way into this. I just don't know. He combined like three different subjects in one hour can, to me. It's like, I don't do that, man. So uh, I originally said that I was going to bifurcate it, slice it and dice it. But I'm going to do separate, separate uh, documentaries uh, on this show. And then you be the judge. You can go to WABCRadio.com. You can compare the Chris Libertini documentary of things that happened, he wasn't even born, wasn't even birthed, uh, to the things that I know like it happened yesterday. We'll do that. Anyway, let's go to uh, Sherry, who's calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Sherry. Uh, It was Detective Phil Fish on Barney Miller. That is correct, Barney Miller. That's where most people uh, got to know Fish from, his weekly appearances on Barney Miller. But in the minds of the cognoscente who watched The Godfather, uh, many of them still couldn't make the connection that that, that detective uh, in Barney Miller, Fish, was Tessio in The Godfather. I don't know how they can miss it, but well, he's a, he was a great Brooklyn guy. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. And obviously, nickname to be called Fish Upesh. Uh, that's the stand-up mm-hmm. guy. That's just sad because now, if you're a Gentile, uh, you could be Bacala. Uh, if you're uh, Jewish, you could be Whitefish and then made into Gefilte Fish. So, you see, you got everything covered when you're Upesh, when you're a fish. When you're a fish. That's right. All right, well, you stay on the line, Sherry. Uh Avery, you're off to a slow start here. Uh, you're going to get slammed by Frank Morano later on. Oh, my God. He was. And he was claiming he is the friendliest person of black people that you'd ever want to know, Avery and Broadway Bill Lee. I know you look a little jaundiced. We'll wait till you hear coming up. And he even had a step and fetch. I mean, a a brother. Uh, act on his behalf, talking about how friendly he is to people of color. Oh, yeah, the guy went on and on and on. I happen to know this guy, so I can't wait to eviscerate him. Guy who took uh, Al Slim Shady Sharpton money. Yeah, yeah, uh, all right, you already know. He throws shade at people. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Jacqueline, who's calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Jacqueline. Hey, Curtis. Good morning. Um, Talking about Christopher Wray, you said, well, Trump appointed him. Yeah, Trump appointed him. But you remember when you were in school as a kid? Today, somebody was your friend. Tomorrow, they were stabbing you in the back. So, you know, he depended on a lot of other people that he was friends with for their recommendations. And he learned the hard way. Yeah, but Jacqueline, it just seems that so many people in his administration, once they didn't see eye to eye with Trump, 
all of a sudden they were thought of as being in the deep state. Couldn't it be that there were just legitimate differences in the way they thought and the way the president at that time thought? They, they could have been, but I, I think it's like everything else. If somebody wants something from you and they want an appointed position from you, they're going to they're gonna be nice to you. They're going to take your side. They're going to tell you what you want to hear. And then once they get what they want, like I say, they turn around and they stab you in the back. Well, remember, this came about as a recommendation. He really didn't know Ray. It was recommended by Shamuel Hefe Chris Christie. Exactly my point. And look at what he turned out to be. Hmm. The other thing, as far as... Um, what the heck was I going to say? I lost my train of thought. Oh, taking the fifth. I am so glad that he took the fifth. They have made that man's life miserable for almost six years now, from before he walked down that escalator to announce his official candidacy for president. I wouldn't give them a blessed thing. I would make them work for it. Well, now, Jacqueline, in the future when people uh, are being deposed or they're involved in civil litigation, if they use the example of former President Donald Trump and said, I'm just taking the fifth, uh, you do realize the uh, civil court system comes to a complete halt. Well, so be it then. But, I, I still wouldn't I, I give mean, them anything. I, I, I understand. I, I but still wouldn't give them life, a Life thing. is more than just one deposition that Donald Trump was involved in. He, he took the fifth 440 times. Good. Let them work for it. Let them work for so it. So the, have... the next person who takes the fifth and says, like Trump, I'm going to take the fifth 440 times, what are you going to say about that person? Well, should he just lie like they all do. They lie about everything. Oh, Hillary. Oh, there's nothing to see here. What? What do you mean? Did I scrub my uh, server? Oh, you mean like with a cloth? Did I wipe it clean? I mean, so they lie. They are out and out liars. Could, it, out. Could, it, be, could it be, Jacqueline, that both sides lie? Let me ask you a question, Curtis. What would be the point in President Trump taking such so-called nuclear documents what does he have to gain by all this? Oh, I don't know. I have no idea. That's why I don't believe either side. I really don't. They're, they're playing a game with one another. It's gamemanship. Normally, I would agree with you. There's one side, the other side, and the truth lies somewhere in the middle. Yeah. I don't think this is the case in this situation. Well. He, he didn't need this job. He did not need to be president of the United States. Jacqueline. He needed that like he needed a Jacqueline, hole in the head. He wanted to be president. Nobody forced him to be president. It's the most powerful position in the world. If you are a billionaire, Bezos does not have the power of the president. Uh, Elon Musk does not have the power of the president. Uh, he wanted to be the most powerful man in the world, like others who have come before him. That may be true, but there's always a, a price to pay. And do you think that it was worth it to him to have that power and be president with what he's had to deal with and Jacqueline, what he's had to contend with for it, six years? It looks like he wants to do it again. Is he a masochist? Well, I think now it's a matter of, uh, you know, like you were talking about, Cosa Nostra. It's a matter of revenge now. Ah, okay. All right. But you see, when people are involved uh, in something that is personal, bitter, that involves revenge, vendetta, People are going to take sides, and then you can't you can't vacillate. You can't say, well, on that one, I think you're off base, because then immediately you're thought of as being a traitor, a Judas. Both sides. Both sides. 
I, I still think down to his heart, to the bottom of his heart, I sincerely believe that he truly loves this country and really wanted to make a difference. Oh, I, I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that. I know he loves this country. He has his way of doing things. The Democrats have their way of doing things. And Jacqueline, we're soon going to eventually everything comes out. We're going to find out exactly what's going on. But at this juncture, I don't trust any of them. I don't trust any of them because they've lied before. <laughs> sort of like, you know, if they put their hand on the Bible or Koran or Talmud and they, they said, uh, yeah, I pledge to tell the truth. If you hooked them up to a lie detector, they'd all be blown to kingdom come. Anyway, let's go to Loretta in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Loretta. Good, e- good evening. Uh, I'm good, good morning, Curtis. Good morning. Um, I know the actor who played Fish on Barney Miller. Mm. His name is is uh, a Pagoda. I don't know if he's still with us. Mm. That's uh, why I, I think said uh, I think he's passed into the hereafter. I think now I stand to be corrected, but if you look at his career, he was a tremendous actor. He was a great character actor. Great. There's no mistaking his style, his voice, of course, his appearance. And I think, I'm not sure, Barney Miller may have had the spinoff focusing on fish. Yes. Yes, they did. They did. With that, with that wife, right? That's right. And remember, he had the uh, fellow detective. You had the uh, okie-dokie white boy from Iowa. You had the Chinese guy. Uh, yeah. You had his uh, commander there, uh, Barney Miller. You had the black guy who was always, you know, it's the black guy reminded me of Eric Adams. He always had that $5,000 suit on. Remember, he was Ron, always. Was yeah, always, Ron Glass. That's right. Was he, was that, always, he was always looking GQ. A very smooth actor. Yeah, just uh, that's what our mayor is, right? A very smooth actor. It's smooth and rough around the edges as well. <laughs> he wants to appeal to the masses. It's all about the swagger. Oh, <laughs> uh, but that was a great sitcom barney miller yes uh, uh um the the intro was such a simple downbeat uh just bum, 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 bum. that's it that's right and well it, it, it it was a cop show without being a cop show Ooh, i like that it was a cop show without being a cop show it didn't show nitty-gritty it didn't have to it gave you a comedic twist on uh, something we don't want to be involved in. We we don't want to see the seamy side of life. We don't want to know what's really out there when we're living in our safe little uh, homes and apartments. And a fun fact on Trump, if you want to hear something. Sure. Uh, my apartment complex was originally owned by Trump's father. And my doctor asked me when he heard how long I had been here, did I ever see Trump, the Donald, collecting quarters in our washing machines downstairs? And I said, no, I never did. But then again, I never looked for him. And maybe I wouldn't even recognize him. Well, you see, uh, when when, uh, owners, landlords, uh, (laughs) would install... Uh, dryers and washing machines in the basement uh, to be used by the tenants. Uh, obviously, you put quarters in there. A lot of buildings still have that. Yes, we do. 
do. I don't go down there, though. Yeah, no, no. In many instances, you go down there, you're asking for double trouble because the security is a dollar short and a day late. But yeah. a lot of people who do it's a lot cheaper than, let's say, sending clothes to the cleaners where they could just be uh, washed in a machine or, you know, sent to the laundromat. And I got to tell you, I have seen landlords uh, who didn't have building agents actually go down there and collect the quarters because that's obviously part of their revenue stream. And they got to pay for the gas and they got to pay for the electricity and they got to pay for a lot of the other things that make that part of the basement of that building function as a laundromat. Yeah. But you never saw Donald, Donald himself collecting the quarters. He he did from what my doctor told me. And uh, the doctor is now in the complex. When I moved here, um, our office was there. Yeah, well, I would bet you his father said, hey, somebody's got to go get the quarters out of the machine. Donald, your number is up. Uh, make yourself useful. That's what fathers generally would say to a, yes. a son. But, Loretta, you stay on uh, the line here. We're going to make sure you get the courtesy of a booby prize. Although, make sure Avery doesn't take a month of Sundays here. I mean, Loretta has patience, but sometimes waiting an hour or two to get the courtesy of a booby prize will cause a lot of duress, angst, and I will get the blowback at some point in the future. one 800 New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Sliwa, 77 WABC. You know, somehow I think our booby prize winner, Loretta, is not into Motley Crue here. But then again, neither is Avery. And uh, Broadway Bill Lee, even though you're a cognoscente of music many years at WCBS-FM, I don't believe that you yourself are a member of the Headbangers Ball alumni of MTV when uh, Motley Crue ruled, right? Little Motley Crew, because nobody's going to sleep. We're going to take you to the break of dawn. Let's go to Lou calling from Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Lou. Yes, Curtis, you spoke about the laundry rooms with the tenants. Uh, those tenants did not use the laundry rooms. Their maids did. Those are the high-end apartments. Now, uh, hold on a second. Um, when you say the high-end apartments, uh, Fred Trump, owned uh, a lot of apartment buildings in uh, Brooklyn by Coney Island. Those are not high-end apartments, uh, Lou. I stand corrected. I am thinking of some of the apartment buildings that I worked in Manhattan. I um, was a maintenance man at the time, and that was what I saw. But I I stand corrected. No, no, no. I just uh, geographically, Fred uh, even said to his son at that time, Donald, you know, don't knock yourself out. They're not going to let us into Manhattan. You know, they have their little cabal. But Donald said, no, 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 that's where the money is. Uh, that's oh, where I want to be. In. Right. But oh, yeah. 
uh, you know, and I hated the man because in the 80s, I saw him buying apartment buildings, and a lot of them had little mom-and-pop stores on the first floor, and he just threw them out. Mm. Threw them out. Mm. Mercifully. Unmercifully. Mm. Now, question, uh, back to your contention, the high-rise buildings that you saw in Manhattan, uh, so they would have the maid or Jeeves go downstairs and handle the laundry, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's interesting, uh, got into an argument. I have to say, I I, I had been propositioned a few times for the maids to save a couple of quarters. Whoa, proposition. I'm true. This is true. (laughs) Whoa. So... Hold on a second here, Lou. So you're going down into the basement area where they got the dryers and the washing machines. Yes, I'm, I'm there to maintain them. One of uh, is out of uh, service. Yeah. Are you the Whirlpool maintenance man? No, no, I work for a management company. Okay, so mechanic. you're down there checking out, and all of a sudden this uh, maid comes up to you and makes sort of flirtatious suggestions. Absolutely. Wow. And uh, yeah, because I had the key to the money machine, uh, the slot that uh, you know I would collect the quarters also and bring them back to the company. So you know I could throw a couple of quarters back out of the machine, and uh, I never did. I never did. I had a beautiful girlfriend. I never strayed. Nope. But. The temptation. But I knew guys that did. Yeah, the temptation was there. The Venus flytraps were out, right? The, oh, yeah, they were looking for money. The honey traps were out there. Yeah. You know, it's it's, it's kind of, it's kind of, they had to think about for a couple of quarters you could have a sexual act, you know. I wasn't into it. No, I understand. Uh, were you an altar boy at one time, uh, Lou? No, never. Mm, now, you mean to tell me my that. My father hated the Catholic Church. Yeah, and my father did too. We have something yeah. in common. My well, they treated him really bad, so. Yeah, well, no, my father, he, he wasn't. Went to, uh, he went to, uh, in uh, Greenpoint, I think it was uh, St. Stanislaw. Ah, Greenpoint. You know, that's where my wife Nancy was birthed. That's where her family is from. You know, all my relatives are from Greenpoint. Yeah, well, my dad from Chicago, he did not like the Roman Catholic Church. He was raised oh, no. Catholic, and he said, you know something, I want to know where's all their money going. There's a lot of money going you know in. Something, you know, Curtis, my sister wanted to go to Catholic school, and my father said, absolutely not. Well, there was because a fight. They treated him so badly because his family was not, they were poor, so they couldn't tithe, you know. So the nuns would treat him very badly in school because they didn't have money. Well, I got to tell you about my dad. Uh, we reached the point, my mother insisted that I go to Catholic school, uh, elementary school in Canarsie. And my father, who uh, was opposed to Catholic school, he said, look, uh, your mom is here most of the time with you. I'm only here four months of the year. The other eight months uh, I'm out there sailing. So he blindfolded himself. We put up a map of Brooklyn, and he played like pin the tail on the donkey and the closest Catholic school was not Our Lady of Miracles in Canarsie, or Holy Family, or St. Jude in Canarsie. It was St. Matthew's all the way up on Utica Avenue and Eastern Parkway. That's not Canarsie. Hell no, the B-17 bus to the end of the line. And when I went to that school, the kids said, 
Boy, your father must really not like you. How come you didn't go to a Catholic school right in your neighborhood? As if my father didn't want me going with the Supreme Cousines. So he sent me up here. Oh. He must really not like you. Put you on that bus to be 17 all the way to the end? And then you got to fight your way when the bell rings because the kids from the public school at Schenectady Avenue are coming down. They're let out at 2.30. Feet don't fail me now. I see, yeah. Uh, I got to do what I got to do. It's another side of midnight. Here's Curtis Lewa. Now I've been happy lately. Thinking about the good things to come And I believe it could be Something good has begun Oh, I've been smiling lately Dreaming about the world at one And I believe it could be Someday it's going to come Cause out on the edge of darkness There is a peace train Oh, peace train, take this country Wow, Cat Stevens. This is in that time when he was a folk music icon. You would have seen him up on a stage with Carly Simon, James Taylor. Would have been copacetic. And then all of a sudden he flipped the script. He became a radicalized Shia follower of the Ayatollah Khomeini and bought into the fatwa that this Iranian madman issued on the head of Salman Rushdie, author of Satanic Verses. That's back in the late 80s. And the reason we're bringing this all to the forefront, as you know, Salman Rushdie, uh, early on Friday, was attacked at a literary gathering. At Chautauqua, which is sort of like on Golden Pond. You know, it's like uh, a place where you would never expect there to be any violence committed. Guys and gals, they love their poetry. They love reading. They love uh, literary, literary works. They love plays. They're just into a whole different mindset when they go to Chautauqua. And this guy who came from uh, Fairlawn, New, New Jersey, 24-year-old guy. And uh, if you look at his social networking, this guy has pledged himself uh, to the Ayatollah Khomeini, to the Iranians. His uh, family, uh, Lebanese, and they uh, traced his roots actually uh, back to southern Lebanon. And uh, reporters were trying to get information in southern Lebanon about his background, his family's background. And they were prevented from doing so by the mayor of the village uh, in which his parents had come from. Uh, when the reporters were going into the village, they saw flags of the Iran-backed Shia militant group Hezbollah, the portraits of their leader Hassan Nasrallah, naturally the Ayatollah Khomeini, and the slain Iranian uh, General Soleimani. You remember Trump lit him up right outside of the Baghdad airport. They said, oh, my God, 
Uh, there'll be insurrection. There'll be violence. No, no. Trump called it, and they obliterated it, and they sent him up on uh, the Paradise Express to Allah's side, and he hasn't been a problem ever since. But uh, they have a small Christian population in that village. The rest of them are radical Shias. And so the journalists who were trying to connect the dots on this guy, Matar, were told by the Hezbollah spokespersons, it would be very healthy for you to leave this village as quickly as you can. And remember, this enemy of society, this uh, programmed uh, messenger of hate and destruction, uh, this uh, sycophant of the Ayatollahs in Iran, stabbed and punched uh, Salman Rushdie at least 10 to 15 times. And it's interesting because there is a whole history that followed the publication of uh, uh, the works, actually, of Salman Rushdie. We're not just talking the satanic verses. No, 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 no. Uh, we're talking about some of his other works also. He had just recently uh, published works under a name, Anton, that was about living during the, uh, the fatwa. It still exists in some form. They got a bounty over his head of $3 million. But if you look, if you follow the uh, unleavened breadcrumbs, you'll find that at least 45 people were killed in riots over satanic verses, including 12 people in Salman Rushdie's hometown of Bombay, a.k.a. Mumbai. In 1991, a Japanese translator of the book was stabbed to death. They never, never caught anybody and charged him with that crime in Tokyo. And an Italian translator survived a knife attack. In 1993, the book's Norwegian publisher was shot three times and survived. Ha! Boy, there's a curse that goes along with this book. Uh, or is it just that the Ayatollahs send out their agents of death and destruction to go out and eliminate anybody uh, that would dare question uh, the leadership that they have imposed upon the people of Iran? I mean, think what it was like uh, when the Shah was in charge. The Shah was open to Western ideas. He sometimes uh, sided with... Uh, interest in the Arabian-speaking world as opposed to where he was from, Persia. They turned off the uh, turned off the spigots a few times uh, in their battles uh, against America because of our support for Israel, and we had to have all kinds of uh, rationing because of oil shortages. So he wasn't uh, the best friend we ever had, the Shah of Iran, but he was run out. Uh, it was at the time of Jimmy Carter. He ended up going to uh, Panama. Ended up dying, and then, as you know, a revolutionary group came in and at first could not stabilize the government. So they brought in the Ayatollah Khomeini, who was sitting on his tuchus outside of Paris at a madras, uh, infecting his followers with hate, screaming death to the big Satan America and death to the little Satan Israel, and it's been that way ever since. So that's the update, Salman Rushdie. Is still on a ventilator, stabbed multiple times. He might well lose sight in one eye. Uh, he was stabbed in the liver. He has severe stomach damage. And at the age of 75, he's in a precarious position. But you better believe this guy didn't just do this on his own. Uh, this is not a lone wolf in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> I would bet you.
Uh, he is a messenger of hate and destruction from that Shia militant group, Hezbollah, there in southern Lebanon. That's where his parents are from. And I'm wondering if anybody in Fairlawn picked up on any of this. You know, they had a picture in their house of the Ayatollah Khomeini. Maybe every Friday they would go to the local Shia mosque, you know, the day of prayer, Juma, and start screaming outside, death to the big Satan America, death to the little Satan Israel. You think maybe uh, people had a little bit of a hint of what this guy might be up to? Or is the reaction, oh, we couldn't possibly think that he would have done something uh, this dastardly to Salman Rushdie? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to John, who's calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Johnny. Curtis, here's some good news. Uh, Apparently, Rushdie is off his ventilator, and he's able to speak. Good. Good. Thank you. And he was stabbed ten times. He was not – I don't know if if he was punched, but he was certainly stabbed ten times. Now, uh, this is not officially confirmed, but apparently New York Times contacted his literary agent, Andrew Wiley, uh, and and Wiley confirmed that that he's now able to speak good a, a little bit, and uh, he's no longer on the ventilator. Well, that's great to hear, especially to be off that ventilator, because with a ventilator you could go one or two directions, south or north. Um, right, it, it, he, it's a, you're in a serious situation when they put you on a ventilator. Uh, I I don't see him making any public appearances soon. He was supposed to appear. Speaking about Pen America, there's a new exhibit in your neighborhood at New York Historical Society that just opened. Uh, he was supposed to appear on a panel uh, presided by the leadership of Penn on Monday, September 12th. I doubt that. And then on Sunday, October 3rd, 2nd, in Brooklyn at the Brooklyn Book Festival, he was supposed to also appear. But I, I will be surprised if he's in any shape to make any public appearances for months to come. Wow. Wow. Well, I think he's going to have to basically re-examine where he goes, where he goes, how he goes, because um, there just seems to be a number of sleeper cell agents of Iran now trying to do some really bad things. We saw former National Security Advisor to the Trump administration, Bolton, John Bolton, although he had a falling out with the president at the time. Uh, He was subject to being attacked and executed. Uh, We had a dissident in Brooklyn. Uh, This Iranian guy came up on a porch. He's looking through uh, her window. Cops ended up stopping him later on on a traffic violation. He had an AK-47 fully loaded, a 9mm fully loaded. Uh, he was ready to do her in because she has written some uh, uh, commentary that was critical of the Ayatollahs and what's happening in e- Iran. So it seems to me they're trying to settle all scores while the Israelis are infiltrating them on a regular basis because, you know, they have so many Persian uh, Jews uh, mm-hmm. who settled in Israel who speak the language fluently. They're able to integrate in. And, wow, have they caused a lot of chaos uh, for the Iranians and their nuclear weapons program. Now, a quick question. Are you a member of Penn, uh, John? No. 
Okay. I think I have uh, some friends of mine who are uh, notable writers, noted writers who are members of Penn. By now, now, I must tell you, ever since uh, we had this discussion the other day about uh, Salman Rushdie and the organization, great organization internationally, Penn, uh, Sid Rosenberg keeps texting me now that he's a author for the second time, <laughs> Citizens United. Yeah, he's a real nudge. Uh, and he's asking me what is necessary for him to become a member of Penn so that he can share this book with uh, literary agents and also, obviously, others who have uh, written their own manuscripts. He has to write in a more literary style. I don't know what to tell him. I'd like to see Sid, though, frequent the Brooklyn Book Festival, which is like the antithesis of Penn. And the reason why I say that is that for for years now they've had panels in which they advocate for Black Lives Matter, denounce the police, denounce correctional officers. In fact, they'll have two black female activists who want to abolish the police and abolish the prisons on Sunday, October 2nd. Wow. Wow, that's that's interesting. I'm writing all of this down because and they shouldn't be doing that. Because guess who's footing the bill for them? It's not private corporations. They're getting most of the money now from the city of New York. Well, you know, I'm going to suggest not only to Sid that he attend with his uh, new uh, new book, but also Dominic Carter, who has written a book that I uh, I went with him on 145th Street uh, to promote uh, in a uh, a, a literary uh, outdoor uh, uh, sale of books for many aspiring authors and authoresses got into a fight with the Nation of Islam uh, that uh, Dominic Carter and his family were absolutely aghast over. Uh, but I was there to support Dominic. It's about his life. You know, he grew up in really rough circumstances uh, with a mother who had severe mental health issues. He was shuttled around from house to house. That's a great book. And then you have uh, Sid... Uh, Rosenberg's book, Citizens United. Well, we could we could have a whole booth there of just WABC personnel who've written books. Well, I'll let you in on a little secret. Uh, uh, it's regarding a mutual friend of ours, Phil Wong and his group Cagna. Oh, sure. Well, back in February of 2021, they issued a declaration denouncing crit as hateful lies and vowing to denounce any organization and individuals that are promoting CRIT. Guess who's the number one suspect in Brooklyn for promoting CRIT? Hmm. One of them, anyway. The other one being the central branch of Brooklyn Public Library. It's the Brooklyn Book Festival. Wow. Uh, I, I hope Phil and, and Kagna uh, do something and, and, and force the Brooklyn Book Festival to act responsibly for once or else say adios. Well, I tell you what, uh, John, thanks for giving me the QT on this. Being a Brooklyn boy, you know, look, uh, I deal with matchbooks, comic books, uh, paperbacks, hard copies, not really my style. But I'm down for the cause for uh, Sid, who keeps nudging me about the book, keep mentioning the book, Sid Rosenberg, Citizens United. Uh, you know, it's National Book Lovers Day this past August 9th. You think Frank mentioned it? He was, oh, yeah, uh, I, uh, I'm a literary genius. I like to talk about books. <laughs> I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't be talking about books. 
But did you see that story? Uh, I don't know, uh, Avery, if you noticed this or Broadway Bill Lee. A 75-year-old library book was returned in New Jersey this past week to the Jersey City Free Public Library. They were united with a book that was returned after 75 years. Bob Jablonski, who grew up in Jersey City, checked out, get this, Hitler by Odin Rudolph at his high school library in 1947 at age 14. The now 89-year-old found the title when cleaning his family home and returned it in mint condition, complete with its original reference card tucked in. That's right. Dewey Decimal System, have to have the reference card in, or they fine you. You think congestion pricing is a, a heavy lift? The blue-haired matrons, they would come to your house. If if you didn't have the book there, you would go to the night depository, the night drop. I, I put all the books in the uh, wire basket attached to my Big Chief Schwinn bicycle and get to the side of the Canarsie Library and they had the book depository, and you get them all in there because by morning, man, you didn't want your parents being told, well, young little Curtis, got the books here, not on time. It's quite a fine. By the way, we may have to rescind his library card. Oh, God, that was the only form of identification we had. It was a library card. You had no other form of identification. And then he would tell you, you know, that's not an official form of identification. Anybody could have a library card. Notice how they would say library. There's always library. Why Why do some people call it library? It's library. Go to the library. And then all of a sudden the blue-haired matrons would say, psst. Want to come in the back? Yeah. What's going on there? Crap game? Card game? Frank Morano back there shooting craps? Um uh, no, I'm going to introduce you to the Internet of the 60s. And it was black paper with white letters on it, microfilm. <gasps> so this is the advantage that the Jewish kids had over me in public school. That's why they were busting those marks, 96, 98, 100, extra credit reports, microfilm. Now, the Supreme Cuisines, my cousins, <laughs> the only film they wanted to see was the triple X-rated porno parlors in 42nd Street, Times Square. So maybe I ought to follow the chosen people, huh? Hmm? Uh, I made the wise decision, although this guy took out a book about Adolf Hitler right after World War II. You think maybe he also took out a book, Das Kapital? about Karl Marx and Engels, about communism. I think we should uh, have an inquisition of this uh, 89-year-old Altakaka. Although he did the right thing. How many people would discover library books that were purloined or someone forgot to return them to the library, and they would say, I don't want to return it to the library now. Man, people who think that I try to rip them off, right? So they would destroy it. This guy did the right thing. I had nightmares sometimes. Like, oh, my God, I got to get the book said. But I ha- I haven't finished reading the book for the assignment. So I'd be staying up to like 4 in the morning to finish the book. I'd be half stung God. I'd be on that big chief uh, bicycle pedaling like crazy before the blue-haired matron would get there. She'd open up at 5 o'clock in the morning before it was light outside.
She'd be counting all the books that came in that night depository box. And if the books were not there by 5 in the morning, she'd be coming to your house. And she didn't have a warrant or a subpoena like in Mar-a-Lago. Oh, hell no. She'd be outside with a bullhorn. I want that book now. You did not want to deal with the blue-haired matron from the library. Library. Whatever the hell they call it. Rather deal with the cops from the 69th Precinct than the librarian. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Carol, who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Carol. Hi there, Curtis. You know, it must have been about 10 years ago that a fatwa, is that how it's pronounced, fatwa? They called that against Alan Rushdie, and he could have been killed years and years ago over this uh, satanic person. I am sure, Carol, that there were probably attempts that we are unaware of that just didn't pan out where they got their um, their agents uh, and they filtered mm-hmm. into the uh, the atmosphere because he was living in the Union Square area, 14th Street near Washington, near Union Square Park. And uh, he wasn't hiding. He didn't have security here in New York City. He was walking about. He was going to parties. He's like right. uh, Eric Adams right. going to nightclubs and night parties <laughs> till the break of dawn. Always snacking on young women. You know, uh, they were into poetry, acting, uh, you know, as long as they were into the arts. But this guy was not uh, not hiding out in his hobble, that's for sure. That's true. He did lose sight in one of his eyes. Yeah. That did th- happen to him. That, yeah. th- that appears, Carol, to be the case. We, we wish the best for him. And we hope uh, it does not uh, send... Uh, Send a signal to so many others who write controversial works uh, that certain Muslims uh, feel are blasphemous uh, against uh, Muhammad and Allah. As I would say, tough noogies is American free speech. Tough noogies. And if you go out and you do something like this guy did, this 24-year-old uh, sycophant and lackey of uh, the Ayatollah Khomeini, I would have no problem. You know, after, obviously, a court case, give him a due process, he'll take the fifth, right? I will not speak. You know, the only the only speech that can be made is in Tehran uh, at the feet of the Ayatollah Khomeini. They put him on the Paradise Express, zoom him on up to Al-Assad. Give him his wish. He can have sex with 72 virgins. And then when he gets up there, he finds out, mm, psych, no virgins here. Anyway, let's go to Dave in Cleveland. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Dave. Curtis, first of all, partner, I got to say that was a Herculean task that you did last week with uh, taking over for Frank all week long. I mean, that, that just, you should win a Marconi Award for that. And it was just, it was awesome. You know, that was just tremendous. Dave, I want you to know he is an ingrate. He has not yet thanked uh, not just me, but our whole team here, Broadway Bill uh, Lee and also uh, Avery. He uh, disparages Avery every chance he gets. You would have thought upon his return, which was late to begin with, uh, that he would have reached out to us, if nothing more, by text or email, say, hey, guys, thanks for, for holding it down for the other side of midnight. We got bupkis. We got ugats. I, I can't believe there's not pizza in the studio right now for y'all. No, no pizza for us. Let me tell you, you know what he does, though, Dave? 
He has this egg salad. He puts it in the refrigerator. It's like uh, I always uh, had fights with salmonella in Bensonhurst when I was growing up, but this is the real salmonella. I mean, it's it's toxic, and he knows that Avery can't resist eating egg salad. So here's Avery. He gets the Ritz crackers. He starts eating the egg salad, and the next thing you know, he's got ptomaine poisoning. Hi, Dios mio. Yeah. Yeah, and he does it every – it's like clockwork. He leaves it at the end when he's uh, done his last tour of duty uh, early Friday morning, and he lets everybody know, I've left egg salad in the kitchen. And wait till you hear what he says later on about this, Dave. It is going to rock your world. You're supposed to burp it or something, he says you got to do – got to burp it every hour or whatever. The, tu- the Tupperware, that's right. He says every hour you have to burp the Tupperware because the noxious gases are developing uh, in the egg. You know, it smells like rotten eggs, like sulfur. It's just totally high maintenance. You know, I, not nothing against the guy. Like I said, I listen to him, and he's pretty sharp. And uh, But, I mean, when he had that uh, Julian Assange's brother on, I mean, I thought they were going to start start singing Phil Oak song together. It was just totally pinko commie. It's like, dude, that Julian Song guy, you know how many servicemen that guy got killed by proxy? I mean, it's like, and it's the same thing like with this Alan Rushdie guy. Like, he's like a total no-name author. I mean, yeah, you know, he, he made millions off of doing, writing that Pulp Fiction. You know, I'm not getting behind the guy that stabbed him, but, like, if you're going to say something or if you're going to do something like that, like, you know, you're stepping on a lot of toes, you know what I'm saying? Like. Yeah, but Dave, Dave, you have to know Frank the way I know Frank. When he interviews Julian Assange, it's really because he wants an interview with Pam Anderson. That's really his goal. As you see, he is obsessed in trying to get an interview with former Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard of Hawaii, who ran for the presidency, the Democratic nomination. And she's like ready to report him as a stalker. I mean... When he went to Hawaii for his uh, brother Alexander, by the way, he spells it the Russian way, not the uh, Italian way, Alexander's Uh. wedding, he spent half of his time trying to find Tulsi Gabbard. She is a a Hindu. He was going to ashrams. He knows nothing about the Hindu faith, trying to score an interview with her. He is obsessed in trying to get Tulsi Gabbard to interview on the other side of midnight. Uh. And you know what really bothered him the other day? Tucker Carlson apparently was on vacation. And you know who was substituting for him in the New York studios of Fox News? Huh. Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard. It drove him nuts because oh. they wouldn't let him in. They wouldn't let him up to the third floor so he could talk to her and try to secure an interview. And you know what else, Curtis? I got a theory going now, partner. The reason why he's beating you in ratings is because the, the, uh, the ratings comes from listening on, on, the, on, the, on, the, on the computers and such. Yes. And you know all in New York. They all got you on all night long, but it's on the radio. Like the guys working in the factory and all that, and that doesn't come up in the ratings. That is true. Uh, my listeners uh, listen old school style, the terrestrial radio, what we grew up with. Roger. The car radio, the van radio, the truck radio. Frank Morano's listeners, he has programmed them to listen on the laptop and their workspace computer. So he gets credit for that. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and, you know, I mean, King of New York, all night long, King of New York, King of New York. I, I mean, on the weekends, there's nothing else but the King of New York on WABC. Wait, and, Dave. And, I mean, like I said, that. Wait till you hear what he says later on about who he is in the world of radio. You know, um, Sid Rosenberg is, I think it's fair to say he has certain narcissistic tendencies, right? He's got nothing on Frank Morano. When you hear what Frank Morano says later, you will say this guy needs a crane to get him in and out of the studio. He's got such a humongous ego. Now, he wasn't birthed that way by his mother, Stephanie, and his father, Carmine. They kept him very level-headed. But here, once he got to WABC, once the suits, the mockers, the muckety-mucks started to fill his mush brain with the idea that he is the here and now of talk radio, he is the golden calf, he is the future of talk radio, how do you bring him back to the farm when he's been to Cape Harry, right? Now, I don't know if he's gay, but I think you all understand what I'm saying. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. When we return, we must introduce many of you to the moment that Larry David had a fatwa issued against him by the Ayatollah Khomeini. Entertaining and informative. Curtis Lewa, Talk Radio 77, WABC. Morning has broken like the first morning. Blackbird has spoken like the first Can you believe this? I used to listen to Cat Stevens. Yep, I love this song. Morning is Broken. And remember, all of you, I'm taking you to the break of dawn. But he was a good folk singer back then. I remember Carly Simon, Cat Stevens, James Taylor. There were others, but they were sort of like uh, as good as he gets. And then he just flipped the script. Yusuf Islam, radicalized Shia, actually said, if given the opportunity, he would have killed Salman Rushdie and fulfilled the fatwa of Alatola Khomeini. And the factoid that a lot of people don't know is that Cat Stevens had tuberculosis in the U.K. when he was growing up. Boy. You know, I, I expect to hear of a new wave of tuberculosis. I mean, we're getting everything. Polio, right? Monkeypox. New variants of COVID-19. You know it's coming. Anyway, uh, got to say that, you know, you like Seinfeld. I know a lot of people like Seinfeld. Oh, by the way, Avery, uh, as a Euro-Asiatic black man, I understand that you uh, give permission to the brothers and sisters out there to ri- watch uh, Seinfeld, even though the mass majority of those in the show and those who watch the show are, as you describe them, the McWhitey Whiteys, correct? Yeah. I mean, making the vast majority is an understatement. Okay. Uh, do you allow the brothers and sisters, though, to watch Curb Your Enthusiasm with Larry David? Oh, he's way, like, yeah, absolutely. Like, the brothers are real with that. Oh, okay. The brothers are real with that. Well, check this out. Here was Larry David, who, um, guy's brilliant. Eccentric, the recluse, but brilliant. 
Here he is. He's on the Jimmy Kimmel Show promoting the musical he's just written called Fatwa. Larry David, who you may know as the co-creator of Seinfeld, went on Jimmy Kimmel Live last night to talk about his new musical called Fatwa, in which the Ayatollah is one of the main characters. He has a small harem. Uh, he has a fetish for redheads. And twice a year, he goes to Ireland on a harem shopping spree. Today, the Ayatollah Abdullah Khazamani of Iran has accused Larry David of blasphemy, issuing an actual fatwa, and calling for the death of the comedian. Wow. So then Larry David is getting into a conversation with his agent as the Ayatollah has taken to the TV airspace. And everybody knows that he has issued a fatwa on Larry David's head. So I call on valiant Muslims, wherever they may be, to kill Larry David without delay. What? And whoever may die in this cause will be a martyr. No! I'll repent! I'll be first! Even if Larry David repents, he will be condemned to death. Uh, I'll convert! Even if Larry David converts to Islam, he should still be sent to hell. You got a and then he and his agent go to the United Nations to meet with the uh, U.S. deputy in charge of foreign relations, and they discuss fatwa by association. Well, the FBI takes this very seriously, but it's nothing that you really need to worry about. That's so easy for you to say. I bet the Ayatollah mentioned my name. I was on television screaming my name. Look at the Larry David. Larry David. I'm doing Spanish, it sounds like. Larry David. Quick question. Um, what about friends of people that have fatwas? Fatwa by association. Is that? Do I associate with you? Yeah. Okay. Want to know what my situation is? Fatwa by association. What do you know about it? You're fine as well. I am. You're fine. Hi. I got an idea. I go on the Jimmy Kimmel show. And I apologize. I apologize to the Ayatollah. You think I didn't think of that? I've already talked to the Kimmel show. They want nothing to do with you. This whole thing's falling apart. Every fatwa producer has called me. <laughs> this is all dead. Every fatwa producer has called me. Fatwa by association. Can I hear that again? Uh, the U.S. Uh, delegate dealing with uh, foreign affairs at the United Nations as he talks with Larry David and his agent about fatwa by association. Well, the FBI takes this very seriously, but it's nothing that you really need to worry about. That's so easy for you to say. I bet the Ayatollah mentioned my name. I was on television screaming my name. I'm doing Spanish, it sounds like. Larry David. Quick question. Um, what about friends of people that have fatwas? Fatwa by association. What kind of is that? Do I associate with you? Yeah. Okay. Want to know what my situation is? Fatwa by association. What do you know about it? You're fine as well. I am. You're fine. Hey. I got an idea. I go on the Jimmy Kimmel show. And I apologize. I apologize to the Ayatollah. You think I didn't think of that? I've already talked to the Kimmel show. They want nothing to do with you. This whole <laughs> thing's falling apart. Every fatwa producer has called me. This is all dead. 
Every fatwa producer. And then what uh, happens, Larry David goes incognito in costume and with a wig on, a total different look. He's in a restaurant. It looks clearly like the Upper West Side, not far from where I live, and share an apartment with my wife, uh, Nancy, and our 18 rescue cats. can almost, like, identify that restaurant. I think we've been there before. But the comedian walks in, Richard Lewis. Oh, my God. I hope he's still not on heroin. Oh, man. He looks a mess. But then he has a conversation with... uh, Larry David, who's trying to stay incognito so he doesn't get whacked due to the fatwa that's been imposed on his head. I got an idea. I go on the Jimmy Kimmel show, and I apologize. I apologize to the Ayatollah. You think I didn't think of that? I've already talked to the Kimmel show. They want nothing to do with you. This whole thing's falling apart. Every fa- yeah, I see uh, you're off, uh, you're off your, your game here. Broadway, Bill Lee. That's right, but 48. You need to go to 48. Hey. What are you doing? What am I doing? I'm wearing a disguise. You think that's going to help? Yeah, well, it couldn't hurt. What am I supposed to do? Disguises have been employed effectively in the past. Tyra Banks dressed up as a fat person on our show to see what it was like being fat. Needless to say, it wasn't very pleasant. Have you ever seen Undercover Boss? The guy goes undercover. Nobody even knows who he is. He's the boss of the whole company. He fools everybody. Well, you know what the good news is? I'm still alive. <laughs> you know what? That's, that's not funny. You know, not funny. You know, you're a comedian. You should be able to take a joke. Were you comparing this to your dead parakeet? Nothing compares to my dead parakeet. Yeah. Wow, Richard Lewis. He looks like Lou Reed. Walk on the dark side. I, what the hell happened to Richard Lewis? I know, I think he was strung out on heroin for a time, but man, looks like a Mack truck hit him. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Max in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Max. Yes, sir. Uh, uh, don't worry, I won't say, I won't ask uh, how you're doing, and I won't uh, say thank you for taking my call. Um, two questions here. Whose feet did Salman Rushdie step on uh, with uh, satanic verses that they want to kill him? What did he actually say in it? And two, what do you think about these 87,000 um, IRS workers who are being trained to shoot people? Well, I think they're coming to audit you first before they shoot you. But uh, they, many of them are being told they have to have to be able to strap on a gun, uh, be able to carry a concealed, uh, have a concealed permit. Uh, so you're right about that. Let me deal with the last question first. Uh, what do I think of the 87,000 uh, IRS agents that are part of this new legislation that barely made its way through the Senate and the House due to Manchin uh, flip-flopping? Well, it's clear they're not just going after the billionaires and millionaires, because we know a lot of them park their money overseas, the Cayman Islands, Swiss bank accounts, uh, Panamanian bank accounts uh, in foreign locales to try to avoid uh, having to pay their fair share of taxes. But the mass number of these IRS agents are going to go after uh, upper middle class, middle class, and lower middle class people who pay the bulk of the taxes because... Uh, poor and indigent people, they, they pay sales tax, but they, they don't really pay any other sa- uh, tax. 
So it's really the middle class that's going to be under siege by these IRS agents who no doubt will probably have a quota. They'll probably have a quota imposed upon them in terms of how many audits they have to do. And just going to a person and saying that you are under an IRS audit, uh, many people will have heart attacks. It's really meant to shake down more nickels, dimes, and pennies uh, to be an intimidating force. But it will have absolutely no impact on the wealthy or the rich. They know how to shelter their money. They know how to hide their money. And if necessary, they'll pack up and move to uh, foreign environs. Now, that's the IRS. Now, in terms of uh, what the book Satanic Versus was about, uh, it's a novel. So uh, it was not about any factual event that had taken place. uh, But he had uh, used the the, uh, Sikhs who uh, were in the midst of having uh, battles uh, with the uh, Gandhi administration in India. uh, And they were hijacking planes. And so these two brothers uh, hijacked a plane. Uh, it was sort of like the story of Cain and Abel, why they did it uh, in the course of the, the novel itself. Uh, purists, uh, those who are strong ideological belief, uh, mostly Shias, not so much the Sunnis, said that the Salman uh, Rushdie was uh, blaspheming uh, Muhammad, the messenger. And as a result, uh, the word spread. There were riots. People who tried to uh, translate uh, satanic uh, 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 into uh, foreign languages uh, were being preyed upon and attacked. Uh, Those who tried to uh, translate it into Italian, uh, they were attacked. Uh, Norwegian, they were attacked. Uh, Japanese, they were attacked. So there were a series of attacks uh, that had followed the uh, publication of Satanic Verses. Okay. Thank you, Curtis. And it's all interpretation. Uh, you know, one person can read it and say, ah, he wasn't dissing and dismissing Muhammad. Somebody else looks at it and says, oh, my God, this is blasphemous. Uh, you know, death to Salman Rushdie. Our number is one 800 Let's go to Larry, who's calling from Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Larry. Hey, Curtis. Uh, so, first of all, um, Barney Miller show, um, Hal Linden, I had no idea how talented he was. I saw him, I went to see Don Rickles at the Westbury Music Fair, and Hal Linden was the opening act. He was a song and dance man. He was fantastic. He rocked the place. Who knew? Who knew? This was Bonnie Miller, just a, a, a TV detective. Fantastic. Wow. Now. Well, I, I will tell you this. Uh, in a lot of these sitcoms and a lot of these dramas, especially on TV and sometimes in movies, we have no idea the talent that these men and women bring to the stage because they're only being asked to do one thing, which is memorize lines or read lines and play a particular part. Uh, uh, I had mentioned, and we're going to play it again later when we talk about Frank Morano, uh, the uh, scene out of Deer Hunter with uh, Robert De Niro and uh, Christopher Watkins, you know, who's like the, the crazy guy. That guy's a phenomenal dancer. I mean, you're talking uh, 
Gene Kelly-style dancing. And I would never have known that if I hadn't looked at a video of a group uh, of no consequence in the electronic uh, dance uh, music world, the EDM world. I just happened to look at it. I said, wow, look at Christopher. This guy is flying all over the place. And uh, recently, uh, uh, with the passing uh, of Paulie Vario, I forgot his name momentarily, but he played the Lucchese leader in Goodfellas. He was a phenomenal dancer. He was a uh, singer of uh, great uh, renown, an opera singer. And so there are a lot of times we're not exposed to the phenomenal amount of talent that some of these actors and actresses bring, uh, you know, to the stage. They just never really have much of an opportunity to expose an audience to all their talents, as you, uh, you certainly learned from Hal Linden. Another subject I'm calling about um, a town on Long Island that you're very familiar with, Brentwood, Long Island. Um, you and I are the same age. From the time I was 20 years old to my early 60s, I spent more time in Brentwood than anywhere else. We're both 68. We're Caucasian. I never saw crime. I never saw Curtis, I never saw anything except, and you know better than I do, okay? Well, now, I don't know if you're referring to Pilgrim State that used to be right there between Brentwood and Central Islip. No, I'm talking about the town of Brentwood. Hmm. Um, I I actually saw you. You put on a presentation at the Brentwood Library. I was three. I was three minutes by foot, and I went to see you at the library. Put on a discussion, and you were fantastic. Um, yeah, that was the uh, time. Remember that MS thirteen was just almost in complete control there. Brentwood Central Islip. I was also talking about crime dance, or what I call the dance, uh, wine dance, another problematic area. Uh, I will tell you this, uh, when Donald Trump uh, flew in on Air Force One with his attorney general and Congressman Peter King uh, went to the federal courthouse and waged war on MS-13, you have not uh, seen them uh, as prominently uh, as they were prior in the administration of Barack Obama, who considered them to be the JV of street gangs, uh, the... uh, Trump administration treated them very seriously and had a very strong impact on denying them the growth uh, that they had. It became an international gang. People don't realize there was MSN, MS-13 in uh, Cairo, Egypt. Now, how did the hell they get to Cairo, Egypt? Because of the narcotics trafficking that they were controlling out of Central America, Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. And other places you would not have anticipated that there would be elements of uh, MS-13. Barack Obama, his attorney general, did nothing, uh, just like they did nothing with ISIS, treated them like the JV of terrorists. They proved not to be JV. Likewise with MS-13, Trump administration took them very seriously and used every resource that they could. And they were being combated against that by Andrew Evilized Cuomo who was referring to ICE as thugs, would not share any information, and ICE was able to track MS-13 as they would trek back and forth across the border. 
That's why you have to work with the feds. And they were extraordinarily effective in breaking the back of MS-13 and 18th Street, the uh, Mexican gang. that definitely had uh, dug in the Brentwood Central Islip and uh, what some people call crime dance, or as I call the dance. 1-800-848-9222. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. It's not time to make a change. Just sit down, take it slowly, you're still young. Very tempted, Broadway Bill Lee, to make this the theme song of the podcast that we have here at WABC, Father and Son, featuring Anthony and yours truly. You go to WABCradio.com, you can see and uh, listen. Dan Anthony discuss uh, any number of subjects with yours truly. And uh, I recommend it highly. You see how a father and son bond so important out there today in which uh, so many young men are getting into double trouble, no matter what background they come from. But I don't know if I can use this. He, he was so good, Cat Stevens, and then he becomes Yusef uh, Islam, and he just declares war on Western civilization. That on Salman Rushdie. In 1993, to show you how crazy these Shias are, the Shia extremists, that's why anyone who would pledge themselves to uh, hurt or kill Salman Rushdie, uh, I mean, I would just uh, give them the easy pass, put them on, on the uh, Paradise Express, zoom them on up to Allah's side, see if they can find the 72 virgins that they're lusting for. But in July of 1993, the Turkish novelist Aziz Nesin, who had published a translated excerpt from the Satanic Verses in a local Turkish newspaper, narrowly escaped death when a crowd of militants burned down a hotel in eastern Turkey where he was staying in an attempt to kill him. But that was just a small part of it. The author Nesin, who was then 78, escaped the building via a firefighter's ladder. But 37 other writers who had gathered at the hotel to discuss ways of promoting secularism died in the blaze. A Turkish court, I'm sure it involved Erdogan at that point, the totalitarian dictator of Turkey now, later sentenced 33 people to death for their roles in the attack. In 1993, the Norwegian publisher of the Satanic Verses, William Nagyard, was shot three times outside of his home in Oslo. He made a full recovery and went on to reprint the book in total defiance. In 2018, the Norwegian police filed charges in the case two days before a deadline that would have foreclosed prosecution. They declined to name the suspects or specify how many had been charged. In most of these countries, where there was blowback against anybody involved in doing translation, translating or publishing at any level of satanic verses, there was a fear to capture and prosecute the violators because the thought was you would be antagonizing the Ayatollah Khomeini and the Iranian zealots. As I would say, tough noogies. Let's go to Tom in Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Tommy. Hey, Curtis. Yeah, I, I lived in your old neighborhood in Forest Hills. 
I ran into you a few times. I just want to pay homage to my father, who was a, uh, for 30, over 30 years uh, a housing cop. And he spent the last seven years. Now, you're street smart, and you know that what he did was amazing. He, um, the last seven years of his career was, and he died, like, recently. And he, he spent in Fort Greene, Brooklyn. He was in the, the, you know, seven years in the midnight shift. So you know what that's like. And he, like, uh, just give you a, just a, a, give me 15 seconds. I'm going to tell you, I got robbed in Chelsea, Manhattan. And he's even working in Manhattan. And in two to three months, he found out who robbed me and got my, my wallet back. Can you imagine that? Wow. You're talking to your dad, an excellent gumshoe yeah, cop. My dad was a legend. He's a living legend. I'm going to tell you his name, Thomas Townsend. Thomas Townsend. He worked as, as, as a housing cop for over 30 years. He started in the 60s. Well, and, I, and I, he, I would say uh, the uh, most difficult job of a housing cop, because I've been in enough of the housing projects, uh, and the precincts are called PSAs is having to do verticals, having to go up and down the stairwells. Man, that takes uh, a lot out of your knees. And if you're doing an effective job of patrolling the housing complexes, of which uh, there are so many in the city of New York, it requires that you do the verticals. And I'm sure Tommy wasn't looking forward to doing the verticals, but uh, it's something that had to be done if you're going to keep a project safe and secure. You know, he used to say that they would actually pour piss from the windows on the cops. Yep. They would do that. Yeah, so, you know, it's a two-way street. People want to know about public relations, about cops and people and whatnot. You can't have that, you know. But it's he even said, listen, my father... God, he's a legend. I love him. And, and and it's over 30 years he spent. And he told me that 90, almost 95% of the people at Rogers loved him. Loved him. So it's, it's, it's a two-way street. You can't, but people don't, they're not aware of the other side of things that what's going on. You know, when you're pouring piss on the friggin' I mean, the tower of whatever, you know, on your on the, on the cops, you can't. How do you expect to have respect both ways? How? Well, Tom, in addition to that, people would airmail garbage down. Uh, they would throw furniture out the window. Uh, being a housing cop, I would say, out of the uh, three tours that you might have, transit, uh, streets, Uh, assigned to a PSA housing, that is the most difficult job. Because you're in those stairwells where a lot of the troublemakers are, the homeboys and homegirls, and they're up to no good. They're mugging a lot of the people who live in the projects, 
They're vandalizing the elevators uh, so people can't go up and down. They're forced to use the stairwells. He who controls the stairwells will control the public safety of the projects. And unfortunately, of late, I don't see the cops uh, doing the verticals in the public housing projects. They haven't done that in a long, long time. Up next, now you're going to find out why so many people, uh, men, are getting vasectomies. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. This is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa. that is being published has said that Bernie the Altacaca Sanders is a sexist and a misogynist and said he is the responsible person for all the Bernie bros out there who uh, vilely were uh, taking on women, especially uh, the aide-de-camps in her campaign. Boy, she hates Bernie Bros, and she hates Bernie the Altacaca Sanders. She claims because of his sexism and because he is a masochist. Masochist? <laughs> Not a masochist. <laughs> a misogynist. That it cost her the election against Donald Trump. A uh, little bit of exaggeration, but she's not alone. She's joined by her sister in solidarity, Elizabeth Warren who thought, uh, remember, that she had uh, blood of the Cherokee Nation down in uh, Oklahoma and was uh, part Cherokee, which he was not. But Elizabeth Warren now blames losing the 2020 Democratic primary on the fact that she does not have a schlong. I kid you not. Elizabeth Warren's latest claim involves her lack of a penis and how it cost her her political career. Warren blamed her third-place finish in the Democratic primaries on not having a schlong while speaking at an NBC News correspondent event. Quote, everyone comes up to me and says, I would vote for you if you had a penis. Do we really think that people are walking up to Elizabeth Warren, at least during the Democratic primary, when she was running against Buttigieg, 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 Cory Booker, where's your boo, Cory? And Bernie, the Altacaca Sanders, do we really believe 
Then when she went from Iowa to South Carolina to Las Vegas to Nevada, the people were coming up to her and saying, you know, I would vote for you if you had a penis. That is crazy. So now join with his sister in solidarity, the estrogen and the feathers are flying. So you got Hillary claiming that misogyny and sexism were contributing factors in her upset loss to Donald Trump, all of it spurred by Bernie the Altacocca Sanders and his Bernie bros. And Elizabeth Warren is saying, yeah, Bernie exacerbated the situation. And people would come up to me and say, Elizabeth, I like your politics. I like your liberal and progressive views. I like the fact that you taught at Harvard University. But you don't have a schlong. I can't vote for you. Wow. Women are on the warpath. Hold on to your three-piece set, gentlemen. Time to put the jockstrap on. Be careful. I warned you. I warned you over and over again. When the United States Supreme Court, by a vote of 6-3, repealed Roe v. Wade, there was going to be a hell of a price to pay. You remember Broadway Bill Lee and Avery? There were a series of femme fatale gatherings. Lots of estrogen was being expanded into the atmosphere. Well, now I tell you what the results were. There was a move to deprive men of sex. Women were saying if this is truly what the future is going to be, limiting a woman's right to have an abortion, Well, we are eliminating your right to have sex with women. And they just closed their legs and said they will not manually or orally satisfy any man. Tough noogies, uh, pleasurize yourself. And I knew this would take a toll. I knew men would not be strong enough to be able to withhold capitulating to women and becoming their Maytag. Let me give you an example. Mike Prignan. A 28-year-old comedian based in New Jersey got a vasectomy and posted the process on TikTok. He took a close shave to his three-piece set. His doctor off camera could be heard saying, a little pinch here. Meantime, he was wincing his eyes shut tight behind his glasses, bracing for pain. He said, oh, that's not nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. The video of his vasectomy has now been viewed more than two million times, and the response has been overwhelmingly positive by femme fatales women. The comments, which were mostly from women, were celebratory and encouraging. They thanked him for sharing his journey and for encouraging other men to go under the knife, chop, chop. Now, for some of you stunards, you're wondering, what the hell is a vasectomy? It's a quick outpatient surgical procedure that cuts the tube that carries the sperm. It's one of the most reliable and cost-effective forms of contraception available. With almost none of the side effects or complications of birth control methods that are geared towards women. Yet, it has remained relatively rare. Here in our country, an estimated 500,000 men get the procedure each and every year. Some surveys suggest roughly 5 to 6% of men between 18 and 45 have gotten the procedure, as opposed to roughly 20% of women 
age 15 to 49, who have gotten their tubes tied. What about a reversal? Well, it doesn't always work. Middle-aged married fathers make up the bulk of those who have gotten vasectomies with less than 2% of unmarried men relying on vasectomy for contraception. Ten urologists across the United States said that they have seen a notable uptick in bookings for the procedure this summer, especially amongst younger child-free men whose resolve to not reproduce appears to have sharpened in the face of a precarious economy, worsening climate change, and most importantly, the repeal and overturn of Roe v. Wade. Let me take you back into that park, Union Square Park. It was just hours after the decision was announced from the deep inner sanctums of the United States Supreme Court by 6-3 majority. The repeal of Roe v. Wade. Right after that, searches for vasectomy on Google skyrocketed and surged because women were demanding that not only men have vasectomies, but they would not provide sexual gratification to them. There was one woman, one woman alone, who scared the bejeevers out of men. I once again want to recall exactly how virulent she was. I mean, my God, if you were listening to her and you were hot to trot, you might opt to become a homosexual and give up your heterosexual lifestyle. I kid you not, this woman was fire and brimstone. She looked like uh, a little hydrant, a little Johnny Pump. And she was breathing fire and brimstone out of her, out of her, uh, out of her nasal uh, passages. Her schnoz, man, was like on fire. I just want to take you back into time. Speeches as she gave, denunciations as she gave, is what has uh, caused so many men to go under the knife. Rolling back the clock on women's rights. And bodily autonomy is pathetic! You f***ing cervicals love fetuses! You love fetuses! You are pro-birth! You are pro-amniotic sex because fetuses can't talk and they can't vote against you. But they make a good narrative for your election campaign! Pathetic! Wow. Boy, traditional masculinity... You would lose it all right there after that woman was, like, breathing on you. But it has spread all across the nation, ladies and gentlemen. Man, you have decided to capitulate, fold like a cheap camera, to the demands of your women folk who have said, no nookie nookie, no copulation, no fornication, unless you get a vasectomy. It's vasectomy or no sex. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then this woman just kept going on and on, almost to the break of dawn. Women who have to make a horrifying decision of their life versus the fetus. Most of the time, it's a clump of cells. Cells. 
all women get to relive their sexual assaults for life or are tied to their assailant. Wow. Now tell me, guys out there, how many of you would want to procreate after uh, a denunciation like that? You know, Frank Morano says, I do denunciations. Not like that. And then she denounced all of mankind by saying men care more about their damn freaking guns than about what happens to women folk. You care more about your damn guns than you do a woman's life. Proof every damn day. FYI, there are children in the foster care system that you won't adopt. So please tell me how you are pro-life. You are pro, I get my way. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. The specialists in this field, when brought together in a conference, uh, said that many of them started doing vasectomies about 40 years ago. Back then, if you went to a cocktail party and you brought up the subject of vasectomy, everybody might have looked at you a little weird. But the young men who called in to clinics across America after the repeal of Roe v. Wade and lectures and angry vitriolic screaming on the part of women to get a vasectomy all of a sudden understood that it was time to step up and whip it out and get a vasectomy. And for the man to take birth control into their very own hands, there was no pleasurizing, that's for sure. As experts said, they detected a notable attitudinal shift. Well, when you got a lady yelling at you and saying she's going to pray for you to become a eunuch, man, you know she's serious. I pray You never get another restless night's sleep in your life thinking about what you did to women. This is not over. Not by a long shot. How dare you? Karma does not forget. And she may take some time to come back around, but she will get to you. Not on my watch. Wow. I kid you. I I predicted this. I, I know that men would wuss out. They would fold like cheap cameras. They would lose their masculinity and start identifying themselves in 72 different gender identification forms. 72 different gender identification forms. As the rules of the snowflake generation indicate, the cancel culture, you at any given point of the day or the night could flip the script on your own gender identification. So let's say Avery started off the day. And he said, I'm grumpy, I'm a contrarian, I'm just so miserable. I'm going to be asexual. I I don't want to have any sex whatsoever. Okay, you've labeled yourself an asexual. By the evening, you might be getting a little frisky. All of a sudden, your estrogen uh, has been turned into testosterone, and you're no longer longer thinking uh, in a rational way. You're thinking with that uh, muscle below your navel. You know, you really should be thinking with that muscle between both your ears, but so many guys are guided by that muscle below their navel. And that's uh, that's Avery. And then all of a sudden you have this woman screaming 
like a banshee. I mean, it's got to cause a lot of guys to go limp. I, mean, I pray you never get another restless night's sleep in your life thinking about what you did to women. This is not over. Not by a long shot. How dare you? Karma does not forget. And she may take some time to come back around, but she will get to you. Not on my watch. Wow. A 2020 poll by Morning Consult found that almost 40% of millennials cited the cost of raising a child as a major reason for why they're not parents. And several recent surveys, including one published in 2020, have found the climate anxiety is increasingly shaping reproductive choices. Quote, it is damn near impossible to raise a family financially in this country at this point. It's also not particularly safe. Every day you turn on the news, it feels as though the country is burning. So why would I want to bring a child into the world for this? So what? what next? He would take his male member and put him on the chopping block. And his uh, wife, his girlfriend, uh, their associates, uh, when they have their Tupperware parties, they want to make sure that he has actually had a vasectomy before they give the green light to the girlfriend uh, to uh, engage in uh, sexual pleasurizing of this individual any longer. It has to be verifiable proof. So doctors have been asking their male patients why they were turning to vasectomies. And they said increasingly, these are mostly uh, these are mostly millennials. Uh, they said that they've been thinking about it for years. And the doctor's follow-up questions is, but why now? And they'll say, well, the Supreme Court. You see, the Supreme Court, the repeal of Roe v. Wade. Mark this on your calendar, Avery. Coming up is World Vasectomy Day. And every man must put his male member on the chopping block if he, too, is going to be a contributor to world peace, slowing down population growth, and making sure it is not only the chromosome XY that has to worry about forms of uh, contraception. Guy like Avery, all he's got to worry about is the Jimmy Cap. And, you know, sometimes the Jimmy Cap can be porous, can be leaking, uh, can uh, have uh, slight difficulty, which leads to uh, pregnancy and then eventually a shotgun wedding. Oh, yes, Avery, uh, I know you go to church every Sunday and the pastor, you're very loyal to the bishop and the pastor. And you know what they're going to tell you? Tough noogies. You should have kept your rocket in your pocket. You know what you Abstinence is your cure. Oh, my God. Also, uh, both of you, uh, Bill Lee, because uh, you are known to be pretty frisky uh, over at WCBS-FM over there. Quite a few of the uh, females said that you were always looking to chase some leg, score Let's some trim. That's right. Uh, you know what you are? Broadway, Billy, you would have to get a brosectomy. It's for men who want to get snipped together. 
when March Madness is taking place. NCAA action on the hardwood. So I'm going to set it up for both you and Avery to have a bro-sectomy. Because as you see, I'm not a bro. I'm a mighty whitey. I'm the Caucasian persuasion. I'm the snow bro. But I am not a full bro like you, Broadway Bill Lee, or Avery, a Euro-Asiatic proud black man. So just imagine you could be watching NCAA basketball action during March Madness and getting a vasectomy, a brosectomy. You see what I'm doing for both of you guys? You will no longer be a menace to females in the world. You will no longer have to worry about shotgun weddings. <laughs> what can I do? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And by the way, help is on the way. There is a uh, a corporate firm called Daddy Dogs. Have you ever heard of Daddy Dogs, Broadway, Bill Lee, Avery, Daddy Dogs? It's a hot dog truck based in Nashville, Tennessee. They announced on Instagram that it would be running a snip for shake deal, offering a free milkshake to men who can prove that they had a vasectomy. You got to whip it out. You got to show proof positive. Through the entire month of August, Close to 100 men showed up, many of them young, many of them straight from the clinic, doctor's notes in hand. My generation, right, the baby boomers, was like, don't mess with my manhood. Nowadays, this worst generation, the hipsters and millennials like Frank Diaz and the rest of you. You can act like a man. What's the matter with you? Nowadays, it's not such a crazy thing to do, is it? The stigma is starting to break. Curtis, you, you shoot from the hip. I mean, you, you, you ain't playing. Yeah, right. I ain't playing with my three-piece set, man. It may be, it may be uh, irreversible. Oh, my God. That screaming woman has caused so many men to put their male member on the chopping block. I told you when she got on that bully pulpit, when she got on her soapbox in Union Square Park, and she started screaming at men what the hell she was going to do on behalf of all women. Rolling back the clock on women's rights and bodily autonomy is pathetic. You conservatives love fetuses. You love fetuses. You are pro-birth. You are pro-amniotic sack because fetuses can't talk and they can't vote against you. But they make a good narrative for your election campaigns. Pathetic! I told you it would lead to guys capitulating and getting vasectomies to stiff. Oh, yeah. What happens if they miss their target? Hmm. You know, what is that, the fallopian tube or whatever that tube is they're talking about? I'm a little concerned because I notice Avery has retreated. He is uh, hes a little nervous here that all of a sudden we may take out the Ginzu Rambo knife and ask Rabbi Joe Potasnik blindfolded to give Avery a bris, which in itself is a form of a vasectomy if done incorrectly. But you can imagine the Moyle, the Moyle who will be blindfolded 
with a Rambo knife attempting to give you a vasectomy. And uh, don't worry about it. Everything will be copacetic. You'll just bleed a little bit. It's all right. I'm sure eventually you put a little iodine on it, you know, a few bandages. Uh, you'll self-heal. <laughs> what can I do? What can I do? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Eddie, who's calling from Babylon. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Eddie. Yes, hello, Eddie. Eddie got nervous. Oh, my God. Eddie got real nervous. Let me tell you what these women are doing out there, guys. Women have shared these videos of vasectomies 500 million times. There is a movement. This shrieking banshee woman that you hear is just a reflection of what many women are saying on a regular basis to their husbands, their boyfriends, to men at their workplace. I pray you never get another restless night's sleep in your life. Thinking about what you did to women. This is not over. Not by a long shot. How dare you? Karma does not forget. And she may take some time to come back around, but she will get to you. Not on my watch. Wow. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Apparently women are being trained in these videos to make elaborate care packages for their partners who are getting vasectomies. They create baskets full of regular snacks refashioned into innuendos. A box of ding-dongs, for example, reads, Sorry about your ding-dong. On Tinder, mentions of the phrase vasectomy in dating profiles surged this year by more than five times compared to the previous years. Because uh, men are basically being told, you don't have a vasectomy. You don't have this procedure done. You could forget getting any nookie-nookie. No shot of lake for you. No trim for you, pal. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Eddie in Westchester. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Eddie. Curtis, I've had better days. Oh, I've boy. Had <laughs> this is frightening. I, I, I've got a song for you, and then I need some advice from you, brother. Here's the song. Sometimes I think it's a shame when I get feeling better, when I'm feeling no pain. And so I'm out. I'm driving my Suburban. I get a flat tire. I know I have no spare. I don't have a jack. I gave up my AAA. Even though my old girlfriend was on it just recently, I'm reconsidering that. And I can't walk because I broke part of my foot. And I get to my house, and there's a fireman behind me. And he goes, don't get out of the car. I get out of the car, and a guy, big guy, takes me down, throws me. This is like a camera on my my buddy's uh, house uh, security camera. Throws me down on the ground, puts his knee on my neck. And wait till the police get there, and they arrest me. They arrest me. He's like, you want to take a DWI test? I go, what test? What? What I do? And they just bang me in the jail, 
<clears throat> and I'm in there for like 18 hours. I get bronchitis. And uh, the guy was not nice. He was like a prosecutor, a policeman. And you know, the cops weren't always nice to you. And that's what I felt. I'm like, I'm looking for a good lawyer. So. So I see you uh, charging them with a form of police brutality. Uh, fire department brutality? How can the fire department, like, pull you over and say, stay here, lay down, you know, don't move? And my dad was a fireman. I took the test, a seven-year test that went on forever, and I, I took it. I, I passed, but I went on, and my father said, stay in school. I became a nuclear medicine technologist, and then, uh, uh, and everything else. The well, always, I will tell fun. you, I will tell you, Eddie, uh, this is the week, the anniversary of uh, Ford creating the Model T in Highland Park in Detroit. That is a city within a city, as I've told you before. There are two uh, small cities within the huge city of Detroit. Highland Park, where the Model T was invented by Ford, and Hamtramck, the Polish uh, city that has the uh, statue of... Uh, Pope John Paul, uh, right at the outskirts. But in Highland Park, it's just one square mile long. The cops are also the firefighters. So they have uh, all the bunker pants and all the gear they need in the trunk of their police cars. So sometimes they have to multitask. Imagine. Part of the time, they're police officers. Other, other parts of the time, they're putting on the bunker pants, and they're prepared to forge into a building that has gone up in smoke. Man, that's multitasking. That is hard work. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Renee, who's calling from Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Renee. Yes, Curtis. Uh, encourage those gentlemen in the world. Don't listen to that woman about going to get a vasectomy. Why would they not listen? Uh, she... She is screaming. She is yelling at them. She is threatening them. Uh, this happened right after Roe v. Wade uh, uh, was uh, repealed by the United States Supreme Court, and she's been screaming ever since. I pray you never get another restless night sleep <laughs> in your life pray. thinking about what you did to women. She's. How's this woman going to pray and she's so miserable? She needs somebody to pray for her. Yeah, but this no. This woman is a poor, she's a very poor influence. Men got to rise up and, and, and get some backbone and don't listen to her. Rolling back the clock on women's rights and bodily autonomy <laughs> is pathetic. You <laughs> conservatives love fetuses. You love fetuses. You are pro-birth. You are pro-amniotic sex because fetuses can't talk and they can't vote against you. But they make a good narrative for your election campaign. Pathetic. Renee, it's been very effective. Men are getting vasectomies now who would never have even considered it before. It's going to turn around. Men going to come to their senses. Yeah, it's but turn around. sometimes turn around. once you get it, sometimes you can't reverse it. You know, Renee? No, I'm not talking about the. I'm talking about their thinking. Oh, those they, who haven't, those who haven't done it, 
they're going to start thinking and saying, I'm not going to listen to this woman. They're going to really, it's like a bulb going to go off in their head and say, I'm not going to listen to this woman. This That woman need help. She I has pray deep you problems. never get another restless night's sleep in your life. She's hardcore, Monet. It don't matter. They need, These men are listening to somebody who got problems. It's like they gave up to think that the woman they're with is the great whoever, whoever. There are women in the world other than whoever they allow themselves to be uh, entangled with right now. But as you know, as you know, Renee, many men, unfortunately, they don't think with the head that they have on their shoulders. They think with the head that is below their navel. Yeah, well, they need men. Oh, they need to really they sleeping right now. They need to get the light bulb turned on and realize that the women that they're with. It's not the end of the world. There are other women, 18 through 40 or whatever, these men who are getting this procedure done or contemplating doing it. There are women in the world who have much better character, views, and discipline. They just have a more healthier lifestyle and thinking than this lady. Yes. She's you like a, a, I don't know what to call her. Then you do a woman's life. Proof. Every damn Day, FYI, there are children in the foster care system that you won't adopt. So please tell me how you are pro-life. You are pro, I get my way. She need counseling. Mm. She need she need counseling, and she talking about praying. She needs somebody who really knows the words of prayer, who could pray for her now get her mind back. Do you think she may be in that point of her life, you know, that some women go through when all of a sudden they get ornery and angry and they start to get the hot sweats? Uh, and, uh, you know, it can be a difficult time for women, you know, that, that changeover that sometimes takes place. Because she sounds like, man, she is fired up. She is mad. Women who have to make a horrifying decision of their life versus the fetus. Most of the time, it's a clump of cells. Cells! So women get to relive their sexual assaults for life or are tied to their assailant. Men need to be leaders and not fall into these, uh, I don't know, traps, mental traps with these women. They just make bad choices. If they deal with women like her, no good. Think of it. Years ago, Renee, imagine if you would have suggested to a man that he get a vasectomy, what would he probably have said? See you later. <clears throat> That's probably what he would have said. See you later. Yeah. Now they're lining up. They're waiting oh. online at these clinics Oh. to get a vasectomy. All these, uh, you can walk right in. They call them uh, street corner doctor clinics. And the main thing they're asking for is a nip and a tuck. So these fellas are between 18 and about 40? Yeah, that's when, you know, they're very frisky. Well, I'm going to ask some people who really know how to pray, pray and stand in the gap for these young men that they get their mind back and they get away from women like her. Now, I have She needs help. I have, she needs help. I have suggested the old remedy, Renee, and old-timers know what I'm talking about, this new generation that have no idea. 
for years in order to control the uh, male, the desire to constantly have sex. Uh, if somebody was in a prison or somebody was in the military, uh, they would put saltpeter in their HO oatmeal, their Cheerios, and it would calm them down the rest of the day. I mean, it, it, it worked, and then all of a sudden they stopped doing it, Renee. This lady need help, and God help the men that follow through with her advice. And I hope, I hope they run out of uh, whatever they use to do this procedure. I hope they run out of the supply of it, so the men can't go line up anymore. Well, what they do is um, they use a knife. They sharpen it. It's like uh, when a uh, a moil gives a bris uh, to a person, they take off the foreskin. But in this case, if they make a mistake, they can't reverse it, Renee. That's the problem. Oh. Well, I hope these places, I don't know, I hope these places somehow, some they just run out of... Um run out of knives, run out of a local anesthesia, whatever, whatever. I don't know anything about that, but I hope it just comes to a point that they can't go through the procedure. They tell the fellas, I'm sorry. We have no supplies, so we can't do the procedure. Closed, out of business, not doing chop shop, none of that. Anyway, okay. Renee. I, well, you 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 seem to be a man who can encourage these men. No, I know you're a man, but it seems that you can encourage these men to think and don't go through with it. You can act like a man. What's the matter with you? Yeah. <laughs> well, I do have a influence uh, on a lot yeah. of young men. They, I can scare the bejeebers out of them. Uh, the problem is they're going to they're going to turn their fingers on me and they're going to say, well, why don't you lead and then we'll follow. You're leading by being a influential man. You're not listening, going the way of that luli luli lady. Just continue to be a leader, and hopefully these men will want to be a leader and not follow that woman. She is tearing it up. She is traveling the country now. She started in Union Square Park right after the repeal of Roe v. Wade. They now have her booked at speaking engagements all across the country. And after she gets finished with the men, they all are online. They're like little gerbils. Uh, you know, they just they just wait. Until they get their uh, uh, their procedure done. Well, who's censoring her? Uh, feminist groups, women uh, who are fighting back by claiming, "Hey, if we can't have an abortion, then guess what? You're going to have to have a uh, a vasectomy." These men are sh- these men are uh, shortchanging themselves by being with these women who think like her. They're women and. 18 to uh, men, 18, the women, 18 to 40, who don't have that kind of mindset. And they're normal, straight, healthy, thinking women. This woman uh, has lost her cause. She's really lost. Rolling back the clock on women's rights and bodily autonomy is pathetic. 
She was at an amphitheater outside of Chicago in the suburbs there. Uh, She spoke to a gathering of 12,000 people. They were packed in, uh, mostly women, but the women were dragging along their men folks. So boyfriends, husbands, you know, basically saying, that's it. You're not only here to hear her fire and brimstone, but you're here to get the vasectomy. They were doing vasectomies right there when she finished talking. Please. Well, okay, I feel badly for these men who married to women who think like this woman. Okay, they're stuck with that woman. For those who are not married, there are normal 18 to 40-year-old women who have a healthy thinking, not like this woman. So they need to ditch the gals they with, and hopefully they'll meet somebody who has straight thinking. I think that's uh, that's excellent advice, uh, Renee. Excellent advice. But, you know, how the new generation of men are, the hipsters, the millennials, Generation X, Y, Z, they're confused. At times, they don't know if they have XX chromosomes or XY chromosomes. Okay, there's still hope. I believe in hope. There's hope for them, 18 to 40. There's hope for those men who are not married, and those who are married, there's hope for them, too that they will know how to stand up and be a man and the head of their household and not give in to these foolish whims that their wife is following after that woman, whoever she is. What's that woman's name? She got a first name, I'm sure. What's her first name? Chadwick. Chadwick. Yeah, she really needs she she needs help. She needs counseling. And she's talking about praying. She needs someone to pray for her. How is she going to pray for somebody and she's giving such poor advice? She is definitely, she's not a leader when you really think about it. She is really not a leader. She needs help. And she's going into the ditch and everybody is following her. She needs I help. pray you okay, never I, get I, another I restless night's sleep I, in I, your I, life thank you for thinking your about what you did to women. God. Thank Keep you. being a leader, Mr. Curtis. Thank Keep you. being a leader. I'm, I'm, I'm going to continue to try to lead the way, uh, Renee, our number is one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. One eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Imagine over ten thousand people in this amphitheater outside of Chicago. Most of them women bringing their men folk along, and at the end of this woman screaming her guts out at them, they were lined up, lined up like gerbils, getting ready for the vasectomy. And they were told, do you want a blindfold? No blindfold? Our number is 1-800-848-WABC. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Baby, it's so far away. Well, there's a road. 
Hey, that's what Renee is saying. Guys, just love the one you're with. Don't be getting those vasectomies. Don't be neutering yourself. Don't be turning yourselves into eunuchs or into guys who are made tags to women. You heard Renee said, stand up, men. Don't be sl- pimp slapped around. Let's go to Spencer, who's calling all the way from Ohio. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Spencer. Hey, how's it tonight? Uh, just want to say thanks for having me on air. I listen to you guys every night after work. I got a bit of a commute uh, from Columbus. Uh, yeah, hilarious the uh, cut of the woman uh, screaming, um, Carmine or whatever her name was. Um, yeah, you know, whatever happened to just, uh, you know, like being a man, you know, hunting and fishing. Uh, I'm out here in uh, rural Ohio, and, you know, I grew up, uh, like, as an outdoorsman. You know, my dad and all his buddies, you know, they would, you know, take us on fishing trips and stuff. And I just feel like, you know, we need to get back to, you know, celebrating those kind of guys, those landed gentry type of um, people who, you know, have those outdoor skills and, I don't know. I think that's maybe the problem with society. Well, I got to tell you, Spencer, when you got a woman like that screaming and hooting and hollering, it sort of takes all the masculinity out of it. Me just listening to her, it just makes me no longer want to function as a male. You care more about your damn guns than you do a woman's life. Proof every damn day. FYI, there are children in the foster care system that you won't adopt. So please tell me how you are pro-life. You are pro, I get my way. Who raised it? So you see, she's, she's saying we're pro, we get our way, and we value guns more than we value women folk. Yeah, um, you know, I, um... I don't know. I, there's a lot to be said, I guess. Um, you know, my mom actually um, worked um, in a, you know, she talked, um, you know, like-minded, like abortion-minded, like girls, like out of having their abortions. And so they would, you know, I think that, you know, um, people deserve life. You know, I think that it's okay that Roe v. Wade was overturned um, in a lot of ways. I think that, you know, you know, children are beautiful, and, you know, I'm out here, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, there's, like, uh, some of those old Rankin and Bass movies where, you know, the children are all gone. You know, what would our world look like? Oh, I know, but, boy, it has launched a torrent of anger towards men. This woman's angry towards men. She's fired up. I pray you never get another restless night's sleep in your life thinking about what you did to women. This is not over. Not by a long shot. How dare you? Karma does not forget. And she may take some time to come back around, but she will get to you. Not on my watch. It's the president of the... Oh, you know about the early days at the Kimberly Diamond Mines? Do you know what they did to the native workers who stole diamonds? Don't worry, they didn't kill them. That would be like junking a Mercedes just because it had a broken spring. No, if they caught them, they had to make sure they could go on working. But they also had to make sure they could never run away. 
The operation was called hobbling. Whatever you think I'm not doing, please don't do it. I need for God. Now you can identify yourself by 72 different gender identifications. And you must be respected at that moment, whatever you feel you are at that exact moment of the day. Avery, Broadway Billy, I would have to accept that. Even though momentarily you may decide to change, change your mind. Take a walk on the Anyway, let's side. go to the phones. It's uh, Isabella calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Isabella. Hi, Curtis. The, that woman that's screaming, at one point she screamed out the opposite of what she wanted to say. She said she meant to say, may you never get another restful night's sleep. She said restless night's sleep. Who mm. wants a restless night's sleep? Yeah, she doesn't want men sleeping at all. She just... But she but she said, may you never get another restless. Ah. Who wants a, a restless night's sleep? She I meant, pray may you never, get, you another never get another restless night's sleep in your life. Wow. She, she meant restful. Now, what do you think has created that anger in her that she's screaming, <laughs> Isabella? Oh, she wants to control the world, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess she figures, uh, you know, she just uh, wants men to understand she's in charge. Right, right. Can, but, would, would but men, she, do you know men who basically would capitulate to this, would completely be controlled by a woman like this? No, I don't think so, no. Oh, I, the, way she's, the way she's screaming would scare a man off. Well, want to do what she says. you would be surprised. There are men that I know of, if they heard her screaming. <laughs> you care more about your damn guns than you do a woman's life. Proof <laughs> every damn day. FYI, there are children in the foster care system that you <laughs> won't adopt. So please tell me how you are pro-life. You are pro, I get my way. 
there are some guys who grew up in a household, like Harvey Weinstein, where their mother was always yelling at them. So they're mm. used to being yelled at, if not by the mother, the father, or the older brother, the older sister. And they equate that with love. So if all right. of a sudden they were with a woman like this screaming, just women who have to make a horrifying decision of their life versus the fetus. Most of the time it's a clump of <laughs> cells. Cells. So women get to relive their sexual assaults for life or are tied to their assailant. So there are some guys out there, Isabella, who would make the connection that that woman really loves them. Right, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, they don't know anything else. They just knew growing up they were being yelled at by their mother, their father, or their older brother, their older sister, everybody shouting at one another in their household. So there's the equation that that, that is love. So they seek that. So when all of a sudden they come across a woman like this, they're like their heart is beating. They're like they fall in love, Isabella. Rolling back the clock on women's <laughs> rights and bodily autonomy is pathetic. Imagine is saying, yeah, "This is scary. the woman. That's scary. This is the woman of my dreams. <laughs> She's not a nightmare. Life versus the fetus. Most of the time, it's a clump of cells. Cells. So women get to relive their sexual assaults for life, or are tied to their assailants." <laughs> I know, Isabella, there are men out there right now who are getting turned on who are saying, God, if I can only find a woman like that in my life. I pray you never get another restless night's sleep in your life. Uh, well, Isabella, you know, takes all types in this world, right? Including... Frank Morano's of the world. Oh, yeah, we're getting to that gobble. It's another side of midnight. Here's Curtis Lewa. I like to be in America. Okay, by me in America. Ah, Broadway, Bill Lee, uh, I guess you want to talk about immigration. Uh, I want to talk about eating it. Eat it, 44, Hank Aaron's number. Hank Aaron, 44, remember? You're not going to forget Hank Aaron's number, are you? Oh, you seem to be adrift there. 44, eat it. Either that or come in with bad habits, 37.
Wow, so our uh, program director, Matt Meany, sent out an all-points bulletin to every employee of our parent company, Red Apple Media, and all of those here at WABC. He is our program director, and it says, We will be cleaning out the fridge in the kitchen at 3 p.m. today. If you have anything in there you want, get it out of the fridge before then, or it will be disposed of. So on that note, who weighed in on this? But of course, the Mamaluk, the Mangaluch, Frank Morano, who was talking specifically about the refrigerator, which he is obsessed with, which he uh, oftentimes can't keep his cotton-picking hands uh, off of people's food and other items that they have secured in the refrigerator. He goes in there, he sniffs around, he touches, he feels. He sort of, he just needs to take those alligator arms of him and keep them in his pockets and keep them to his sides. I believe if you put something in the office refrigerator, there should be clearly defined rules that say you have to label it. And if your food is labeled, nobody should be able to touch it ever. If it's got your name on it or whatever, someone's name on it, no one should ever be able to touch it. If that food is unlabeled in the refrigerator, as far as I'm concerned, especially at our workplace, where they put a lot of food in there, like yogurt and turkey pot pies for people to share and enjoy, leftovers, or I bring in egg salad, if that food is not labeled, With someone's name on it, as far as I'm concerned, wild, wild west. Every man for himself, every person for himself, every non-binary person for themselves. If that, there ought to be a label on it, and that label, as far as I'm concerned, hands off for everybody. But if there's no label, open, open season. Now, who dropped dead and left Frank Morano in charge of the refrigerator, right? With all the things that we have to do here at WABC, what is he, the sergeant in arms of all the food that's in the refrigerator? We can't take anything out unless it's labeled like we're little kids? My God. You know, that's because he snores food. That guy is a snorer. I told you that, ladies and gentlemen. In fact, listen to how he gets all excited, all for toots. When he uh, receives a certain gratuity, because I'll call it what it is. Oh, what is this? This is a $100 Visa gift card. Who is this from? It just says my name. It says my name as the sender. To Frank, from a fan, for your new baseball team or for pizza for you and your coworkers, God's blessing for you and family. Oh, that's nice. $100 Visa gift card. That's nice. See? This is nice. An anonymous tip from a grateful listener. This is this guy or gal is a model for every listener out there, I must say. Now, that is very nice. Now, as you know, 
uh, Broadway, Bill Lee, please give me a little bit of my music pack. I need a little bit of that motivation. Because Frank Morano has crossed that Maginot line from being a schnorrer to possibly being involved in accepting payola, which is a sin of all sin, a sin of omission, and it's not viewed very favorably by the FCC, the ruling agency and body that controls everything that we do in this thing of ours. He's getting people to send him $100 gift cards. That is the definition of payola. And then his Dominic Carter, who's uh, just about ready to finish his shift. Frank Morano has eyes not for what he needs to be discussing with uh, Dominic Carter on the transfer. But he has eyes on Dominic Carter's food. He wants to schnore Dominic's food. Joining me Right now, Frank Morano, the other side of midnight. Hello, good morning Dominic. to you. Good morning. So your haircut, it looks good. Thank You've you. had it for a Thank couple of days. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yes, yes. You're the uh, lone person to compliment me on it, so I appreciate that. Ah, Thank you. but it looks good. So, uh, and I'll tell you what looks good, that uh, that steak that's wrapped in tin foil <laughs> in, the neighboring, uh, in the neighboring studio. I, well, I, I did You say, bring that from home or you pick that up somewhere around I, here? I have a griddle, which is a, a fancy way of a Blackstone griddle, a oh. fancy way of saying it's a... Uh, you know, like you go to a diner and yeah, they have. Yeah, yeah. I so, like so I yeah. have a black. So, but how did you know it was a steak? Well, I poked around in there. <laughs> Wanted to make sure there was nothing you weren't sharing with us. Wow, this guy is like Dominic Carter's on the air, and Frank Morano is sniffing around his steak, poking around in it. What the hell is wrong with this guy? And now he is coming under major criticism from. Yours truly, I have claimed that his staff at night, the other side of midnight, is comprised of whitey whiteys. As you know, uh, Matt Blaze, what a fake, phony, fraudulent, fugazi name that is. Sounds like an alias, right? Sounds like he could be the fugitive. And then, of course, there is the brown nose who's got his schnoz all the way up, Frank Stokas. His producer, Alex. But I have accused them of having no diversity. Uh, you, Avery, have accused Frank of possibly being uh, prejudiced against black folks like yourself, assuming that the only way you could have been invited recently to his uh, barbecue in the south shore of Staten Island is if you were actually delivering Domino's pizzas. Do you still stand by that, Avery? Uh, Yeah. Oh, boy, that uh, took a lot of thought. I had, I, had, I, had to, I had to pull the mic over. Yeah, I, I figured that. Don't strain yourself. <laughs> now, look at what he's done, Broadway Bill Lee. Look at what he's done, Avery, all people of color. Frank Morano recognized that the walls were closing in on him for not having enough men and women of color. In fact, he's got the McWhitey-Whitey group. We have all the people of color on this, the other side of midnight. There's uh, Broadway Bill Lee, a Yurio Asiatic, proud black man. There's Avery, and of course, there's uh, Carmen Cedar, Carmelo, whatever the hell her name is. She's from Canarsie. Well, what's her name again, Avery? Camille? Yeah, Camille, that's right. All... Curtis, you forgot my name already? It's Camellia. Oh, God. Phew. 
Well, Frank Morano found a black man that he can get along with. And now this black man, who I know, quite nefarious, I might add, is now speaking uh, praises of Frank Morano as being this multicultural lover of everything black. This is Keith Spaulding. I'm a longtime friend of Frank Morano. Unlike Rachel Dolezal and others, I also happen to be a lifelong black man. As such, I can state unequivocally that not only is Frank a good friend to me, but he's a good friend to the black community as a whole. As someone who worked with Frank for many years, I can tell you that Frank would go out of his way to pick me up every morning in a black neighborhood, no less. And in the course of our daily carpool, we spoke about a wide variety of issues, including politics, sports, entertainment, our families, race, relations, and other issues you can think of. In the course of our many conversations, Never did I think for a moment that Frank had anything but love in his heart for the black community. As someone that worked on a daily basis with some of the best-known civil rights leaders in the country, I can tell you that Frank ranks near the top of the list for media figures who have worked to bring people of all races together. I remain not only a close friend of Frank's and his family and have been honored to be a guest at his home repeatedly. What the hell are you talking about? This guy's an Uncle Tom. Uh, incredible. He's like an Oreo cookie with double stuffing. Frank Morano is a pathetic excuse for a man. Well, at least it proves that Frank Morano knows at least one guy, one black guy in this world. Hey, Kurt, that, was a, that sounded like an Al-Qaeda video. Like an Al-Qaeda <laughs> <laughs> Frank had a gun on that guy. He was reading that paper. <laughs> you mean a hostage video, yeah, right? A hostage, yeah, one of the hostage videos. I know Keith Spaulding. He's a brother from another planet. He used to be my videographer in the mornings when I worked uh, doing the morning show at AM 970, The Answer, for four years. That's four years of my life I'll never get back. But he was also working simultaneously for Al Slim Shady Sharpton at the National Action Network on 145th Street, in the heart of Harlem, USA. So imagine how schizophrenic he was. He'd be with me in the morning, and I'd be attacking Al Slim Shady Sharpton, and he'd be agreeing with me, because he had to agree, or I'd have kicked him out of the studio. Then he goes over to the National Action Network from 12 o'clock on, and he's doing all the video production for the National Action Network, and Al Slim Shady Sharpton is attacking me, and he's agreeing with that. Can you imagine this poor guy? By the way, Frank Morano would pick him up in Elizabeth, New Jersey, on his way to uh, the uh, broadcast facility in the mornings for AM 970, uh, The Answer, which was in uh, Hasbrook Heights, a placebo city. I never saw anybody get in and out of a car in Hasbrook Heights or go in and out of a house or a store. So at least you can't make fun of him any longer, Avery. He has a legitimate black guy that's a friend of Frank Morano. Come on, Kurt. I, next time, next time you pay a black guy to vouch for you, Frank, he has to exhibit some kind of emotion. If he talks five minutes and compliments you for five minutes, there will be some kind of emotion. This is Keith Spaulding. I'm a longtime friend of Frank Morano. Unlike. 
Rachel, Dola, Zhao, and others, I also happen to be a lifelong black man. As such, I can state unequivocally that not only is Frank a good friend to me, but he's a good friend to the black community as a whole. As someone who worked with Frank for many years. Oh, I want to hear the rest of that. I want to hear the rest. Uh, please. Uh, this is very important. Uh, I didn't know that Frank Morano was uh, potentially a civil rights leader also. This is Keith Spaulding. I'm a longtime friend of Frank Morano. Unlike Rachel Dola Zhao and others, I also happen to be a lifelong black man. As such, I can state unequivocally that not only is Frank a good friend to me, he's a good friend to the black community as a whole. As someone who worked with Frank for many years, I can tell you that Frank would go out of his way to pick me up every morning in a black neighborhood, no less. And in the course of our daily carpool, we spoke about a wide variety of issues, including politics, sports, entertainment, our families, race, relations, and other issues you can think of. In the course of our many conversations, never did I think for a moment that Frank had anything but love in his heart for the black community. As someone that worked on a daily basis with some of the best-known civil rights leaders in the country, I can tell you that Frank ranks near the top of the list for media figures who have worked to bring people of all races together. I remain not only a close friend of Frank's and his family and have been honored to be a guest at his home repeatedly. So, Watch it, sucker! Does that assuage uh, you, uh, Avery, assuage you, uh, Broadway Billy? Do you feel better now? Kurt, this makes things worse. Frank, look, I don't know who your writers are, but lifelong black man, like, what do you, what, what else would he be? <laughs> Yo, Fridays is pizza day when you work Frank's show. Frank, if you get pepperoni on one of the pizzas, I will read a statement like that, but I'll write it. <laughs> And it'll be believable. I, 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 my emotion will go this up. It'll, it'll go down. I'm a long-time friend of Frank Morano. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I'll have like a roller coaster of emotions. Like people will buy it. Like I don't know what this is, Frank. Like you didn't need to do this. It makes things worse. So he could buy you off with a pepperoni pizza. Well, yeah, because he he's, he has he orders pizza, but like he gets these like strange like things on it, and if he gets me my own. Pepperoni pizza. I will read one of these statements. I will write it. It'll be believable. And the black community will look at it and go, okay, maybe he is a friend of us. Wow. This is incredible. We're making history here this morning. Frank Morano, civil rights leader. Anyway, uh, let's get back on course here. There was a guy named Joseph from Newburgh who was very upset with me but also temporarily very upset with you, Avery. Thanks for taking my call. You know, when I call Curtis, I'm on hold for four and a half hours, and I uh, four hours and 23 minutes the other night. He doesn't take my calls well, anymore. He, I don't did, know he did the same thing to me. So this Avery character that is the telephone talent coordinator <laughs> for Curtis's show, he has his whole hierarchy of who he chooses to put through and who he chooses not to put through. And I have, 
I don't think it's uh, Avery. I think it's Curtis. Well, it could be. It could be. Uh, Because I've confronted Avery about this. And I said, look, why did you keep me on hold for three hours while I was hold, while I was, uh, you know, on hold? Uh, You know, I, I, and, and, and Joe. I was on hold three hours. Well, I know, but Joe, I mean, I don't know why they put you on hold. But in my case, you know, I had material that I had prepared to go on with Curtis. Right? I mean, and it was going to be funny stuff. It was going to be substantive stuff. It was going to be stuff that I knew Curtis was going to like. And then I confronted Avery about this. And uh, Avery said, well, come on. Do you think that's really me? you think anybody tells Curtis who to go to? So I think you might be right. Maybe it is a Curtis situation. Uh, you played him good there, Avery. Just like a Dunkin' Yo-Yo. You put him to sleep and then you walk the dog. Uh, now it's going to be two pepperoni pieces for that statement. Wow. He he really does. Ladies and gentlemen, you got to understand, Frank Morano will call up our telephone talent coordinator and want to get in the queue as if he doesn't have enough to talk about during the week as the host of The Other Side of Midnight from 1 to 5, Monday through Fridays. Plus, he does the business updates. He does other things. He actually wants to come on this show and speak. And I can't have him jump the queue. It wouldn't be right. Just because he has the other side of midnight during the week. I'm supposed to have all these other people. Oh, stop. Excuse me. Uh, Mama Luke wants to talk now. As if he doesn't talk enough. And he actually prepares material. Kurt, how was I supposed to know what he has in his home, the material he prepared at his home? How am I supposed to know that from here? And two, this goes back to what I said yesterday. Is he or is he not a radio host? Does he not know how this system works? I don't pick who goes on. Is his life so bereft of anything serious that he spends hours waiting on the phone to get on this show? Well... Here is another caller who was uh, criticizing uh, Frank and comparing him to moi. Dear Frank, there's no question that you're a smart cookie and occasionally have some interesting things on. But as much as I resented Curtis from mocking you, I have to agree with him that you are a weenie. You go (laughs) on and on with topics that would be interesting for maybe 10 minutes, but become boring and annoying after a half hour. It's actually amazing how excited you become over mundane matters. Basically, you just like to hear yourself talk and talk and take so long to get to the point. And you don't curse, you say, goody two-shoes. You don't favor a political party. For God's sake, take a look around, take a stand on the horrible things going on. Our country is going down the drain. Wow, this is very good. Very good constructive criticism. Now, do you think that Frank picked up on that at all? No. No. And then uh, the other thing he was talking about uh, all this week, uh, everywhere he went here and every uh, port of call at WABC, every different office, he was styling and profiling his haircut, which couldn't have been too good because he was wearing a med cap. When I get my haircut, uh, the extent of the reaction that I get I got this from Dominic Carter last night when I walked into our shared workspace. Is He says, oh, you got a haircut. That's it. That's all. all he says is, oh, you got a haircut. He was acknowledging that I had a haircut. 
he wasn't sitting there. And, and I've gotten this reaction before in previous haircuts from other barbers. They'll say, oh, my goodness, you got a haircut. It looks great. Makes you look younger. Makes you look thinner. Where did you go for that? Do you put product in that? I got no reaction. Other than what I heard from Dominic Carter yesterday, this is the extent of the reaction I got from my other colleagues that observed me. Nothing. No reaction. Well, they know it's a bad haircut because he's wearing the Met cap, which he doesn't necessarily do. But it reminds me, uh, if I have permission from you, Avery, uh, as long as you don't take offense to the fact that we're going to be utilizing a cut here from the Seinfeld show. Is that okay, uh, brother from another planet, that we play uh, that we play Seinfeld? Absolutely. Wow. You give that slack. Yeah. But not Frazier. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean Frazier is a different, a different animal. Anyway, here's Jerry Seinfeld, who, like Frank, got a haircut. How come you're wearing a hat? I got a haircut. Oh, yeah? Can I see it? There's nothing to say. Come on, let me see it. Forget it. Come on. All right. And people were laughing at Frank with that haircut, I got to tell you. And now we have to get into the deeper issues that are an impact on not just Frank Morano, but his lovely wife, uh, Rachel, and his 40-pound son, uh, Carmine. As you know, he has two extreme vices that he has to curtail, gambling and drinking. I think uh, we can all concur on that, Avery and uh, Broadway Bill Lee. Drinking and gambling, gambling and drinking. It is sort of the Satan's demon rum for Frank. Let's first deal with the the gambling issue. There was a guy, remember Roller, who immediately enticed Frank into talking about shooting craps, shooting CeeLo. Roller in New Jersey. Hello, Roller. Frank, I just want to thank you. You're the only one that talks about the crap game. Uh... You personally, like me, how many people in your life, peeps, your peeps, they, nobody nobody wants to hear about the crap game. They're not into it. How come? How come society, like with my world, I'm like the only one that shoots dice. Is that a, like a game that nobody wants to play? No, I, honestly, Roller, I, I think you, and I might say this for other reasons as well, I think you need a new group of friends. I think you need right. a more fun group of friends that are, are able to and willing to shoot dice. I think that some people might be a little intimidated by craps because it looks complicated. It's not. It's pretty easy to understand. And I've done a video. If you go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash moranofan, and look at the videos that I posted on there. I've done an instructional video on how to play craps, but uh, I don't think that – I think a lot of people are just intimidated and they don't uh, they don't understand the game. Um, he's, like, totally into it. He goes to the Borgata. Obviously, he snores a lot of stuff. And then he instructs people on how to lose money shooting craps or CeeLo. Just, I don't know, mindless. Mindless. Anyway, then Frank uh, 
went about, was talking about during the lockdown and pandemic of uh, March of 2020 and thereafter, how he spent endless hours watching gambling films. When I couldn't go to casinos, and when it seemed like nobody else was going to casinos, you know what I did? I watched film after film about gambling. I watched all sorts of gambling films. I watched gambling pictures. I watched gambling pictures that you've never even heard of. I watched gambling pictures that you have heard of. Um, Good films, bad films, all had to deal with gambling because it was almost like I was getting a vicarious thrill through watching the, the gambling in the films because I couldn't participate in it. Wow, this guy is hardcore degenerate gambler. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And he's talked about this on numerous occasions. His favorite game out of all the games of chance, it is in uh, shooting craps. It's not playing 21. It's not playing five-card draw poker. It's playing Baccarat. Hey, Frank. Yeah, you know, I'm a very big James Bond fan. And uh, he's always playing Baccarat. And I know you're a Baccarat player. And whenever I see Sean Connery playing Baccarat, I think of you. And I was wondering, how difficult is the game? And is the object of the game to get as close to nine as possible? And have you ever been at a table with a real high-stakes game and walked away with a huge amount of money? Uh, Baccarat is the easiest game in the world. I don't even like to tell people how easy it is because I enjoy, when I'm at the Baccarat table, being the only person that's not Chinese because a lot of Western non-Asian players are intimidated because there's a lot of Chinese players there and they're all speaking Chinese to one another and they have dragons and monkeys and they have a big board and people think it's a complicated game. It's not. It's almost the equivalent of betting on a coin toss and uh, it's, it's difficult for me to explain without a visual cue, but the way it works is there are two, and there are all sorts of bets you could make. There are only two bets that I make, banker and player. Now, you have to pick which hand, banker or player, is going to be closer to nine. So it really is like betting on a coin toss. Um, tens and picture cards are zero. So if you get a nine and a ten, let's say, they call that a natural nine. If you get... Uh, a 10 and an 8, that's a natural 8. No more cards. Now, if it's anything less than, uh, I think a, a 6 for the, uh, a 6 or a 5, then, or excuse me, a 6 or a 7, then they draw a third card, but the rules are still the same. Whoever is closest to 9 wins. So you're betting, basically, is it going to be A or B? That's closer to nine. Um, but I, I've done well. I, I mean, I, it's not unusual for me to p- play Baccarat and win thousands. My last trip to uh, to Atlantic City, I don't want to get into exactly how much that I, I won, but I played mostly Baccarat and, and won a, a pretty healthy amount of money. And he loves sitting there with Asians. I mean, he loves, they love to gamble, and Frank Morano loves to gamble. Which reminded me out of that scene in uh, Deer Hunter. You have Robert De Niro, Christopher Walken. Uh, they're caught by those uh, Asian guys forcing them to play Russian roulette. I could easily see Frank Morano in just such a situation as they're gambling money, dollar after dollar, yen after yen, peso after peso, euro after euro. 
with Frank Morano sitting right in the middle of all of them that he professes to love as they're hoping that he'll blow his own brains out. That's Frank. Loves the Asians. And they love him. Oh, you're playing so well, Frank. They're telling him in Cantonese and Mandarin. Meantime, they're taking him for every nickel, diamond, penny he has. That's one problem uh, that we have to address. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we have to deal with the even more severe problem that Frank uh, poses to himself and everybody else. That is the fact that oftentimes he's a lush. You know, he has Jake Lake, one step forward, two steps backwards, rum rouge. Yeah, he's developing all those symptoms because he's like a fish in alcohol. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Every time you come around, you know I can't say no. Every time the sun goes down, I let you take control. I can feel the paradise before my world ends. Frank's got bad habits. He's acknowledged them. I think it's incumbent upon us, Broadway Bill Lee and Avery, telephone talent coordinator who also works uh, on the Frank Morano show with the McWhitey Whiteys, that we do an intervention. It's bad enough he is a degenerate gambler shooting crap, CeeLo, playing roulette, blackjack, and five-card draw poker. 
and losing uh, a lot of money. But many people have said, you know, Frank, uh, he's like a fish in alcohol. He's like a lush. I mean, look, he's talking about what he was doing last Saturday, and he always gets down to drinking alcohol. Last Saturday, I had dinner, my wife and I with another couple, we went to dinner uh, to one of my favorite restaurants in America, certainly my favorite Italian restaurant in the world. Now, but keep in mind, by the end of the meal, I'm there two and a half hours, right? So you have a, you start the meal with a martini, right? And then we share a bottle of wine, the four of us, and then I have a Negroni. And then with dinner, you know, excuse me, with dessert, I'll have an espresso with a double with a shot of Sambuca. So I've had a martini, a Negroni, a quarter bottle of wine, and uh, some Sambuca. And maybe I'm missing a drink. So I'm pretty soused by the end of the evening. Thankfully, my wife's there to drive. So he's pretty soused by the end of the evening. And then he talks about drinking lager and having any excuse to drink. Came home. Spent some time with uh, with young Carmine. I had a lager. I did have a lager because even though I'm not much of a beer drinker, if you heard commendations on Monday, I'm making an effort to drink lager now because it adds bacterium to your stomach, which your stomach needs, apparently. So I forced myself to drink a lager, which I have to be honest, when it was this hot, felt pretty good. Wow. Any excuse to drink... <laughs> It's like he was forced to drink a lager. I don't drink lager, but it was there. I drank it. And then he talks about getting up. And it would seem to me he should realize he had a problem with this because he was probably freaking hammered. I slept from 10 after 9 or 9.15 to 5.15 p.m. Eight hours, basically. I don't know the last time that I've slept eight hours during the week or on the weekend ever. I mean, I don't know. I must have been drugged at some point. The guy was hammered. He can't be drinking that much alcohol and not end up sleeping. But he did give us an indication of the seriousness of his drinking issue by comparing how he drinks on a regular basis to his lovely wife, Rachel. My wife gets drunk two times a year, if that, if that. I get drunk probably two times a week, at least. <laughs> two times a week. <laughs> yeah, on the weekends, he gets soused. And then he was not sane and sober when he said this. I'm assuming he was drunk. But if he was sane and sober, we got a problem here. We got a real problem here, Broadway Bill Lee and Avery, uh, telephone talent coordinator and overnight producer. You know, a lot of times people will ask me, and I'm not joking, and I don't want to sound immodest here. They say something along the lines of, Frank, you're the greatest overnight radio host in America. Frank, you're my favorite host. What can we do to help you? What can we do to help you? The chutzpah, the hubris. The Coulions. He called himself the greatest talk show host in the overnights. Can I hear that again, Broadway Bill? You know, a lot of times people will ask me, and I'm not joking, and I don't, I don't want to sound immodest here. They say something along the lines of, 
Frank, you're the greatest overnight radio host in America. Frank, you're my favorite host. What can we do to help you? Immodest? Are you kidding? Him and, him and Sid, they're like two peacocks. You know, they're vying for the same title. The world's greatest talk show host. He pretty much anointed himself that, at least in the overnights, the other side of midnight. And what am I, chopped liver? There's only one way to deal with this, Broadway Billy. You've been dealing with this for years at uh, WCBS-FM. It's a tale of the tape. I'm uh, catching up to him almost every day. You can see the analytics. You can see the numbers. What was 17 radios to 14 radios, 17 turned on to Frank Morano during his other side uh, of Midnight Show out of 100 radios that were listening to some form of radio. Uh, and I was down to 14 radios out of 100 radios that were tuned to some form of radio. It's now, well, guess what? He's got 16, I've got 15. It's neck Curtis's and neck. Imaginary ratings war is just that, imaginary. We're, again, we're on at different times. So if he did a 40 share, it still wouldn't affect me at all. Because it's, it, it's not the same universe. Do you understand? It's like um, you win the batting title in the American League versus the National League. Right? I mean, it's, just, it's a different league. Stop minimalizing things, Frank. You heard what he said, Avery. He called himself the best talk show host who does the other side of midnight. Did I hear that correctly? I mean, look, Curtis, you have to know what to believe and what not to believe. So do you believe somebody went up to him and said, you're the greatest overnight talk show host? Who would, who would come up to somebody and say that phrase? You're the greatest overnight talk show host ever. They would go, you're the greatest show host ever. Your, your, your show's the greatest ever. You're the greatest overnight talk show host. Come on, Curtis. I think he listens to what he wants to hear, even if it isn't necessarily being uttered by the listeners at this station. Well, we are going to see by Labor Day. I have promised everybody that I am uh, moving in on his ratings lead. He leads all shows here at WABC, morning, noon, and night, specialty shows, morning drive show, Afternoon, mid-morning show, late-night show. Frank Morano does lead in the ratings. And I got to knock him off his perch on Labor Day. You know, I'm, I'm encroaching upon him by taking on additional hours, including when he was away on vacation, started uh, for a week, and then it ended up being 10 days. So every moment that I was able to eat up the Frank Morano real estate and talk radio meant that I was uh, earning brownie points, a.k.a. ratings points, and we will see by September 4th. I have a very good feeling that I'm going to supersede him and be the ratings champion here at WABC, like I've been before. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Dave, who's calling from Comac. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Dave. like a news conference. Yeah, that was the woman uh, in the aftermath of the uh, repeal of Roe v. Wade uh, held a press conference in Union Square Park, uh, was screaming at men, telling was them. This, like a month ago? 
uh, a month ago, and now she's gone on tour. In fact, she recently uh, had an appearance at an amphitheater outside of Chicago. 12,000 people stuffed their way in. Most were women bringing their menfolk. And in the aftermath of her presentation, the men were lined up to get a vasectomy based on her orders from headquarters. She sounds like a Hollywood actor, like it was like a comedy routine on some movie you'd see, the way she was screaming like that. And I you know pray She's, you never get another restless night same... sleep in your life thinking about what you did to women. This is not over, not by a long shot. How dare you? <laughs> Curtis? Dave, that's the that's the She's real. She's like the girl that will dump you if you can't get it up, or you don't want to have kids with her. She's a hypocrite. She's the same the same type of girl that, like I just said, right? That if if you want to go out with her, right? She'll dump you if you don't want to have kids with her, or you can't get it up for her. Rolling back the clock on women's rights. This bodily autonomy <laughs> is pathetic. Love fetuses. You love fetuses. You are pro birth. You are pro amniotic sac because fetuses can't talk and they can't vote against you. But they make a good narrative for your election campaign. Pathetic. <laughs> that's the real deal. I mean, that's the uh, her. Yeah, she's hysterical. She's like something I heard in a movie. I swear to God, it's like uh, you know, like a, 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 some kind of movie scene. Yeah, I know, she but the Academy Award. she is now attracting huge audiences of 10,000 plus, whereas before there'd be like 100 people. Now there are actually men, once they hear her or are forced to go and hear her, who are lining up to get a vasectomy right afterwards. You know, there are women that have kids just for the sake of having kids, and I say to myself, what do you have to have kids for? Worry about, you know, buying a house. Worried about retirement, you know, worried about, you know, making a living. You know, some people have kids, and they can't afford to have kids. I mean, how stupid is that? There's no doubt about that. You make a very poignant point. This was uh, customized for our other side of Midnight Show here on the weekends, 12 to 6, Saturday mornings, as I take you to the break of dawn. And then likewise, they let me do it twice, 12 to 6, to the break of dawn on Sunday mornings. And this song specifically uh, done for me by David Crosby, uh, part of Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, as a... uh, awarded me for my support of them in their battle against big business, Spotify, and uh, Joe Rogan, that musclehead. I stood and continue to stand with Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, and Joni Mitchell against all odds against uh, the choice of a new America, musclehead Joe Rogan and Spotify. I defy that. In fact, uh, it uh, makes reference... uh, do what uh, Frank Morano has been saying about himself of late. 
that he acts in a very incompetent manner. Incompetence. He self-labeled himself a incompetent. I act more incompetent at certain areas than I actually am. And I don't know why I'm that way. He doesn't know why he's that way. Can I hear that again, uh, Broadway Billy? I act more incompetent at certain areas than I actually am. And I don't know why I'm that way. Oh, you got an hour or so? I can certainly spell it out for you. But then he he's a real yenta. He likes to talk about a lot of things that personally impact his life and Rachel's life. I don't know if he has permission to Rachel. I don't know if uh, I would have been too happy with Frank after he opened up his blabber vocio verbosa mouth and started to talk about how Rachel was dropping him or he was dropping Rachel and made it seem like she was desperate for Frank Morano. When, um, you know, I first started dating my wife about seven years ago, we uh, she was involved in another relationship and uh, she broke up with me three times within four months, right? So we'd start dating. She broke up with me and she said, I, you know, I want to work things out with this other relationship. I said, okay, God bless her. I, I would then go and start dating other women. And then she said, oh, you know, I like you again. I'm going to start dating you again. And I would break things off with the other women that I was dating and, and, and go out with Rachel. Then... um same thing, right? What? I, I, I like you again, so I'm going to go out with you? Sounds like a dysfunctional relationship, if you ask me. Three times they broke up? Only to make up, to break up, to make up, and then eventually get married and have a 40-pound kid named Carmine? one 800 Let's go to Rick in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Rick. Yeah, good morning, Chris. Good morning. Uh, <clears throat> first, let me premise this by saying this is not to disparage or re-rate Frank in any way. It's just I am concerned about his drinking as well because it, it killed a lot of my family and friends, and it never gets better. It just gets worse. They, they don't drink less. He said something the other week, uh, the other day, that you didn't catch. He was talking about he went to the beach with him and, and Rachel and Carmine. First of all, he forgets the umbrella, which is a big thing to not see in the car. So he's on the beach. He's got to go drive back to the umbrella, get the umbrella. He forgets his wallet on the beach. So he's now driving without a license. And how do you get in a car without your wallet? You know, keys and wallet before you get in a car. He gets home. He can't find the uh, umbrella. So we borrow someone's credit card, which I didn't even know you could do. I mean, doesn't the merchant, merchant look at it and say, uh, Mary Smith, that you don't look like Mary Smith? Uh, but anyway, so he gets an umbrella, and he loses the lady's credit card. Now he can't find the credit card. Now, one of those things in itself is okay. But when it's one after another after another, and this is in the morning, you got to wonder if he's already been drinking or if he's muddled from the night before where he had too many nights. He's still drunk in the morning. Because how do you do all these things in the course of a morning? You know what I'm saying? So, Rick, do you think he might be a lush? Well, I don't know about a lush. I think that it's like every other person that drinks. 
and thinks they can keep on doing this, they're not aware of how much they're actually drinking and how it's actually affecting their life. That's the problem with becoming an alcoholic. You become an alcoholic. You're not born one. And I'm afraid that he's on the road. So what can we do uh, as an intervention, uh, Rick, to prevent him from going over the edge and crawling into the bottle? Well, it's hard. Curtis, if it was easy, then I'd still have my loved ones with me. You, you try to, you know, the first thing is to make them aware. Like, do you see what you're saying? You know, all these things, you know, they, they don't realize themselves. You know, it's like looking in a mirror and not seeing that you're heavy. And you, you think, oh, I, I'm, I'm fine, and you're 300 pounds overweight. You don't see the drinking. You don't want to see it. You don't want to stop. No, you don't want anyone to tell you. Basically, you have to give them a reason to stop. Maybe Carmine, maybe his marriage, but just telling them that drinking's bad, that never never stops them, never. Wow. So we got a real hot mess on our hands. Yeah, and I don't mean to bring anybody down. I'm just concerned about Frank when I hear these. Like, it's funny, but, you know, it's the, the bumbling drunk is not funny. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think uh, the fact is that in some of the package stores now, he's asking uh, for that 99-cent uh, uh, Ernest and Julio G uh, chemical wine, you know, the one you take off with the uh, twist off top. Oh, yeah, like, like Boone's Farm. I had a Boone's Farm wine race with someone. Before I finished the bottle, my nose started bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> it's all chemicals, man. Oh, wow. Uh, so, w- what do you think we can do to try to alter uh, Frank from uh, bending his elbow and knocking back Jameson and drinking brewskis all day? Just be his friend like you are and, and, and talk to him. You know, uh, uh, you, you don't confront them because then they get defensive. You just point out, like Frank, you know, and you just, as a friend, just say, you know, here, look at this. This is how we're seeing it. Maybe you should think about it. Just, be, you know, as a friendly. You, you, you don't want to berate him or anything because it's not his fault. You know, alcoholism is a disease, and it got, got hey, it's why I'm divorced, you know. Yeah, no, no, that's uh, that's great sage advice. Uh, will he take it? Probably not. You know, he's pretentious. He can be obstinate, very, very stubborn, and uh, omnipotent, you know, acting like he knows it all. So he may be very averse to accepting any any of this constructive criticism. Oh. I know I that. That's why to... you never get another restless night's sleep in your life. <laughs> That's why I'm talking to you, Curtis, so that you can maybe talk to him. I, if I called him up, he might hang up on me, you know? Yeah, no, no, no. He would take umbrage to that, and he would yeah, immediately yeah. feel that, oh, there's an all-out assault on him. Yeah, it's not. I'm calling out out of concern, actually. Really, really. Uh, I, I think he uh, needs to humble himself. He needs to show some humility. Well, that's part of the recovery, isn't it? That, 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 that recovery prayer, you know, grant me the serenity and all that. You know, you have to give in to the higher power and all that stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. But uh, he's finding it very difficult to balance these two decadent and debaucherous uh, habits that he has that are conflating uh, and causing him to um, uh, give up one because he's so involved with the other. So when all is said and done, He's going to have to make some choices here, Rick. He can't uh, put his beak into everybody's trough and then expect uh, to be just uh, received uh, with the red carpet treatment. Well, it's also the third thing. He smokes cigars, which, you know, that's okay. But 
it, it, it's like every bad habit you can think of, he's, he, he wants to do. You know, and, and it's amazing. I don't think, I don't know his story. Has he ever tried pot or anything? Do you know that? Now, probably has. Um, I don't have a medical chart on him, uh, but I would definitely feel uh, that at times he has exhibited the behavior of a pothead. No doubt about that, Rick. Oh, okay, I didn't know. I didn't know if he was at first. Because a lot of people that get into a lot of the habits, they're, they're like against one thing, but, you know, they'll drink heavy and I'm against the pot or or they'll gamble heavy and I'm against drinking. They don't seem to see the wrong, wrong bad habits. No, no, you're absolutely uh, correct on that. Uh, but we'll we'll deal with that. Up next, Steven Seagal goes out and starts recruiting for Vladimir Putin's Russian army. And he becomes a shill, a propaganda tool. And yet, they still love her in Eastern Europe. The question is, do you love him here in the terra firma U.S. of A? It's another side of midnight. Here's Curtis Lewa. With a bullet in the discos of Moscow. Whenever this song gets played, everybody has to get up and start dancing, or it will uh, cause uh, the ire of Vladimir Putin, the totalitarian dictator of Mother Russia, to surface. And now his very dear Kumbadachic has decided to shill for Vladimir Putin in his continuous war against Zelensky and the Ukraine. Who am I talking about? Hollywood star Steven Seagal, who has pushed Kremlin propaganda on a trip this week to the Donbass region in eastern Ukraine, claiming that U.S.-supplied rockets caused the blast last month to kill more than 50 Ukrainian prisoners of war. The under-siege star, who was granted Russian citizenship in 2016 and supported Vladimir Putin's annexation of the Crimea, was seen in a video visiting the prison. The site of the July 29th strike that left 53 jail POWs dead and at least 75 others injured. He he was in the video saying, you see, this is where the American missiles hit. 50 people were killed. Another 70 were injured. Sakal said in a video posted to the pro-Kremlin Russian news site, it definitely looks like a rocket. If you look at the burning and other details, of course it's not a bomb. And he continued to identify himself as a special representative of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of the Russian Federation for Humanitarian Relations. Speaking in English, Seagal called the slain prisoners of war Nazis and suggested without any evidence that the site was destroyed on the orders of Ukrainian President 
Zelensky to silence one of the inmates. Quote, the interesting thing is that one of the killed Nazis is a Nazi who just started talking a lot about Zelensky, Sigal said in the video, and that Zelensky is responsible for the orders about torture and other atrocities that violate not only the Geneva War Convention, but are also crimes against humanity. So he has now started to shill, shill, shill. And as you know, he's been side-by-side with Vladimir Putin for quite some time. So Vladimir Putin is struggling to recruit new members for his uh, Russian army as they continue to wage uh, war against the Ukrainians and Zelensky. So he has been taking prisoners at the penal colony in St. Petersburg, where he was born and raised, uh, Vladimir Putin. And uh, they've been expecting a visit by officials, thinking it would be some sort of inspection. Instead, men in uniform arrived and offered them amnesty if they agreed to fight alongside the Russian army in the Ukraine. Over the following days, about a dozen or so left the prison, according to a woman whose boyfriend is serving a sentence there, speaking on condition of anonymity because she feared reprisals. She said her boyfriend wasn't among the volunteers, although with years left on his sentence, he could not think about it. As Russia continues to suffer enormous losses, they are going into all of their prison camps, even going way out to Siberia to see if they can uh, conscript men and women into their military forces. But you notice, uh, Broadway Bill Lee and Avery, the first group that was taken in as conscripts was a dozen. Vladimir Putin has asked Steven Seagal to do a remake of the Dirty Dozen, except Russian style. As you know, in the American version, it was Lee Marvin who was in charge of the Americans who were in prison. This was during World War II. Lee Marvin was recruiting them to go fight the Nazis. If I remember correctly, and maybe you can help me, ladies and gentlemen, the people I remember joining the Dirty Dozen following Lee Marvin were Ernest Boignan, Telly Savalas, Charles Bronson, Donald Sutherland, And I think it was the uh, movie debut or maybe the second movie that Jim Brown had done since uh, he retired from the Cleveland Browns and NFL football. Now they're going to do a Russian version of The Dirty Dozen featuring Steven Seagal, the uh, martial arts action hero who made so many movies, some good, some not so good, some real stinkers. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Now, that would be a pretty damn good propaganda movie. If, uh, in fact, Vladimir Putin can pull it off uh, starring Steven Seagal. You know, they love him in East Europe. You go to Croatia, they love Steven Seagal. Even in the stinkeroony movies he's done of late, they love him. You go to Bulgaria, oh, they love Steven Seagal. Russia, love Steven Seagal. Serbia, oh, they love Steven Seagal. Now, Western Europe, no. Western Europe, they say, hey, this guy's a putt. His best days have passed him by. But in Eastern Europe and the old Soviet Union, they can't get enough of Steven Seagal. You go to Tashkent in Uzbekistan, you go to the old Central Asian republics, 
like uh, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, Kazakhstan. Oh, they love Steven Seagal. And you say, what do they love? The guy is so played out. What would you do to Steven Seagal? He has dual citizenship, citizenship here in the United States. He actually was born, believe it or not, in Lansing, Michigan. I find that difficult to believe, but hey, apparently that's in the paperwork. He was born and raised in Lansing, Michigan. And then uh, came to New York to find his fame and fortune uh, as an actor, martial artist, a keto expert. But how many of you would uh, accept Steven Seagal as an American citizen as, after he has cast his lot with Vladimir Putin, especially recently by going to the Donbass section and siding uh, with the totalitarian dictatorship of uh, of Vladimir Putin. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. You know, it reminds me, the other day I was with a Ukrainian cab driver who had come over to the United States just about the time that I had started the Guardian Angels in 1979 up in the Fordham section of the Bronx on Webster Avenue across from Fordham University. And he had mentioned that he was being taught in the Ukraine uh, the communist uh, logic about what was evil about America. That America wasn't taking care of homeless people, that they were racist, uh, that they were in opposition to people in color. And he said he actually believed it because this is how he was brainwashed until he came to America. He said that the person that they had taught him about that represented, epitomized America was the communist Angela Davis. You know, as part of the George Jackson Soledad brothers, sprung them from jail, was accused of aiding and abetting that prison break, and then ended up going on federal trial in uh, San Jose, California, and beat the rap. But uh, he told me that his history was learning about Angela Davis as the epitome of Americans, sort of like prototype of Americans. And again, it was all cloaked in the racism that he was told America was immersed in, that America hated blacks, and that Angela Davis at that time in 1972 was the most famous American in all of America. In fact, it was so so much so that his brother in the Ukraine in Kiev named his newborn daughter Angela after Angela Davis. Then he comes to America in 1979, just about at the time that I formed the Guardian Angels up on Fordham Road and Webster Avenue in the Bronx. And he found out that nobody knew who Angela Davis was. Very few people. And so he was perplexed. He was extraordinarily perplexed. But I want to critique uh, Steven Seagal. From a guy who uh, was making these great flicks, I want to take you on uh, memory lane back in the time machine. Remember when he was Nico, the cop in Chicago? Always ran funny whenever he'd be running after the uh, the uh, predators or the uh, persons he was going to arrest. He always had this strange gait, this strange way of running. I never saw anybody ran like that, Steven Seagal, but it is what it was. But I thought he was great in Above the Law as Nico in Chi-Town as a Chicago cop. 
And then Hard to Kill with Kelly LeBrock, he was good. And then Under Siege. I would say those were his three best movies, Steven Seagal. And then all of a sudden it started going downhill. He hooked up with those rappers that Avery loves. Uh, he was with uh, DMX of the Rough Riders, you know, from the Schlobine Projects, from uh, Ghetto Square, Mumford Gardens, Nodine Hill, Yonkers, an exit wound with Tom Arnold. What a trio. Tom Arnold, DMX, and Steven Seagal. Then he started churning out flick after flick. He was like doing like three, four, five, six a year. Half past dead was Ja Rule, who we all know shot up Curtis Jackson, a.k.a. 50 Cent, outside the Rochdale, uh, Rochdale uh, co-ops in southeast Queens. You know, the same Ja Rule who ripped off all those stupid white hipsters and millennials at that fire festival. And then about the end of the line of his hipster uh, movies, he did one with Ice Tea, Ice Tray, uh, Vanilla Ice, Ice Cube, I don't know, and Nas, you know, Nas from the Queensbridge uh, Projects, and Tom Sizemore and Dennis Hopper. I was called Ticker. I'm saying to myself, what the hell are you doing in that movie for, Dennis Hopper? Dennis Hopper of Easy Rider and so many other great movies. And then he really bombed out. He formed his own uh, movie company, Steamroller, with some uh, Chinese uh, syndicate. I don't know if it was Run Run Shaw who did all the martial arts flicks, but it was horrible. First movie I saw was Sniper Special Ops. He had an 87-year-old guy who was the colonel in charge of him and his men. And he was wearing snow goggles, and he was a sniper, and he couldn't hit the guy who was like 50 feet away. He was missing him, missing him, missing him. And I don't know if you noticed, he started talking like a brother. Avery, he actually, Steven Seagal, who was very, I would say, uh, uh, what can we say, meek and mild the way he talked. All of a sudden, he starts talking like a, a black person, and he stopped being Chinese. Remember for a while, this Stephen Scully would always have the Chinese garb on. He stopped being Chinese, and he started talking like a brother. I guess it was from all the rappers that he did those movies with. Then it was Asian Connection. Connection between him and his dialysis machine. I mean, he was going, going, gone. That, that movie really sucked. Probably the worst was a good man. He was just pumping him out. You know, he was on that mob scholarship. He had to pay that money. You know what the mob does, uh, Avery. You're probably not aware of this. Uh, they give you an opportunity, too. They would invest in you as a thespian, allow you to go to your method acting classes. You wouldn't have to get a job busting tables or driving cabs. Uh, but they would invest in you, and then you owe them big time. So if they told you, hey, you had to do six pictures this year and kick up 50% to them, you had no beef or they'd bust your teeth. But a good man. What is it about Steven Seagal? Why was he always ex-special forces? Always. And always housed in Bucharest. And his special ops partner in that movie looked like a homeless guy. And his calling card was he would always leave incense on the ground after unloading his AR-15. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. 
Let's go to Mike, who's calling from Astoria. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mike. Hello, Chris. Uh, Curtis, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Um, uh, I am a new listener. I had listened to you when you were covering uh, for Frank last week, and I found it very enjoyable. I had a portable radio, and um, I, I, I... really started laughing and I hadn't had laughter like that. And then I tuned into Frank. I saw the schedule and I read about him. I didn't know anything about him, but I said, I'll, you know, give it a try. It looks like he's very uh, knowledgeable in lots of matters. And they were discussing about your coverage and uh, many callers called in and said that the ratings had had jumped up and uh, there was discussion, but he said that, you know, you guys are, are good friends. And uh, I know Curtis a long time and it's not like, you know, a threat, but then more calls were still calling and, and such. Um, but uh, it, it just went on and on, but uh, I still, I listened to you during the day, even that, and then back to this and back and forth. And so, but you, you guys are, are good friends. Uh, so, um, Mike, Mike, let's straighten this out since you're a new Jack listener. How <laughs> could I be good friends with that Mameluke, that Mongoluch, Frank Morano, when he is best friends with the Gaudis and Gambinos who tried to kill me on June 19th in 1992? Oh, boy. Uh, okay, and, I see your point. And, Mike, how could I be best friends uh, with a guy named Frank Morano who invited me and my wife to his wedding in Staten Island and then had us sit next to John Gotti Jr., his uh, sister Angel, who uh, Frank has uh, the hots for, and uh, eight different members of the Gambino crime family sitting right next to us at the wedding. These are the same people who were being charged with trying to kidnap me and kill me in federal court. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I can see how that's like uh, an issue. Uh, now, now, how do we resolve that, Mike? How do we resolve that issue now that you're a new Jack getting involved with WABC for the first time, listening to me and uh, to Frank Morano within the past month? Uh I don't know. I can't. I can't imagine from, from, from what I know, of Frank, to for him to like to apologize for that. But uh, I guess it has to be brought up to see. Do, do you realize that that would be uncomfortable for Curtis, uh, being that you know this is like major New York history that what happened to you. Now I like that. And, I, I like that focus you have. That Frank used the fifty thousand pound for watts of sound. This blowtorch of a. Uh, radio station to actually issue not a fatwa against me, but an apology that he would have to read uh, once uh, a week uh, for, uh, I would say, mm, about the next month. That's not asking too much. I'm sorry to laugh, but... Um, uh... But I, I think I mean, a, a man's man, knowing he was wrong, knowing how he put me in a precarious position, claiming he's a good friend of mine, and then meantime, he's better friends with the very people who tried to put me six feet under in a pine box. Frank Morano really? is a pathetic excuse for a man. You heard that in his own words there, Mike. Nobody put words. Uh, I want you to listen specifically. Be very cogent 
in your analysis, listen okay. to how Frank Morano describes himself on his version of The Other Side of Midnight. Frank Morano is a pathetic excuse for a man. <laughs> he didn't say that. That's, that, that's his voice, right? Frank Morano is a pathetic excuse for a man. Now, we, we can resolve this. Nowadays, there are 72 different gender identifications. And as you know, people are in constant transition. Some are going from men to women. Others are going from women to men. We can fix his um, situation by putting him into transition so that he does not have to bear the scars of the Frank Morano who has a uh, XX uh, chromosome did phenomenal damage to our friendship by siding with John Cotty Jr. and the Gambino crime family against me. Do you think it was intentional? Hmm. That is a very interesting question as to whether he was just uh, all mesmerized. You know, he's out there in Staten Island. They worship, you know, members of organized crime. If you were to say, oh, my member, my my neighbor is a member of the Colombo crime family, they'll come over with the cannolis. You know, they'll say, hey, keep your gun holstered. We're bringing the cannolis and the Medaliadoro coffee. Right. I'm telling you, this is a, this is a dilemma. You you pointed it out, and I want to thank you for making that observation. But now, what do I do about the misinformation that he's putting out? Maybe he's listening, and uh, he's going to reply. And I and I would I would imagine that callers will call on about this. You know, how did you seat the, him at the same table? Uh, couldn't you imagine that would have been uncomfortable knowing what had happened to him? And, the most tragic and, my t- and insult to injury, like uh, throwing salt onto my wounds. We're sitting there, and uh, I asked my wife Nancy to dance. We're dancing. And then John Gotti Jr., my name me- nemesis, goes up to Frank Morano. By the way, he put nothing in the booster bag, nothing. Uh, I basically took a reverse mortgage, a payday loan, and put a big fat envelope in his booster bag. Uh, John Gotti Jr. gave him ubats, gave him uh, ugats. But anyway, he goes to Frank while I'm dancing with my wife, Nancy. He says, uh, do you think Curtis would mind if I cut in and started dancing with his wife, Nancy? Really? How do you know that? Frank talked about it on the radio. Now, is that not the height of chutzpah, of hubris? Yes. The very guy who tried to turn me into room temperature is now going to get up on the dance floor, go tap me on the shoulder, and say to my wife, hey, how would you like to dance with me, and set up a situation where there could have been a throwdown, there could have been violence, it could have, and Frank Morano, he had no problem with that, none. And worse, uh, worse, just... Mike, worse. Uh, let me paint the picture. He has invited the owners and operators of this great station, WABC, our parent company, Red Apple Media. John and Margot Katsimatidis came out to Staten Island, and they're watching all of this unfold. And it's putting me in a very bad situation 
to the very people who have me on radio so many hours a week, the WABC, the acronym stands for Always Broadcasting Curtis. But now they had to have second thoughts because they could see I was getting angry, I was getting mad, I was ready to use thoracic physical violence to settle this blood feud, this vendetta. Uh, it sounds to me that Frank wasn't thinking. Well, he oftentimes does not think. I mean, if you know Frank Morano, he's uh, sometimes he's mindless. I know he has uh, his, um, I guess, gangster show aside. That's not a part of it, at least what he's mentioned. That's on his Facebook, I believe, or some other podcast, I think it is. Yes, it's called but, uh, The Racket Report, and he actually does a outstanding job. He is now considered out of the many hosts and hostesses here at WABC, the go-to guy when you want an interview. So, for instance, let's say John Katsimatidis was able to secure a major guest uh, from either the Democrats or the Republicans, but somebody who is hard to get. Uh, John would immediately contact Frank and say, I'd like you to interview this person. Um, The way... uh, uh, Anderson Cooper does for 60 Minutes uh, on time to time when he's uh, on loan from uh, 60 Minutes. Frank is considered now the best interview in all of talk radio. Hmm. But that does not okay. excuse him <laughs> for putting me into such a precarious position and then claiming as he brainwashed you and others to believe, oh, Curtis is my good friend. I act more incompetent at certain areas than I actually am. And I don't know why I'm that way. You see, Mike, again, his own voice. In the same table? The same table was staring and glaring at one another. I'm I-fornicating John Gotti Jr., and he is mad-dogging me. And you know who's sitting there like the cat that swallowed Tweety Bird smiling? Frank Morano. Yeah. Frank Morano. <laughs> no, no. I don't you believe that he knew he was conscious of this and not just he had to have been, right? How could he? Not only that, let me tell you how nefarious he was. Uh, this is supposed to be a private matter, your wedding, right? Yes. Visitors are not welcome. Media is not welcome, right? Paparazzi not welcome. Uh, his wife, Rachel, she uh, she doesn't like the limelight at all. So Rachel basically says to him, look, you're the guy out front. You're the guy in the limelight. You're at Talk Radio WABC. But I really don't want to be in the limelight. I don't want uh, reporters around. I don't want stories done. I just want to take care of my 40-pound-year-old son, uh, Carmine. And that's the agreement that they have. So all of a sudden, halfway through the wedding, I'm sitting there at the table. You know, we're ready to have the dessert. And in run in about 12 different reporters that Frank Morano has reached out to. Now, he never once asked permission of me or Nancy. She was embarrassed to high heavens. And then the next day, the headlines in the New York Post is that Frank Morano seated John Gotti Jr. next to Curtis Lewa, hoping that something would be set off. No, yeah. I can't believe this. Yeah, yeah. you know, he's a real media maven. He set me up for a big fall, Mike. I can, 
I can never forgive. I can never forget that, Mike. He said also that seventy only seventy percent of what you say is true. Oh, excuse me. Is he a lie detector test? You see how he he casts aspersions against me. Seventy percent. Wow. Yeah. Wow. He's added yeah. insult to injury now, Mike. I like Frank. So I mean, I like you both. Well, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me, let me, let me define for you the relationship a little longer. I first met Frank. He was an intern for me at WABC at our old location at Two Pen Plaza, seventeenth floor, right above Madison Square Garden. He was an intern from NYU. He was then also my producer in the various shows that I had done for close to fifteen years. Fifteen years he was my producer. So here it is, he's getting married, he's telling everybody, oh, if not for the grace of God and if not for the mentoring of Curtis Lewa, I would not be in radio, I would not have a radio program myself the other side of midnight. And so who does he choose for his best man at his wedding to Rachel? Who do you think he chose, Mike? Not Gotti. No, but let me tell you something. He was uh, tempted by the idea, but thankfully his uh, lovely wife, Rachel, said, no, no, you can't do that. It's a two-way street here. I'm the wife. You're the husband. We got to share this. He invited city councilman from the South Shore of Staten Island, Joe Borelli, who is an Eric Adams Republican. Uh, He was like nothing to Frank. He had him as his best man, and everybody was saying to me, Mike, how come Frank didn't ask you to be the best man? You've been the best thing that ever happened to him in his life and in talk radio. According to Curtis, I am a very different person than the kind of person I actually am. Now, does that make any sense, Mike? Uh, No. You see how he rope-a-dopes us. Did did, did, did you ever play Duncan uh, Yo-Yo? Did you ever play with a Duncan Yo-Yo? Yes, I have. Remember how you walk the dog with the Duncan Yo-Yo? Yes. That's what he does with people like you and me. He's walking the dog. Everything is fake. Everything that Curtis says about me is wildly exaggerated or inaccurate. You see this, Mike? I've been giving you facts. And he calls me a fake, a fugazi. Me! And then, wait, wait, it doesn't stop there, Mike. His son is born. I spoke about it on the radio. I was the first to announce it to the world. Young Carmine was brought into this world. Rachel was at Richmond uh, Hospital. Uh, It was delivered by a midwife and a nurse. Uh, she was able to deliver it, even though it was a very, very large baby, 15 pounds carmine. And it took her a while to recover, as you could imagine. And so now they're having the christening, they're having the baptism. I wasn't even invited, Mike. Oh, that's strange. Not even invited to the baptism and the christening. And then... Recently, he puts up a huge post on his Facebook. He's inviting every Tom, Dick, Harry, Sally, anybody he ever knew, good, bad, or indifferent, to a barbecue he was having at his Ponderosa, his house. house. He and his wife, uh, they do this once a year. I've been to barbecues before. 
And I have my whole staff here that oftentimes are assisting him when his own personnel are deadbeats or they claim they have a fever in the foot or or they just don't want to work. They're real slackers and deadbeats, his hipster and millennial producer uh, and also board operator. And so he invites them to the barbecue and others, people who are virtual strangers to him. No invite for me, no invite for our board operator here, Broadway Bill Lee. I mean, an iconic figure on loan to us from WCBS-FM. And the telephone talent coordinator who we put on loan to his show to help him sometimes through thick and thin, Avery, not an invitation to his barbecue, Mike. What does that say to you? I don't think Curtis is someone that has a lot of friends, to be honest. But I think if he were to answer honestly about who his close friends were, I think I'd be uh, up there as well. Wow, what what hubris. I heard that. Now, to take the side of Frank in this case, maybe you weren't available and you're now in that 30% of not revealing the truth. Is that possible? Hmm. So I see you're beginning to side a little bit with Frank here, Mike. I like you both, I said. No, no, no. No, hold on a second. This is like, this is like uh, King Solomon. You're going to have to split Carmine one way or the other. It's either me, Mike, or it's Frank. It can't be Medze, Medze, Poco, Poco. <laughs> the pressure's on, Mike, for all talk listeners everywhere. They have to make a choice. You can act like a man. What's the matter with you? I've laid out the documentary evidence. It is crystal clear that Frank has taken advantage of our friendship, has taken advantage of me as his mentor, and now he loves, he he adulates in the fact that he is being referred to within circles, uh, like Talkers Magazine, which is the most prestigious publication that affects our industry by Michael Harrison, as the here and now, the future, and the here and now of talk radio, the golden child the uh, untouchable, he's called an untouchable by this, uh, by this Michael Harrison. That means he can do no wrong, Mike. I did not see Curtis next to the Gaudis at my wedding. They were on opposite ends of the room. They did not interact at all. There was no interaction. I don't think they saw one another. Uh, the extent, I think, to any interaction they had is Curtis was dancing with his wife on the dance floor, and John Gotti Jr. came over to me, and he said to me, hey, do you think Curtis would mind if I cut in with his wife? Oh, my God. <laughs> Mike, do you think I would be in a crowded catering hall and not be able to identify my assassin, my executioner who tried to kill me, who gave orders to his gunman, Michael Leonardi, who shot me with five hollow-point bullets? Oh, God. I'm flabbergasted. I'm dumbfounded. Uh, uh, Okay, he said you're not sitting at the same table. Uh, I know you, you said you were. Uh, he said the opposite ends of the room. So now I know he's there, but he just admitted that he asked to dance with your wife. So mm-hmm. that's pretty bad. 
Oh, that, 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 oh, what an indiscretion that is. He should have put John Gotti Jr. in check at that point and said, listen, Curtis is my friend. You tried to kill him, you and your cohorts. Cease and desist. No, no, no. He had a good belly laugh at my expense. The humiliation, the degradation, people were laughing at me. As John Gotti Jr. was bragging, I can get up and I can take his wife if I want to. And Frank, he didn't say anything. He never said anything to you beforehand? Never. When we substituted for Frank, Frank originally said, oh, I'm going away with uh, Rachel and my baby for seven-day vacation. By the way, second vacation in two months, almost unheard of in this industry. But whatever Frank wants, Frank gets. So he actually extended it to 10 days. So all of us, we had to rearrange our schedules. It's like rearranging the uh, chairs on the uh, Titanic. So we uh, rearranged our our schedules to benefit uh, substituting for Frank Morano while he was away an additional three days. We didn't even get a text, not even an email, not even a phone call. Thank you guys for keeping the audience, for holding it down while I needed a few extra days and you know what he needed a few extra days for, Mike? You know what he needed a few extra days in order to do? Dry out because he was drinking for all seven days. Six martinis before noon. Six dry martinis with the olive in it. Down the hatch before noon. He's half in the bag every day, so he needed two days to recover By the third day that made 10 days, he was able to come back sober and renew his other side of midnight Monday through Fridays from 1 to 5. I slept from 10 after 9 or 9.15 to 5.15 p.m., eight hours, basically. Wow. I don't know the last time that I've slept eight hours during the week or on the weekend ever. I mean, I don't know. I must have been drugged at some point. You see, Mike, he was hammered, hammered. It wasn't the weather. No. Now, I've tried to uh, throw a lifeline to him. A, as a degenerate gambler that he is self-acknowledges shooting crap, shooting CeeLo, playing roulette, playing uh, blackjack, playing five-card draw poker. He is attracted consistently to the Borgata in Atlantic City and loses his shirt and his BVDs and his Fruit of the Loom. Try to do an intervention. He'll have nothing to it. And the Borgata that he snores uh, makes it difficult because they give him uh, an au pair to take care of Carmine, his 40-pound baby, uh, endless amounts of uh, coupons that Rachel gets to go shop till she drops. And then Frank, he plays uh, craps morning, noon, and night because, you know, in a casino, you don't know what time it is. You don't know what day it is. And he loses his entire paycheck and then he gets paid again, and he goes back, and he does it all over again. Come on, come on, come on. Five, five, sir. Come on, five. Seven. Crap out. Okay. So now I've lost another $60. This is frighteningly realistic. Okay. Oh, come on, Six, with your funky ass. I've been waiting for you all night. Come on, Six, with your bad ass. Come on, yeah. Ah, crap. 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 
I try to save him from himself. And then there's the alcohol problem. So you, you, you understand this is like ammonia and bleach. The gambling with the alcohol is a recipe for self-destruction. Mike, I have tried. And Frank- they are so stingy with what they give you. They load these drinks up with ice and then put like a drop, drop, little, little eyedropper worth of alcohol in there. So it's very tough to get drunk. I mean, fortunately, I'm a very committed drinker and I can manage it. But it's very difficult. Thinks he can manage it. All alcoholics say that. Oh, I, I can manage this. You should see him sometimes. Right. He has the Jake Lake, the Rum Rouge. Really? My, my, imagine by 12 yeah. noon, six dry martinis with the olive in it. Six martinis is a lot. That's the that's the most that I've ever had in one sitting. And, and it always ends in disaster. Whenever you have six martinis... It's lights out. I mean, there's, something's going seriously wrong there if I've had six martinis. There's going to be some story that is not necessarily going to p- portray me in a positive light if I've had six martinis. I've done that maybe five times in my life. Each time, total disaster. Total disaster. See, Mike, you see what a personal mess, what a hot mess he has become? He, he knows these things. He recognizes them. But he won't let anybody do anything to prevent him from continuing on this road of self-destruction, Mike. Uh, it was actually exciting to listen to him say that he won thousands of dollars, and he explained Baccarat and explained craps, and I almost and he had the, he has a call-in part where you can ask him any question, so uh, that you can ask no, him about gambling. No, Mike. Let me correct you. A little constructive criticism. You can ask Frank any question. In that hour once a week that he says, ask Frank Morano any question, except you can't ask him his age. Again, trivia questions aren't great talk topics, you know, because once we learn it, it's kind of over. But it is interesting. I would not have guessed that. You are not permitted to ask him what his age is, Mike. Don't you find that a little odd? Isn't it public record? I mean, can't, can't, can't we find out anyway? He has been confronted, Mike. People have obviously uh, gone to the clerk's office in downtown Manhattan. Uh, They've been able to get information. You're not permitted to see his birth certificate. Trying to get somebody's birth certificate is like uh, almost impossible to do. But there have been ways of checking it. People have called him up and confronted him with his birth date, his date of birth, and how old he is. And you know what he does? He introduces them to Mr. Click. He hangs up on them. Now, that, that, that's a weird eccentricity that he has, Mike. I think both of us can agree on that, right? Uh, yes, uh, but he complained that you put him on hold for four and a half hours. Now, what kind of a person who works five days a week is on the radio Monday through Fridays, one to five, he does vignettes uh, in terms of business updates, would then want to spend his weekend where he's admitted he's a lush hanging on the telephone to talk to me for four hours. Thanks for taking my call. You know, when I call Curtis, I'm on hold for four and a half hours, and I uh, four hours and 23 minutes the other night. He doesn't take my calls well, anymore. He did, he did the same thing to me. So this Avery character that is the telephone talent coordinator <laughs> for Curtis's show, 
He has his whole hierarchy of who he chooses to put through and who he chooses not to put through. And I have... I don't think it's uh, Avery. I think it's Curtis. Well, it could be. It could be. Because uh, I've confronted Avery about this. And I said, look, why did you keep me on hold for three hours while I was hold- while I was, uh, you know, on hold? Uh, you know, I, I, and, and, and Joe. And, I was on hold three hours. Well, I know. But, Joe, I mean, I don't know why they put you on hold. But in my case, you know, I had material that I had prepared to go on with Curtis. Right. I mean, and it was going to be funny stuff. It was going to be substantive stuff. It was going to be stuff that I knew Curtis was going to like. And then I confronted Avery about this. And uh, Avery said, well, come on. Do you think that's really me? You think anybody tells Curtis who to go to? So I think you might be right. Maybe it is a Curtis situation. Mike, is his life so meaningless that he would stay on the telephone three and a half hours to talk to me on a show that I do on the weekends that is his show during the week? He said he wanted to tell you something you would like. Yeah, but he is going to be the best judge of something I would like. No, this is what he wants me to do, Mike. Like yourself, you called how long ago? I I called uh, last week uh, when he, he was on, and was, when uh, the raid happened that, that night I called Right, but uh, how long within this seg- segment of talking oh, to me? Did I wait? To, to, uh, oh, yeah, right away. I called in, what, a half an hour ago? Okay. He would want me, for instance, if you're in a queue, we call it a queue. Uh, Avery right. uh, vets out all the callers, and he has them in the manner that they called. So Frank Morano would want me to buck the line leave you hanging there, Mike, and go right to him because he happens to be Frank Morano. And I I told him, uh, I said, I don't do that. I don't care who you are. If you're number 18 and you got to wait, it's only fair to the other callers. But he had a hissy fit right away. You know, he pulled a diva routine. He went to HR. He hid behind their skirts. And they wrote me up. They wrote me up for that, Mike. No, I don't believe it. Yeah. Curtis, are you embellishing? No, no, no. I have a jacket full of uh, reports of Frank uh, Morano complaining about my behavior on the other side of midnight on the weekend. I mean, if I ever see you here again, you die just like that. Now, remember, I'm his senior... He was my intern, he was my producer, and now he sits numero uno uh like uh, he's the rooster on top of the on top of the chicken coop. I'm just one of the chickens. Right. And you did say tonight that at one point you did have higher ratings and now he has higher ratings, yes. but yes. when you covered it was much closer. And yes. he was explaining the ratings how how they work. But I mean, think of this. At one time, he used to go out of his way to say, if not for Curtis Lewa, I would not be in talk radio. Uh, when nobody wanted me as an intern, because he's quite the curmudgeon, if you haven't noticed. He, he's very, very sarcastic, and he puts people down, and he sort of burned a few bridges. I threw him the lifeline. I say, look, Frank Morano is my intern. That's it. He's staying here at WABC. Then when he became producer, there were a number of times he rocked the boat. And I always had his back. 
Now that the roles are reversed, he does everything he can to prevent me from becoming the ratings leader again at WABC like I've been before, Mike. I can only listen more yeah, to both of you and to try to find my own truth. But I know you said I have to choose. No, no, no. That's that's a brilliant idea, and I, I advocate it for everybody out there because I need people. I can't listen all the time to Frank because I have to take the Guardian Angels out on patrol. We're in a crime crisis here in the city. We have Eric Adams, a swagger man who has no plan to deal with crime. So on those times, I can't listen to Frank. Having people like yourself who are fair and impartial, who are not biased one way or the other, listening and then reporting back to me is the best way that you, Mike, and other callers can help me here at WABC. Hmm. Well, I'm enjoying it, actually. So, uh, But uh, it, there's something here to be found out because uh, I – now you've got me really scratching my head on it. Well, maybe well, scratch your head. Listen, listen to Frank Morano Monday through Fridays, one to five. That's twenty hours a week. Then naturally, <laughs> I'm on all different times. Uh, yes. It approaches about twenty-four hours a week uh, when you figure I'm on from uh, twelve fifteen to one o'clock Monday through Fridays. Then I'm on the other side of midnight, 12 midnight to 6 a.m. I take people to the break of dawn, Saturday morning, Sunday morning. Then I'm on with Anthony Weiner, uh, his show, uh, which is in the middle, first, two to three. And then I'm on with him, left versus right. Then I come back on Sunday, three to five, where I give you the news, the commentary, and then take calls. It's call-driven. And then after a few hours, I'm back again, 9 to 11, call-driven, whatever news has been taking place in the interim, and then the most called in, listened to, requested of all the shows that I do on WABC, the acronym standing for Always Broadcasting, Curtis, the Animal Welfare Hour, with my uh, my gorgeous wife, Nancy, who is a, I mean, just a great animal hmm. rescuer, and that's how I finish up the week. Hmm. That's some week. That's I'm telling you, and I love every second of it, Mike. All I ask of you is that you be fair-minded, you listen to both as much as is humanly possible, and then from time to time you report back to me so I know how this guy stabbed me in the back and stuck a shiv into me. Okay, I, I will try to do that as far as I could. And then the reason why I, I, I call and I said this to Avery is the first time I listened, you were playing the mayor and about uh, – using his hand there's no better way of uh, mixing a salad than with your hand and and maybe maybe that's what he meant though it didn't really come out that way and he uh, also was talking about these other men to like impress him again probably didn't come out the right way but i think what he was talking about uh, there's nothing more impressive to a woman on when you're on a date that to, to show that you know how to cook Ah, ah, you see, you were able to express that, not the mayor who was fumbling and stumbling. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Get up in the evening.
Well, well, well. I see that uh, the boss man, Farmer Springsteen, still has not explained why he's ripping off his many uh, followers with outrageous prices uh, as the E Street Band, led by Bruce Springsteen, has decided to go back out on tour. I mean, some of the tickets, $5,000. $1,000 in the nosebleed section. And the working class hero, not. Apparently, uh, is incapable of explaining to his many fans why he's ripping them off. Especially since he just got paid $550 million for his song library. I mean, what the hell? Is he going to take it with him when he kicks the bucket? Greed. And then Stevie Van Zandt, you know, schmatterhead boy, said, well, you know, it's, it's capitalism, it's capitalism. I wish I could do something about it. Yes, you can. You can lower the prices. But, oh, no, you know. And it's Shabu, El Jefe, Chris Christie, the number one sickle fan, Tony and Lackey and Groupie of uh, Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. Watch, he has already been to 183 concerts. 183 concerts. He's traveled the world to do the Jiggle Wiggle while Bruce and uh, Schmata Boy are on stage with the band playing. And never once, never once does Bruce acknowledge him. I mean, there is Shabu El Jefe Chris Christie doing the Jiggle Wiggle. Bruce, I'm here. Remember former governor of New Jersey running for the presidency? Hello? Treats him like a schmendrick, a pisher, person of no consequence. And when all is said and done, he really is a pisher, a schmendrick, that Shamuel Hefe Chris Christie. Anyway, up next, he oversaw a sanctuary state when he was governor as uh, our governor... Kathy Crime Wave Hokum. Hokum foot means full of nonsense. She's in charge of a sanctuary state. And Eric Adams, the swagger man with no plan, who was out again a few hours ago at a nightclub, he also uh, presides over a sanctuary city in which basically they're all saying, Andale, Andale, come to America, make money at our expense. Meantime, we'll exploit you and use you. And turn you into political fodder. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Check this out. On the weekend, take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa. On another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Here's Curtis Lewa. Wow. Could you actually have a song like that today? 
Remember, it was uh, created by very liberal progressive folks, Leonard Bernstein, Sondheim, others who created that first musical Broadway, musical on Broadway, West Side Story, and then turned it into the movie. We're not talking about the Spielberg version, which just recently was made in the streets, mostly of Patterson, New Jersey. Up the hill, down the hill, first ward, fourth ward. I prefer the original. But the concept was that those singing was saying, come to America where everything is free, where the streets are paved in gold. Immigrants after immigrants, decade after decade, have been told, if you can make it to America, the streets are paved with gold. Now, obviously, the immigrants, uh, they come here, whether they are legal or illegal, and they find out that that's just not true. But it's a hell of a lot better than from their countries of origin, that's for sure, especially if they're coming from third world countries. But let me give you some of the updates because our uh, mayor, Eric Adams, the swagger man who has no plan, is being spun like a top by Governor Abbott of Texas. And now the mayors of the border, uh, the border uh, cities to the state of Texas that are just overwhelmed from the daily traffic that comes across the border into their communities. I bet you a lot of you didn't realize this, that city authorities here in New York, we have declared ourselves a sanctuary city and have been so going way back to Ed Koch. So Ed Koch presided over a sanctuary city. So did Michael Mbadicic, Rudy Giuliani. So did Michael Bloomberg. So did part-time mayor uh, Bill de Blasio who single-handedly destroyed this city that we love, and obviously our current mayor, the swagger man who has no plan, Eric Adams. Throughout all that time, we were a sanctuary city, which means that you cannot ask these illegal aliens for their identification. So if the cops are stopping the illegal aliens, can't ask them for identification. No. The rest of you, you happen to be a citizen, you got a green card, you're on a visa, you better provide your information. Illegal aliens? No, not at all. And it's been that way for quite some time, both from law enforcement and other city agencies. Uh, point of fact, there was a uh, hearing in the city council where the deck is stacked against any kind of common sense. There are 51 uh, city council people. Most of them are deadbeat slackers and have a hardcore left-wing progressive uh, democratic identity and they're pro illegal all the way they want more coming in they don't know where they're going to get the money to care for them but they just they just want you to all know that they're more than happy to stand at the border if necessary with a checkerboard flag from the indianapolis 500 screaming underlay 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 well what are they going to do with them well it doesn't matter let's just get them in first so during this city council hearing on the matter of all the illegals that are being sent here by Governor Abbott from Texas, the head of the city's Department of Homeless Services, Commissioner Gary Jenkins, who's already in hot water for having lied publicly about handling the surge of illegal aliens in the shelter system, said that New York relied on self-reported information. It's a very important word, self-reported information during the intake process to reach the figure while noting that the city agency cannot ask 
for the documentation status of people entering shelters. Now, how crazy is that? I want you to picture this for a moment. If you are a citizen of the United States and you happen to be in New York City, there was a federal court order issued back in 1979, the very year that I started the Guardian Angels up in the Bronx as a night manager of Mickey D's on the corner of Fordham Road and Webster Avenue. At that point, a federal judge determined that anybody here in the city of New York could suddenly declare themselves to be indigent, without clothing, without food, without medication, without medical care, and without housing. And it is incumbent upon the city to immediately make sure that those issues are addressed. We're like the only city in the United States that has that kind of a court order imposed over us. You would think that previous mayors, our present mayor, would form a coalition, Democrats and Republicans together, and appeal that decision by that federal judge because it hamstrings us. It handcuffs us because Newark, New Jersey, they don't operate under that order. Philadelphia doesn't operate under that order. Eastern Pennsylvania doesn't operate under that order. Only New York City. And that means also that if you happen to be indigent or poor or homeless or an illegal alien, you want to make it a New York City because you got guaranteed shelter. Guaranteed uh, food uh, stamps, guaranteed debit card uh, for the food stamps, they call it the SNAP card, guaranteed Medicaid, guaranteed a place to stay, guaranteed clothes, guaranteed the whole nine yards. But in that entire process, nobody asks you your name and identification. You could be a serial killer. You could have warrants out for your arrest from your countries of origin that you have supposedly fled from as you seek asylum in America, in this case, in New York City. Nobody's going to ask you for your ID. Now, if you enter a building, interesting how not only would you be asked for an ID, but you might be asked for a vaccine-mandated uh, a piece of paper that says you're vaccinated. How crazy is that? Illegal alien, nothing. Citizen paying your taxes, raising your kids, law-abiding. You may have to show a vaccine passport. You may have to show ID. You may have to show other methods of identification. You want to vote? You know, early voting started uh, yesterday, Saturday. Almost nobody showed up. What a ridiculous waste of money, these early voting days. In non-presidential years, a complete waste of time, a complete waste of resource. Nobody shows up. Presidential years, you can make the case for early voting. Non-presidential years, not. The only ones making money are the people who are staffing uh, the uh, places where the polling is taking place because they're virtually doing nothing. They're holding up their pants. They're holding up the table. Uh, they're processing few, if any, uh, folks who are coming in to vote. But all along in this process, in a sanctuary city, you don't ever have to ask for identification. In fact, you are prevented in many instances from asking for identification. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's set the table again because the stakes are high. Governor Abbott of Texas and the Board of Cities, their mayors, have all started to gang up on our mayor, 
Eric Adams, the uh, swagger man with no plan. And they have definitely lured him into the Venus flytrap. Let's go back to the interview that Governor Abbott had with Jesse Waters of the Fox News Channel this past week. Do you expect Mayor Adams and, and Mayor Bowser to come to Texas and see for themselves what's going on? You know, Jesse, I, I really wish they would because public officials across the country, they do need to realize the magnitude of the chaos created by Biden's open border policies. They're up in arms about a few thousand people coming into their communities over the past few months. Listen, in any one sector in the state of Texas, we have more than 5,000 people come across that sector every single day. And so, listen, we're full in the state of Texas. Our communities are overrun. And I started busing people to Washington, D.C., when local officials could not handle the number of people that had come across our border. And it's time that these officials in New York, and I'm glad you mentioned the New York Times, they haven't reported about this. They haven't written about the chaos at the border. Maybe finally the New York Times will also start talking about the chaos at the border caused by the Biden administration's change of all the measures that were put in place by President Trump, where President Trump actually did secure the border. Very logical. And inviting both the mayor of Washington, D.C. and our own mayor, Eric Adams, down to the border to see for themselves. Neither have ever been there. I've been there a number of times previous uh, to 9-11, the attack of 9-11. Obviously, things tightened up at the border. Uh, we created ICE, which now many of the Democratic local officials refer to as thugs. Uh, they were led in that direction by Andrew Evilized Cuomo. Thank God he's no longer uh, governor. But he referred to ICE on many occasions as thugs. So did Eric Adams. So did other Democrat officials. Meantime, it's ICE that tracks these illegal aliens, especially the gangbangers, the drug dealers, the members uh, who are narco-terrorists. They have the best, the best absolutely tracking information of any agency and uh, the city of New York, because of its uh, sanctuary policy, doesn't want to have any communication at all. Now, you would say, well, if the city doesn't want to have any communication with Lemigre, Immigration and Naturalization Service, and ICE, who they view as thugs, why is Eric Adams complaining that nobody is communicating with him about the illegals being shipped here? We have not communicated with the other bordering states on, on why they're doing it. It's wrong to send people out of your state. Nobody's going to communicate with you, Eric Adams, because you don't want them to communicate with you. You banned your agencies from having any communication with Lemigre, Immigration and Naturalization Service, and what you call the dreaded ICE, thugs. Every day, these brave men and women put on these uh, bulletproof vests, members of ICE, they get retainers that are spit out by computers based on somebody's background who is staying here illegally or maybe has committed crimes or whose crimes are being adjudicated in court. And they are being prevented from serving these retainers time and time again by our city officials. Then all of a sudden, uh, Eric Adams, the swagger man with no plan for the city of New York, talks about how horrific it is for the illegal aliens to board buses in Texas and come all the way on up to Nueva York. This is horrific when you think about uh, what uh, the governor uh, is doing, the governor of Texas, uh, after a month 
of traveling across the border, placing on the bus with no direction to come here uh, to New York. Let me tell you, they ain't complaining. They made it across the border. Just simply said that they're seeking asylum because they're either victims of domestic abuse or gang retribution or threats like MS-13 or 18th Street uh, or a totalitarian uh, dictatorship that potentially could harm them or their family members. So uh, they're seeking uh, asylum. They're not complaining. And then here is Abbott just ripping Eric Adams and the mayor of Washington, D.C., a new backside. And they're a bunch of hypocrites. Uh, they're fine with illegal immigration flooding across our borders and the crisis caused by the Biden administration, as long as it stays down in Texas. Yeah, as long as it stays down in Texas, Arizona, with Ducey, New Mexico, California. Oh, California, it's a pipeline, man. I don't know how many of you have ever pounded the hound from San Diego going north to Fresno or San Francisco, Oakland, or up to Sacramento. Uh, when you go north from San Diego, right outside of Camp Pendleton, uh, along uh, I-5, they stop all the buses, and the Immigra, Immigration and Naturalization Service, ICE, check every compartment. I mean, and you would be surprised how innovative the illegals are in storing themselves, their own bodies, on board these Greyhound buses. And uh, I've actually uh, witnessed this about... Four times when I had to pound the hound from the San Ysidro Canyon right on the border with uh, Tijuana. In fact, the bus stops right there on the Tijuana side, right in front of the Mickey D's where the trolley is. Do you know there's a trolley right there? Trolley goes from uh, uh, downtown Tijuana all the way to San Diego. And you better believe there are illegals stashing their way in that trolley in every nook, cranny, and corner. Now they have the big fence. Now, uh, when Trump was president, uh, he fortified that fence uh, and he built a renewal fence. But before that, there was just a little barbed wire. You could step over the barbed wire, go in and out as you please. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. So what did uh, Eric Adams, the uh, swagger man with no plan, do? He decided to double down and, in a sense, threaten Governor Abbott politically which is really stupid to do by saying, hey, I'm going to gather up some of these illegals who came up here from Texas, and I'm going to go back down with them, pound the hound. It'll take about two uh, two days, 48 hours, and then we're going to go door to door, and we're going to solicit people to vote for Beto O'Rourke, the Democratic candidate who's running against uh, Governor Abbott for re-election. Oh, yeah, that's really going to work, Eric. I already called all of my friends in uh, Texas and told them how to cast their vote. And uh, I am deeply contemplating taking a busload of New Yorkers uh, to go to Texas and do some good old-fashioned door knocking uh, because we we have to, for the good of America, we have to get them out of office. Yeah, for the good of America. Yeah, How stupid, how foolish would that be? Here you are, Eric Adams, in your $5,000 customized suit, your Ferragamo shoes, knocking on people's doors in the fourth ward of Houston, in San Antonio, or maybe in Dallas, in Deep Ellum, wherever you choose. And you, you've got your illegal aliens in tow who had already pounded the hound up to New York City from Texas. Now they're going in reverse osmosis. 
Let me remind Eric Adams, former police officer, as we are always reminded, you know, he's a former cop. Well, guess what? There are good cops, and there are real stinkeroony cops. And Eric Adams was one of those stinkeroony cops who were, like, absolutely not productive, not efficient, and were not aware of police science in any way, shape, or form. But in the case of Eric Adams, you go door to door anywhere in Texas, and remember, Texans have guns. Good people have guns. Bad people have guns. Uh, they'll oftentimes basically click the trigger when a group of Jehovah Witnesses come to their door. They'll click the trigger when all of a sudden a Mormon, a group of two Mormons, you know, who are on their mission, uh, start knocking on the door. You can imagine uh, Broadway Beale Lee, what they would do if all of a sudden they saw Eric Adams, mayor of New York City, in tow with illegal aliens. Have a feeling they'll be uh, pulling out their Winchester, sawed-off shotguns, wanting to know, what the hell do you want? Go ahead. Make my day. For sure. And, in fact, that's exactly what Abbott said. You know, I kind of feel like Clint Eastwood. Go ahead, mayor. Make my day. Uh, There could hardly be anything better uh, to aid my campaign against Beto O'Rourke than to have Beto O'Rourke have his campaign aided by a bunch of New Yorkers that will not be viewed very positively in the state of Texas. Candidly, the only thing better than that is what has already occurred, and that is Beto has received a million dollars from George Soros. Uh, This is a campaign by Beto that's being run by people outside of the state of Texas. This race is about Texans, and Texans are fed up with what the Biden administration has done on our border, the chaos that has caused, the damage that has caused in the state of Texas. And that is exactly uh, why we are sending these illegal immigrants to places like Washington, D.C. and New York City. Go ahead. Make my day. What is this Beto? It's Beto, right? Beto, Beto, Beto Rourke. You know, it's... Uh... Beto, a.k.a. Beto, has an extended an invitation to Eric Adams to come down and campaign for him. That would be political suicide. That would be the equivalent of what happened when uh, George Pataki was running against Mario Facha Bruta Cuomo, King Cuomo I, who was trying to get reelected for a fourth time and also preparing himself for a presidential run on the Democratic Party line. He had... Uh, established his credentials at the Moscone Center in San Francisco when he gave a soaring oration that put him in line for being the party's nominee the next time around. Uh, That was the convention that had nominated Walter Mondale to run for the presidency and uh, Mario Facha Bruta Como's friend, uh, Geraldine Ferrara, the congresswoman, to run for the vice presidency I remember I was in uh, San Francisco with the Guardian Angels. We were patrolling in and around the area and across the East Bay in Oakland. And they were already selling buttons, Mario Cuomo for president. I think it was uh, 1992. It already bumped it up four years. Well, Hamlet on the Hudson could never make up his mind, and he did not end up running for the presidency. Thank God for that. Mario Facha Bruta Cuomo. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to John, who's patiently waiting on the line from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, John. Hey, good uh, morning, Curtis. Thank you for taking my call. 
I enjoy your show, and I, I woke up this morning. I said, oh, that's right, Curtis is on. Let me uh, put that on. But anyway, I'm going to get off topic to my original reason calling. Now, hold on a second, John. John, you got to talk right into the receiver. You're coming in muffled. All right, how's this? Is that better? A thousand times better. Okay, Curtis, I thank you for taking my call. I enjoy your show. I woke up this morning and said, hey, Curtis is on. Let me call and see if I can get in. But anyway, I got an idea with these uh, legal immigrants coming in. We should pull a, a Fidel Castro on them. Tell the, have the governors from Texas and Arizona empty out the prisons. Give them a furlough. Say, hey, here's 500 bucks, a knapsack, and a cell phone. Now you cross the border into Mexico. If you come back, you're going back. You're going to go back to jail and serve your full sentence. Otherwise, do the same thing as a pastor did in the U.S. during the Jimmy Carter era. Sure, sure. I, I remember that well. Uh, Jimmy Carter took the Mariolito boat people that Fidel and Raul Castro, his brother, sent over from Cuba. They cleared out their mental asylums. Uh, they sent over their drug dealers, uh, their criminals, and they ended up pouring into South Beach and all along the uh, the coast of Florida. They were even sent over to Little Rock. Uh, they were put in... Uh, National Guard detention facilities, and they burnt it down. That actually caused uh, John Bill Clinton not to be reelected as governor. He lost his reelection because of that, because they were housing uh, the uh, Mariolito uh, Cubans who had come across uh, the Atlantic Ocean and eventually got it uh, transported over to uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. They burnt down the the holding facilities, and again, it caused... uh, Bill Clinton not to get reelected the uh, the governor of Arkansas. He had to come back four years later. That was all because of the illegal aliens, and in this case, the Mariolitos, who tried to burn the National Guard facility down. Ah, what happened? No, hello. No, I'm here. Oh, no, no. I thought maybe that Avery had administered a radio brisk to you, which... Uh, it sometimes occurred where all of a sudden you are impaired to the point where you can barely speak. No, I mean, uh, it, it, it's really a problem here. And like you said, a lot of hypocrites here in uh, New York or in Newark, New Jersey, uh, they don't want uh, all these illegal immigrants coming here. They claim you're a, we're a sanctuary city, and now you send them here, and um, they get their panties all up in a bunch. But I think the governors of uh, Texas and Arizona keep doing what they're doing, keep sending everybody up here, and let's see what the uh, the federal government's going to do about it. But I enjoy listening to your show, and uh, thank you for taking my call. Oh, anytime. Anytime, John. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Greg, who's calling from Phoenix, Arizona. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Greg. I'm here. Uh, hi, Curtis. Hey, I wanted to let you know that there's a difference. We've come a little desensitized to things these days, and these people are refugees. They're not immigrants. You want to talk about immigrants? My family was Irish, German, and Italian. Can you think of any muddly combination than that Mm. of the old immigrants? That's quite a motley crew. Yes, it sure was. So my grandparents were were the first generation of my great-grandparents coming over here. They wanted to be patriots. They wanted to learn English. They wanted to be part of the game. They wanted to get in it to win it kind of thing. And that, that, that was their goal. 
when my grandparents were in their 50s, it was the bicentennial in New York City. They came down from upstate, and they went to see the tall ships. And they were so choked up, they couldn't sing all those patriotic songs that they were singing uh, on the on the um, on the Hudson River. Well, interesting, uh, Greg, because um, when I think of where you're calling from now, Phoenix, it is the only place in all of America where the money's coming to the local Western Union stores that are sprinkled all about Phoenix, uh, south side, north side. Uh, There's more money that gets sent into the Western Union stores from outside of Phoenix than gets sent from Phoenix to other locales, including as remittance back to Mexico, El Salvador, Guatemala, or Honduras, or the DR by people who are illegals here and working here and sending their money back home. Uh, so the most incredible thing about all of that is the reason that so much money is being sent into Phoenix, the only place where this is true, is because that's where the coyotes bring the illegals, and then they tell the illegals, you got to get on the phone. You got to tell your relatives or your sponsor or the person that's going to hire you that unless they pony up more money in order to pay for you to go the rest of the way, you're going to be stuck here in Phoenix. And so that's why there is more money that is sent in to the Western unions in Phoenix than there is being sent out as part of remittance south of the border to their countries of origin. Only place in America where that is true. Wow, thanks for straightening me out. See, I'm I'm living in the past here. I remember when I moved to Phoenix in the 80s, I was a refugee from New York originally, and uh, I remember when people would be working here and sending the money back to the to their home, and that's not uh, – I didn't know that. That was not the case anymore. Wow, that's uh, – I'm very surprised to hear that. Now, uh, what, what year did you move to Phoenix from New York? 1985. All right, so in that time range, I remember there was a major effort to get New Yorkers to extricate themselves and leave and go to uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, what they call Rio Rancho there. It was a whole enclave of uh, residents from New York City. And they would say to people, why go to Phoenix? First off, it's hotter than hell because it's in a valley. Number two, there's smog, there's pollution. Number three, there's always drought. You never have enough water. In fact, uh, the southwest uh, portion of the United States is going through drought, uh, drought conditions as well as we up here in the northeast. But uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, less pollution, had more winds. And most importantly uh, in all of that, uh, they offered an opportunity uh, for a New Yorker to get into business a lot of uh, bagel bender joints opened up, pizza parlors, all the kind of things you would expect New Yorkers to bring with them. And there were more people going to Rio Rancho in Albuquerque, New Mexico, from New York City than there were to Phoenix. Now that's all changed. Uh, oh, Phoenix it totally. It, it flipped completely because the problem with New Mexico is one-third of the population is below the poverty level. They have a liberal uh, government. And Phoenix has been, for a number of years, very conservative, um, very pro-business, pro-growth. And they totally kicked New Mexico's ass when it came to the business expansion and luring the out-of-state talent into the region. Well, you know, business was so good that after finishing his various stints of testimony, 
for the federal government, Sammy the Bull, Bull, uh, was all of a sudden transported to North Phoenix with a new identity as a pool installer. His his wife owned a restaurant, and so he's uh, installing pools. He's got a crew. He's laying around his uh, ranch house, and his kids come home, and they got this Molly stuff, and he goes, What's up with this uh, this drug you you're using? Oh, all all the kids are using this. You know, they go to the clubs, they go to the discos, uh, they have ecstasy, they have Molly. And he said, "And you're not going to muscle them out of that?" And they said, "No, Dad, we want to stay out of trouble." Well, if you're not going to do it, I'm going to do it. He took over transporting and distributing ecstasy and uh, Molly, and ended up going back to uh, federal prison to do additional time after uh, testifying probably against uh, 47 different mobsters uh, choking on their lobsters in his stint as a federal um, a federal witness who had eaten the Parmesan cheese. Yeah, well, that made big news in Phoenix. I was here, of course, when that happened. It was after 1985. And that was like, that was major news across all the networks here in Phoenix. And I'll tell you, Sammy the Bull, coming from New York with that big business mentality, he totally kicked ass on all our local ecstasy dealers here and he really had a big piece of the pie like instantaneously he got in big and he stayed big and then of course he got busted but yeah he was a uh he was a new yorker making a big splash in the phoenix region and these people were appalled out here as as was i that that we could have someone come in we didn't even know that was here in the witness protection program all of a sudden like turning our our uh, drug world upside down it was a horrible story Oh, for sure. Well, do appreciate uh, you sharing that uh, information with us, Greg, all the way from Phoenix, where, what is it, like 135 degrees in the shade? Yeah, well, maybe not at the moment, because it's like 5 in the morning, or 2 in the morning or something, but anyway, uh, we're okay over here. We adjusted the heat. I like to say I function best in the heat. Oh, I love the heat, too. I love to schwitz uh, in my red sateen jacket and red wool beret. But I remember being in Phoenix, you had the, I, call, I think it was the mainline serial shooter and killer. Uh, oh, yeah, that was big news. That scared the hell out of it. We were like, yeah, that was pretty scary over here. There were people not, not going out because of that. All right, so I had guardian angels there, uh, both from Phoenix and surrounding areas. And we were there in the middle of summer. And the the mountains, the Sierra Mountains, there it was like a blast furnace, the heat coming off the mountain. It was like 9 o'clock at night. It was 122 degrees, dry heat, but it was like a blast furnace. And <laughs> really? Wow. Do you know yeah, that my red, my red sateen jacket hermetically sealed to my body? I could not get the red sateen jacket off me. It basically hermetically sealed right onto my skin. Yeah, it's pretty wild. I know the heat's a little bit, uh, I know it gets a little nutty out here at times, but you got to remember, there's really like nine months of the year where it's very civilized out here, uh, weather-wise, you know. So it's, I mean, we got three bad months, but we live with the other nine. Oh, no, no, I know. When I was there, I'd go to the Denny's every day for the Grand Slam, and who would I see there? The old Altacacas with their 44 Magnums strapped on the outside of their belts. These were people in their 80s who had transplanted to Phoenix from uh, the lake states of Minnesota, Wisconsin. The moment it hit like uh, May, the end of May, when it starts getting hot, they go back to Wisconsin and Minnesota, sit out the the horrific heat of the summer, 
and then come September, you know, back in Phoenix for the rest of the year. Yeah, that's uh, that's called the snowbirds. That's them, and there's hundreds of thousands of them. And would you describe to our audience how many of them, these senior citizens, are walking around packing heat, 44 magnums? Hey, forget about the senior citizens. It's everyone else. You don't, you don't, you don't mouth off in traffic or get some road rage going because you know the other guy in the uh, in the vehicle you're road raging is quite possibly going to have some armaments in their vehicle as well. So I think we're pretty much on our best behavior for a, for a city that is loaded. There's more guns than, than people, and it's very hard. Um, oh no, it's very easy to buy a gun. You can buy. It. There's no waiting period. You just go to the store. Pick up a handgun, get a box of ammo, and uh, and then you, you're you know you're you're out there protecting yourself. So, how come Phoenix is not the number one city in the country for for gun violence like Chicago, uh, when we have the easiest gun laws, or one of the easiest gun laws in the country? Not only that, you're the fastest growing city in the entire nation uh, of our country, and uh, the migration continues. People who love the dry heat, particularly if people have uh, allergies or asthma, they want to go to Phoenix. They don't want to go to Florida for the humid heat. Oh, my, the humid heat. This is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa. Relax, relax, Avery. The invasion continues into our country, but this is not an illegal alien. Bad Bunny. He's Puerto Ricanio. He is a Boricua, an American by birth. Hey, senor. Huh? You and El Gote By the way, had a concert in uh, San Juan, 60,000 in the stadium. And uh, that was a few months ago. That became a super spreader for the new COVID-19 variant. But uh, he survived that. And he's now becoming a big movie star. So don't get nervous. Uh, This is not the battle cry. This is not the uh, rally song for the illegals pouring across our borders. And they are coming nonstop. Let me give you some uh, updates before we go to the phones. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. The Border Patrol, Imigre, Immigration and Naturalization Service, and uh, ICE apprehended four sex offenders, including a rapist and men with child sex convictions, attempting to cross the southern border as agents continue to deal with massive migrant numbers. Did you hear that? The Border Patrol agents apprehended four sex offenders, including a rapist, and men with child sex convictions attempting to cross the southern border. And if they do get through and they come to New York City, we don't ask anybody for any paperwork. Nothing. Not the police, not any agencies, Nothing, because we're a sanctuary city. You're not permitted to ask for identification. That is crazy. On August 5th, 
The uh, agents of Limigra arrested a Guatemalan national who had previously been arrested and charged with lewd and lascivious acts with a child under 14 by force and was sentenced to 22 years in prison. Agents also picked up a group of six migrants that day, including a Salvadorian national who had been convicted for indecent exposure with a child in Houston in 2016, a crime for which he was sentenced to 10 years probation? 10 years probation? I thought this is Hang'em High, Texas. You know, whatever happened to Texas tough? You had Uvalde, the crazy gunman goes in there. He kills all those children, kills the teachers. And then you had all the law enforcement outside, heavily armed, wouldn't go inside. Texas wussies instead of Texas tough. And now they gave this guy probation? This is nuts. A day later, a group of three near the Rio Grande Valley, including a Mexican national with a prior rape conviction and a one-year prison sentence in Portland, Oregon, he had previously been deported, but he was back. Just because you deport him back to the country of origin doesn't mean they're going to stay there. Meantime, on the other side of the border from um, El Paso is Juarez. And it's a violent face-off between two rival Mexican cartels. They're shooting at one another all over the city of Juarez. In fact, it involves the infamous Sinola cartel, led by Joaquin El Chapo Guzman. Where is uh, El Chapo Guzman housed now? Florence, the Supermax facility in Colorado, the entire federal correctional facility is below ground. There is no natural light. You could be uh, you could be assigned there and sentenced in perpetuity. You may never ever see any kind of natural light. Anyway, this all began at one of the local lockups in Juarez. The carnage then spilled out into the streets where the gangbangers outside of prison went on a rampage, firing off shots and burning up businesses and cars. Oh, isn't that so nice? And we want these folks coming across the border? It wasn't just a clash between two groups, but it got to the point in which they began to shoot civilians, innocent people. Why waste ammunition, say the cartels? my, this is like incredible. The cartels control the government. The government is not in control. Meantime... The illegal aliens on a Texas to New York City bus pounding the Greyhound threatened to call the cops when the driver refused to stop in uh, Memphis, Tennessee. They said, we want to go to Memphis. We don't want to go to New York City. And the bus driver said, you're scheduled to go to New York City. And the illegal said, no, 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 no. We got to get off here in Tennessee. It's too dangerous in New York City. Too dangerous! And where do they get that notion from? Well, because in their countries of origin, whether they're in El Salvador, Honduras, Guatemala, Mexico, the Dominican Republic, they're watching Univision and Telemundo, the national programs, and they're learning learning all about how out of control New York City is and how dangerous it is for legal, illegal men, women, children, infirm, even animals. And they don't want to come here. And so Eric Adams, the swagger man with no plan, the last time he was at the Port Authority, which was last Sunday at 7 in the morning for a photo opportunity, and then he went live at 5. You know, that's his new nickname. Uh, 
uh, Live at Five, Eric Adams, he was talking about how 40 had been put on the bus in Texas, only 14 arrived, and some of them had jumped off along the way because they didn't want to come to New York City. And he thought <laughs> it was because they were fearful that when they arrived at the Port Authority at 42nd Street in Times Square in New York, that they would be met by ICE, the Immigration and Naturalization Service, who would lock them up. No, 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 no. Jerky boy, they put them on the buses at the border. They're not going to lock them up. Give me a little music there, a little maestro. I need a little action there from Bad Bunny. Now that he's a big-time movie star, Borrico number one, that reminds me, in just a few hours, I will be out in the streets of 6th Avenue, meeting up at 36th and 6th at about 12 noon for the annual Dominican Day Parade in Manhattan. I will be joining Congressman Lee Zeldin, the GOP candidate running for governor to oust Kathy Crime Wave uh, Holcomb uh, and uh, her lieutenant governor, Delgado, who, if all of a sudden he had to come into New York City, if he didn't, uh, if he wasn't accompanied by state troopers with a GPS, he would be lost in New York City. So would Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb, at least with Congressman Zeldin having grown up in Shirley and Suffolk County. He went back and forth to the city in many of his years. Knows all about the subways. Knows all about the Long Island Railroad, which is what the governor is in charge of, the MTA, the money-taking agency. And it is a hot mess. Crime is up in the subways 90%. It's the city that takes responsibility for the public safety with the transit police. But every other aspect of the MTA money-taking agency is overseen by the governor. But we never see Kathy Crimewave Holcomb. Anyway, uh, I'll be there in the Dominican parade marching with uh, the next governor of the state of New York. I'm sure that Congressman Zeldin and his uh, lieutenant governor candidate, uh, Esposito. Hopefully it doesn't turn out like the Dominican parade did up in the Grand Concourse in the Bronx about a week ago. When crowds at the end attack police officers from the 4-4 precinct and the 4-6 precinct, uh, let's hope there's not going to be a repeat of that action. Anyway, let's go to Mike, who's calling from Lake George. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mikey. Good morning, Curtis. Morning. Uh, wrap it up your show. Always a good show. Uh, I'm still laughing from the other day, uh, you know, when uh, you had Eric Adams on and, and we played it. Hey, <laughs> Uh, Eric, drop your apron, okay, and your spatula and everything else. It's got to be a priority for you. You turn it into a fake, a phony, and a fraud, you know, just like your previous uh, Mayor Big Bird. Curtis, uh, keep doing what you're doing uh, because you're one of the best. Still Thank off. you. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. And I got to tell you, uh, uh, you so deftly uh, mixed uh, Broadway Bill Lee. Oh, for years, was very adept uh, at WCBS-FM, came out of retirement in order to help us. Uh, you were very adept. Uh, you uh, received many kudos for mixing in not only Eric Adams uh, with his apron on, who was trying to be a chef for a lot of young mush minds, uh, teenagers who were at Gracie Mansion, and he was using psychosexual terms that I don't even think he was aware of. And then we mixed in Julia Childs, who, uh, whenever she would conduct her chef shows uh, for PBS, 
she would always drink before, during, and after. She was like half in the bag. And people were laughing so so hard, so loudly, as was I. I normally don't laugh when I'm doing a show. I couldn't stop laughing because uh, we were mixing. It's like a mixtape. We had a mixtape of Julia Childs lecturing uh, Eric Adams, who uh, really proved that he knew almost nothing about nothing in being a chef in preparing vegan and vegetarian meals. Our number is one 800 Let's go to Milton in the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Milton. Hi, Curtis. How you doing there? I've had better days. They should get all the guns off the street. How's your wife's Nancy doing? Uh, now, how are they going to get all the guns off the street, Milton? Well, they should have a new mayor in New York City. Well, I'm I'm on board for that. The swagger man has no plan in seven months. Crime has actually gone up. We actually have more crime now in the first seven months of Eric Adams than we had in any one of the months of the eight years of Comrade Bill de Blasio, the part-time mayor, the dope from Park Slope, who took the Miley Cyrus wrecking ball and destroyed the city that we love. Oh, well. When you get some sleep before the big parade today. No, no, no. There'll be plenty of time to sleep when I'm dead. Just remember... And put you in a box. In my case, it'll be a cardboard box at the rate I'm going. Put me in Potter's Field, right? Fold my arms. They give you half suit, half shoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you go to the funeral parlor, you think you get a, a full suit? You think you get full shoes? Think again. They give you a half suit, half shoes. They fold your arms. Then they close the casket. If you're normal. If you're a crook like a lot of the politicians they can't close the casket. Uh, they have to transport you then to a nearby cemetery, and then they need a Black & Decker power drill to drill you into the ground because you're so crooked. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Maestro, I need a little bad bunny here, please. Uh, it's uh, stimulating to me, preparing me for the Dominican Day Parade. Although there'll be a lot of bachata, a lot of merengue, there'll be cars with refrigerator-style woofers and tweeters on top that'll be blowing your eardrums out like they do in the neighborhoods. Yeah, yeah, oh, oh my God, people in Washington Heights and Inwood are saying, I read already. Enough with the noise. This is what people have to listen to all morning long. People have to wake up, go to work. That's exactly the way it sounds. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Terry in Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Terry. Good morning, Curtis. Your show is fascinating. I love the way you bring up the historical thing. Uh, Steve from Manhattan, man. Go Buchanan, go Buchanan, go Buchanan. My God, he's getting weak. The hell, why doesn't he just identify, self-identify? This is Steve from Manhattan. Let me get my uh, hook off first. Go Buchanan, go Buchanan, go Buchanan. And then talk like a normal human being. Now, if I ever, I mean, if I ever see you here again, you die just like that. But instead, you got to talk in some rope-a-dope way. Sounds like a goofball, right? 
invasion continues, ladies and gentlemen, and it's not to the tune of Bad Bunny and Drake. Drake, the wannabe African-Canadian, you know, he claims his roots are in the black culture, but everybody knows he's a booker boy, having grown up reading Talmud and Torah, the wannabe. Anyway, let's go to the phones. It's uh, Michael calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Michael. Curtis, what's up? You're the best. Um, that that Eric Adams thing, you know, he he's basically, I would call him a Wolfgang schmuck, you know. He has no <laughs> cooking skills. Wolfgang schmuck. I like that. Exactly. And uh, if when you become mayor, are you still going to be doing a radio show? You know something, uh, if I am fortunate enough to be uh, elected mayor in the future, uh, having uh, lost uh, this time around, uh, remember, there was always a program called Ask the Mayor. Rudy was great at that. Uh, he would come into the old studios at WABC at Two Penn Plaza, 17th floor above Madison Square mm-hmm. Garden, and he would take calls from just normal callers who would give him a hard time, and he would give as well as he took uh, he used all the personnel of the station. Now, to show you how the billionaire Michael Bloomberg was different when he was elected mayor, he would come in on Friday mornings, mid-mornings. He would have his own producer, his own phone screener. They would screen out normal callers. It would basically be just patronizing. It was a horrible show. Rudy did it the normal way. You know, I think um, if I were elected mayor, I would probably have... Uh, Two different shifts in the day. I would hold press conferences over the radio because that's what I'm most comfortable doing. So uh, there would be an appearance on the radio during the AM, an appearance on the radio during the FM to get everybody updated. And I think that would meet the needs of the press corps uh, and it would make radio king. So that means if you want to talk to the mayor, you got to listen to him on the radio, which is the way it should be. Because let's face it, without the radio, I would be talking to myself or into uh, Dixie cups attached by a string as I'm feeding the pigeons who will become the official bird of the city of New York if I become mayor uh, Progresso Breadcrumbs. Oh, you will. You will. I'll get the word out. I'll do whatever I can to help you. Definitely. Do, do appreciate that. Let's go, if we can, to Mario in East New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mario. Yeah, I just saw a commercial. I always call you about East New York. I'm obsessed with it. I grew up there, and to me, it's hysterical. Uh, I've been all over Brooklyn, and the craziest guys I ever met uh, from my neighborhood. But I see a TV show called East New York coming on. <laughs> Did you see this on Channel 2? No. I mean, what the hell could – I swear to God – Coming soon, they show cops running around TV. It's a show, a series called East New York. I mean, how are they going to make that politically nice? What are they going to show kids playing tiddlywinks and, uh, on the street and tennis? <laughs> no, <laughs> if they want to show tennis. the real East New York 75th precinct, the largest precinct oh, in the no, city. No, no, They got to show the drive-by shootings, the carjackings, the gangbanging. Oh, no, that's no, they can't do that. Can't do that. That's not nice. You know, I'm going to do a deep dive into this, Mario, now that you've tipped me off that there is going to be a TV show called East New York on CBS. Listen, Curtis, you know, be a great show. 
Curtis? Sure. Sure. Hey, how about this? East New York. Let's go back in the 1970s and show people the games that we used to play. Stickball, stoopball, scalzy. All these games people be... That would be interesting to people from saying, holy crap, what are these people doing? Look at these things they're doing. You know, they bring a... Around the road, what, Johnny on the Pony, you know, and stickball in the street, stickball on the wall. I mean, I, I think people would be like, oh, this is unbelievable. Now, the, the, other thing, the other thing we could turn it into an Olympic sport is jumping from rooftop to rooftop as the cops are chasing you, <laughs> which I had to do a few times on Alabama Avenue. And, boy, I jumped a few of those uh, tenement roofs from one tar beach to another tar beach and the cops looked at me and said hell no i'm not following you pal i'll catch you i'll catch you in a week from now and give you a wooden shampoo hey curtis you know what i used to do just like now you know i couldn't sleep so i get up like 4 35 in the morning i get on my bike and I'd go to the bad neighborhoods, like Pickin Avenue, and I would go by, and there'd be wild dogs chasing me. It was like wild dogs used to chase me on my bike. Yeah, the it, old junkyard dogs. Yeah, and then there would be the abandoned cars, and I, I wish I had a camera, because I'd go back in the morning and tell my friends, i go, I went down over here, you can't believe what I seen. And they couldn't believe me, they go, get out of here. Oh, man, I tell you. <laughs> What a life. You know, sounds like the East New York version of an obstacle course. Junkyard dogs are biting at you. You're flying over uh, abandoned cars that have been stripped uh, for every valuable nugget in them. Meantime, you're playing stoop ball, box ball, Johnny on the pony, buck buck, ring alivio, stick ball, Chinese handball. And everything that we played as a kid that didn't cost um, moms and dads a fortune. But it would entertain us all day long, all night long. That little pink ball, that Spaldino, that Pensy Pinky. And then we take that mop handle, uh, cut it off. Great stickball bat. Whether you played it up against the wall, one bounce in the street, or hitting by yourself as uh, Mario who claims there's going to be a new show, East New York on CBS. He relived the old times. He traveled on the time machine. And I took all of you on the time machine, as I will do when I return. That's right for the Quinella from 3 to 5 today.